Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 400. Yes, we made it to the 400. I'm your host, Chris Zoner. Joined, as always, by my host, David Bixen's man. And Bix, what a day. What a weekend. <laughs> as uh, we go in the show 400 here, as uh, WrestleMania is now over with. And it's been completely overshadowed by the merger of Endeavor, WWE, and UFC. So, my God, I cannot, I mean, you know that people are just chomping at the bit to request this week in 10 years, and I'm dreading it already. (laughs) I mean, geez, we've already had enough of our wonderful patrons ruining these milestone episodes by requesting those weeks. Oh, I'm kidding. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Kidding. Jesus Christ. But anyway. Yes, yes. A lot of news this past weekend. A lot of wrestling. Um, Rick Steiner got thrown out of WrestleCon. That happened. Well, that, you know, that didn't surprise me. (laughs) So. (laughs) It didn't surprise me that he held those views. It did a little bit that he would harassed yourself show there at well the thing is is that more people have been empowered to just say whatever they thought and now more than ever more than ever so yeah well i mean rick steiner has been a douchebag for years so this is it's just powerful not surprising but anyway all right. Yes, show four hundred. It is a Patreon requested show, as we uh, have one of our patrons with us, and um, probably the definitely I think now the the one that's been on with us the most, as uh, he requested this week, and uh, we're always glad to have him on board with us, as we are joined by our friend and patron Tyler Gignac. Tyler, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris and Bix. Glad to be here. Yes. Now, you wanted us to discuss this week in 1993, April 3rd through the 10th, not the 11th. I've got to make that correction, Bix. I didn't notice this, that um, we already done the 11th a long time ago. So it's actually an eight-day week, not a nine-day week. Well, so One extra day. Yeah, so there's that. But Tyler, uh, what was your rationale for wanting us to do this show? Uh, I went and looked at some of the uh, weeks that I've picked up to this point, and I realized that I haven't done a WrestleMania yet. And honest to truth, this was pretty much the first WrestleMania that I got to watch live. My parents started working with some people that had a satellite dish, and we got invited to a WrestleMania party. So 12-year-old Tyler very, very much enjoyed this show. Um, Adult Tyler... Uh, had a little bit of a different opinion when he rewatched it this weekend. <laughs> well, you know, I I, I kind of have on stuff on there's shows like this where I enjoy more now as an adult than I did as a kid, which is cr- interesting, um, especially performers. But uh, now I, I enjoy now more than I did as a kid. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I totally get it. I mean, this is a this is a time of change in WF, and now they're kind of <laughs> going back to the past as we get into the show. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely a very interesting WrestleMania, as we're discussing the week that was April 3rd to the 10th, 1993. 
And of course, we'll begin with the World Wrestling Federation. The biggest and most publicized wrestling show in the year in the United States ended with a unique twist. Two WF title changes in about two minutes. Hulk Hogan ended the surrealistic WrestleMania with the WF title by leg dropping Yokozuna in 21 seconds. Just moments as Yokozuna pinned Bret Hart, ending a WrestleMania that promised little on paper and delivered even less. <laughs> and by the way, because it's 1993, that means the newsletters still have uh, the Anawahi's family spelled incorrectly as Anoya for some reason. Yeah, why? I don't know. Um, the WS third WrestleMania held in conjunction with a gambling center fell victim in terms of crowd reaction to a similar but not quite as extreme fate as the two worst WrestleManias of the past. Numbers four and five held at Trump Plaza in Atlantic City. And now we'll go to the torch real quick. There were few, if any, ads or billboards for WrestleMania in Las Vegas other than Caesar's Palace. The idea of WrestleMania being a toga party was a flop. One torch correspondent attending in person said he saw at most five togas on fans. A lot of the cab drivers in Vegas didn't even know the show was taking place. Now, by the way, since it's been 30 years, we probably need to explain that for some reason, like, toga parties were culturally a thing at the time, to a degree. Uh, like, at frat houses and the like. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is, is the reason why they were doing this because they were at Caesar's Palace. Yes. If they were in Las Vegas at another casino, there wouldn't have been a toga party. It was just where it was at Caesars, so that's why they're doing it. But look at how different everything is today compared to 30 years ago. You cannot tell me that there were probably there were cab drivers in Los Angeles that did not know WrestleMania was taking place this weekend. As much hype and as much Everything that's out there, you know, the presence that they put it into that market when they're in town for WrestleMania, you know, that that shows you how different everything is now compared to 30 years ago. Yes, but I'll say this. I think there are sometimes cab companies and the like that don't know. And I, I go from this example. In New Orleans five years ago, um... And it varied whether or not I was splitting this with anyone the couple times I made the trip there at the uh, WWN venue that had the GCW shows and the Evolve shows and stuff. They were out near the airport. Everything else, uh, everything else was in New Orleans proper and everything else other than ROH was within like a, you know, square mile or two of each other. So it was very far out from everything else. And, you know, especially with spring break running in the middle of the night, cabs were getting very expensive when people wanted to leave, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, as I had learned the previous day when I was leaving uh, Bloodsport, if you walked into the hotel next door to the uh, convention center, or whatever the, uh, what is, uh, or was it Pontor Train Civic Center, I guess is the name? I forget exactly. Um, the cab service that they call you that they can call for you to take you back to New Orleans just charges their flat airport rate and I mean I guess you kind of have to stick with that I don't know how it's regulated but it felt like for sure there were cab companies that did not know they could be gouging at certain times no so I, I, I get what you're saying, and I agree with the spirit of it, but from personal experience, I think there are maybe some cases where they don't necessarily know, or don't fully appreciate it, or don't, you know what I mean? 
wonder if somebody in general, I mean, not just Cavs, but in general. No, I know. That the presence that they have in the city they're in now is well, way yeah, well, more. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the big thing. The street signs, the airport signs, the people at the airports giving out the pamphlets and stuff. Yeah. Well, just the, I mean, just all the events in the city. Yes. You know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. The events in the city itself. So just a totally different time. Um, by and large, crowd came to see Hulk Hogan and not wrestling. So there wasn't much interest or even knowledge of the underneath angles. Well, this is Las Vegas. What do you expect, Dave? It's not a hardcore fan base. Uh, a lot of tourists. Hence, little heat for any of the actual wrestling. The only big crowd reactions were reserved for the rig entrances and musical exits of Hogan, Undertaker, and Bret Hart. It was also the day that WF formally abandoned his direction in the past six months and decided his future was the past. It's surprisingly building things around Hogan as WF champion. There, of course, has been the expected and negative reaction to Bret losing the title. Things have to be looked at from a business perspective. Inside the ring for the quality of his matches on a consistent basis, Brad has done as good as a champion as he probably could have under the circumstances. His interviews are also a lot better than what would have expected of him before he won a title. If one was to be judged deserving of something by the quality of their work, Brett did not deserve to have the title taken from him. However, this is the entertainment business, not the construction business. Plenty of people in the entertainment business who aren't who are great at their craft, they're permanently in the shadow of more charismatic people who don't have anywhere near their talent in the same profession. That is a very, <laughs> very interesting line there today. Just said, very truthful. In pro wrestling, that's the case, which is not more than uniform entertainment. Brett gained a lot of stature and popularity, and one can argue that there was a small increase in recent months at the box office. But realistically, that's largely the seasonal gains that take place the first quarter every year, rather than an increase in his drawing power. So even back then, the it was WrestleMania season when it really wasn't WrestleMania season, and things were looking a little better. This form that wasn't working at the box office, it really never did. It has a lot more to do with the state of business than Bret Hart. But Hulk Hogan is a proven draw. WF needed his boss office juice to maintain his position in, in, in his entertainment world. He had a lot of bargaining chips on his side because of it when he chose to return. The reaction to the double title switch, if it even holds up that way, on one hand, has cheapened the title more than ever before because of the constant hot shining on nearly every pay-per-view and switching over the past 18 months was largely negative. If the title is taken away, it'll almost be a repeated Tuesday in Texas that would just run in the fall of 1991. If it isn't, no matter cheaper the title. Eliminated one obvious pay-per-view gate with Hogan vowing to regain the title. But the most important thing for the credibility of a major title is for it to be the focus of the promotion and what everyone's gunning for. As long as Hogan's around, he'll be the focal point. If Hogan's around and not involved in either the champion or top contender, it makes the belt secondary to whatever Hogan's involved in. I sort of satisfy the argument that if they don't change things, they will have killed the obvious pay-per-view gate with Hogan as a challenger, simply to pick up whatever extra buys they can on April 12th for a replay, showing the by advertising two title changes. Even though the majority of the reaction here has been strongly negative regarding the direction change, and has been acknowledged this was the right move for business this summer. One can argue it was the only the right move short-term, and the company has to build for long-term. Hogan's presence overwhelms anyone else getting over as the next superstar, which was largely the argument that their sources had been espousing a day while the company was at spots off its steps in the winter as to why it would be counterproductive for Hogan to return. Almost until the day Hogan resigned. Hogan coming back at the, after the week by rate of Royal Rumble was an announcement that building for life without Hogan wasn't working yet with the biggest show of the year on the horizon. Hogan's return, which appears what happened at Maine, was a large part of the deal, pretty much in the direction tried with Bret Hart. 
at the same time, there are so many unpredictable variables to run this business that are completely out of control of those running the business. Their short-term planning and getting the quick money may be the smartest direction of all because long-term planning may be fruitless. If that's the case, going with Hogan on top is the right choice because on a media basis, he and the title belt together, where he's we- whether he's wearing the belt or simply the top contender for it and eventually wins it, should draw more than either without the other. From most accounts, the finishes for the key match were so secretive that the wrestlers themselves didn't know until the afternoon of the car. Although they sure Hogan wasn't among the list of those who didn't know, which has its pluses and minuses. The minuses are when nobody knows, word can't leak out. The pluses are that when the wrestlers themselves don't know, they can't plan their match out ahead of time and results in a match that could be a lot better than it turns out to be. Perfect versus Luke in particular may have been victimized by this. All right, um... I don't I don't know if Hogan's return hinged on him winning the title belt back. Do do we ever have that confirmed, Bix, that that was a thing that was going on? Not off the top of my head. I'm pulling up Britt's book to see if I can find anything, though. But, I mean, Tyler, it pretty much was going to happen regardless. No matter no matter what, Hogan was going to have that belt at least one more time while he's back in the company. No, I don't think there's any way he comes back without that happening. But at the same time, I think they pitched him a whole bunch of different stuff. I went back ahead of this show to listen to the, the Bruce Pitcher podcast about this from before he went back. And he said they had started pitching him ideas as far back as November. And the one that he brought up without any context or follow-up was they had actually pitched him an idea of coming back and doing an angle with a heel Dustin Rhodes. Heel Dustin Rhodes? Yeah, I remember yeah. that whole thing where Bruce is where Bruce brings it up and Conrad's... Maybe it was a different episode then if there was no follow-up, because I remember Conrad being like, well, wait, in 1993? <laughs> yeah, because Dustin Rhodes is in WCW. And not going anywhere. <laughs> no, 100%. And that's why I wasn't sure with the, the follow-up if it was just like that was one of the things we pitched to him to get him to come back. But it, it sounds like from right around the Survivor Series point, they were trying to get him back in some form or fashion. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is, it is wrestling minds. So those things can happen. Or they get confused. <laughs> but... uh I uh, I don't think Dustin Rhodes would have. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he was in WCW firmly in 1992. So with his dad's the Booker. So I don't I don't know. But yeah, it was pretty much going to happen regardless. So Bix, did you find anything? Yeah. So I have Brett's book open to the relevant section. I mean, I know there's an earlier part where Brett asks Vince about Hogan, and he's concerned, but Vince is like, don't worry, he's just doing this tag team program as a favor, blah blah blah, don't worry about it, I'm still going with you as champ, blah blah blah. So then we get to, on April 2nd, 1993, I brought Stu and Helen with me to Vegas for WrestleMania 9, where my mom was also going to have a family reunion with her four sisters. Stu beamed at once again finding himself in the corner, once again finding himself the center of the sisters' attentions, as he had been when he first fell in love with all of them in the 1940s in Long Beach, New York. I left them to reminisce and went to my room just in time to answer a call from Vince, who asked me to come to his suite to talk. I knocked on his door, and he answered it with that goofy grin. We sat down, and Vince said, This is what I want you to do. I want you to drop the belt to Yoko tomorrow. 
This was not what I had expected. I sat there dumbstruck as he went on to explain how Fuji would screw me by throwing salt in my face, blinding me. After Yoko was handed the belt, Hogan would rush to my aid in some kind of roundabout way. Hogan would end up winning the belt from Yoko right then and there. Like I was handing Vince my sword, I told him that I appreciated everything he did for me and I'd do whatever he wanted. Vince said, don't get bitter. I still have big plans for you. Sound bites flashed through my mind of Vince assuring me that I was the long-term champion and not to worry about Hogan, who still hadn't even spoken to me yet. As I stood up to leave, I asked, did you take the belt from me because I didn't do a good enough job? Of course not. I'm just going in a different direction. Still onwards and upwards for you. Nothing is going to change too much for you. I was totally crushed. As I lay in bed that night, the more I thought about what Vince had in mind for Hogan, the more I felt that it would completely backfire on both of them. The hokey finish would stink, maybe not immediately, but in the weeks to come, my fans, who were the biggest contingent in Vince's paying audience at the time, would gag on it. There was something different about my fans. They really believed in me as a person. By the time I got to the dressing room the following afternoon, word that I was losing the title had leaked out to the boys. Most of them were quiet and some were angry. The nasty boys, Sean, Taker, and several others expressed their utter disappointment. Knowing I was losing the belt didn't stop me from planning on having a great match. Went over everything with Yoko and designed the match that all the best moves were left for the final minute. Hulk arrived with his entourage, his wife, manager, Beefcake, and Jimmy Hart. Clearly he'd been in the know all along, probably from the first day he came back. Now he was suddenly acting like my long-lost old pal and wearing a big smile that rightfully belonged to me. Um, talks about the match. Then, Fuji stayed in the ring, absurdly challenging Hogan to a title match with Yoko right then and there. Yoko was still teetering from exhaustion and looking for a second win that wasn't there. Hogan blinked in astonishment at his sudden good fortune. As scripted, with my face buried in the crook of my arm, I waved him to avenge my loss. Go get him, Hulk. I really was thinking, go ahead, Hogan, take from me what I worked so hard to get. We'll see just how long you last. Hogan was champion again without even having a match, and before I'd even made it backstage. And then he goes over the finish, etc. I couldn't help stick but stare at the TV monitor watching Hogan work, the crowd with the same old closing routine, a hand behind the ear, shaking the world title belt in the air as if to say it belonged to him all along. A few minutes later, Hogan came up to me excited and happy and said, Thank you, brother. I won't forget it. I'll be happy to return the favor. I looked my old friend in the eye and said, I'm going to remember that, Terry. As for Yoko, I was always a little pissed off at him for going home on me and not letting me show Vince... Oh, yeah, because he went home early because he was blown up. And not letting me show Vince, Hogan, everyone else that we could tear the house down without their bullshit finish. Even so, it was the best match that Yoko ever had. Which is not true. Their cage matches were the best matches they had together. Well, everybody had their best match they ever had with Brett. Just ask him. <laughs> oh man so alright uh, more on the finish Torch chimes in the finish WrestleMania according to the Torch of Sources was a result of demands by Hulk Hogan himself in the final days leading up to WrestleMania apparently he pulled the power play in order to gain the belt Pat Patterson was strongly against Hogan regaining the title according to Torch Sources Insiders Steers insiders tour sources are saying that Hogan's running his own ticket, though, if essentially making himself the main booker for main events. As a result, Hogan's best friend, Bruce Beefcake, could be a major focus while the attention paid to Brett subsides. But that doesn't happen. The paranoia about Beefcake, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't wrestle at the mania. But so here's the torch with their sources saying that this wasn't something until the 
days leading to the show. It wasn't a long-term plan, you know? I mean, it doesn't sound like anything that anyone really thought out. It certainly sounds more like a Goofy Hogan idea than anything else. What about the idea, and Tyler, I'll go to you first, that they squandered a big buy rate by doing this, where they could have done the thing where Yoko's the champion and Hogan's coming in as the opponent and getting a buy rate off of that storyline. I think they missed the boat with that completely. Uh, to be honest, there was no real main event picture at this point. Why not have Hogan come back a couple weeks earlier and win the Rumble and push this whole WrestleMania as Hogan chasing for the title? I just thought that they would have done Hogan Brett. That wouldn't. I mean, that that just. I don't think that would have been the match that they would have built up to. I just. Thought, I don't. Not, not at that time. WWF years later, yes, but not in 1993. And I know they did Hogan and Warrior 90. I know that. They did the Bayface thing before. I just, I don't think they would have done it with Hogan and Brett because it's a different dynamic. Warrior Hogan was superhero versus superhero. Exactly, yeah. It was a totally different dynamic to the situation. On television, on Monday night, they announced Yoko's in his final protest and a room be made on television as the future of the title. He asked for the replay of Bayley April 12th. Pay-per-view talk, seeing, about seeing the title change twice in the same night as the greatest WrestleMania ever. Is there one person alive who believes that? They could hold the belt and give it up to the winner of the June 13 pay-per-view tournament, go back to Yokozuna, or keep things the way they are. That's the first time it's still state secret. But if a change is going to be made, it won't happen until after the replay show. Hogan then worked the tapings on Monday night in Phoenix, nor was he scheduled for Tuesday in Tucson. And none of this show gave any indication one way or another about the status of the title. So yeah, you give Hogan the belt, and then he doesn't show up at the next tapings right after the Mania. So... Huh. Went on his list of shows to work, I guess. It didn't work for him, brother. No, it did not. And we'll have more on the uh, television decision by Jack Tunney later on the show. All right, back to the torch. Despite kind words by Randy Savage on Raw to Death to WrestleMania, which was taped, but the announcement was dubbed live in the studio, there's no question. There's no question, excuse me, that R-E-S-P-E-C-T is not what Bret Hart received at Mania. It was a behind-the-scenes team between Hogan and Savage, according to several sources, hit the boiling point when Hogan's wife was in contact with Elizabeth, who at the time was married to Randy, just before she filed for divorce. There's also legitimate heat between Hogan and Brett. So all is not happy behind the scenes. There's a sense of resentment by some of over Hogan's return to the spotlight. Well, of course. Ain't gonna work against you. I mean, Brett... Brett just fell victim to that. He, I mean, Hogan's not gonna work Brett. Um, Hogan's gonna work Yoko. And Brett, Brett just got screwed in the whole thing. And to be clear, by the way, like when Brett talks about being friends with Hogan during the original run, like he's not being facetious. They got along very well, and it was well, pretty- they went way back. I mean, they went they toured New Japan together in the eighties. Yeah, and also, as Brett lays out, like he and most of the others had no problem with Hogan's special treatment during that original big run. They felt like he was the guy bringing in the money and deserved every bit of it. Yeah. So it's not like this is some pent-up thing. No. 
No, no, no. And we'll have more on Savage in a little bit. All right. As for the show itself, it's hard to make an argument this was worth the twenty nine ninety five. With the poor lighting, the show left the visual impressiveness of a mega show should have. It certainly led the wrestling action. The majority of the matches were bad. None were the excellent memorable type matches. One expects to see at least in one of the so-called biggest shows of the year. The booking, while unique, with the double title change, the matter of doing so did little credibility for the title. Whatever creativity there was with the double doink finish was lacking when it came to several other finishes. Most notably the other two title matches. It seemed the Indies consisted of one, how can we get out of this after another? Being overly creative is okay for one or two matches, except to the rule. But an entire show of those endings kills uniqueness and impact that Screwjobs should have individually and turns these types of match endings into having the impact they've had the past few years in WCW. Zilch. As they presume will be the impact most of the finishes will have. Although there was talk about magic during, during the joint finish, the best magician was Jim Ross, who showed him nearly made 350-pound Gorilla Monsoon disappear. Ross did a great job as an announcer, since he appeared totally familiar with every angle and what he needed to get across, which is no easy feat, considering he's only been with the company for a week. Ross interrupted well Bobby Heenan. Heenan and Shawn Michaels' performances, just going to have shoulder separation, were the only biggest show of the year caliber acts in the entire show. As has been the case the past few years with HWF shows. There were timing problems with the early matches running long. After all these years, how did they constantly have this problem show after show? And the Kamala Bama Vigla match was canceled. Like anybody really missed it. And several of the matches later in the car were cut short on time, so planned out sequences were on the cutting room floor, so to speak. This was a major problem back in these days, Bix. Happened way too much. And it really shouldn't happen at this point. Like, it was one thing when you had 14 matches on the card. But it should not be yeah. happening here whatsoever. No. You gotta know which matches need to go longer on. And that's a problem. Yeah. And then the following year, they lose a whole match over it. Mm-hmm. Well, oh. I mean, they lost a match on this show. Which one? Kamala Bigelow. Was that advertised all the way till the end? Yes. Okay. It was advertised. That's why Dave brought it up. Yeah. On a positive side, the local promotion of the event was nothing short of spectacular. Oh, really? <laughs> that's not what I heard from Wade Keller. Many were surprised that such a preponderance of the crowd was families from Las Vegas, largely to see Hulk Hogan, which had to do the immense amount of local publicity. Therefore, the show and autograph session was held with several wrestlers, the biggest name of which was The Undertaker, who estimated 6,000 people to Caesar's Palace. A bronze was held the day of the show, complete with an angle where Lex Luger attacked and KO'd Bret Hart, an angle which was announced several times on the cast yet to be played, yet to be played no part whatsoever in the storyline of the main event. Most crew was in town several days early to do local publicity, and almost all came across as in a positive manner. Yeah, I mean, they shoot this angle with Luger, but it's never put out there during the show. That you've shot an angle where your newly pushed heel gave the champion who's about to lose a concussion. Yeah. It was weird, yeah. Very weird. I mean... What do you think about that, Tyler? The, the whole the whole Brett Luger thing, because I mean they set up for this feud and they do stuff on house shows, but it's never a proper feud. 
No, and to me, this was almost the theme of this entire event. Like, I watched the Raws leading up to this as well as the pay-per-view itself, and it's almost like they were rebooking on the fly. You had the Nasty Boys and the Head Shrinkers doing a concession stand brawl on Raw two weeks before the pay-per-view. You've got Luger moving the Brett. You've got Perfect moving the Sean. Like, everything was in transition before it even happened. Yep. It really stuck out after watching the show you guys did two weeks ago talking about 95 and how people were doing angles with people they weren't involved with. And the the theoretical mania show you could have booked would have been better than what they actually put on. And I think the same thing happened here. Yeah, kind of just uh, throwing darts against the wall, you know, it's where it lands. And ways on some of this stuff. All right, we got little in regard to the pay rebuyment reports, which are the most important figures as to whether the show was a success or failure. And talk, then it was the lowest mania ever, but that was a given going in. But several surprises in reports around the country of cable systems not even carrying the event, claiming a lack of interest, including systems in Chicago and Beverly Hills, which says something about the perceived current USCA appeal, but it's just unexplainable since even the world case scenario, this show was going to do a better pay per view than anything aside from major boxes and title fights. Live the show, Drew had announced a crowd of 15,045 fans, very few which freebies, which was pretty much a full house, but they didn't believe that was a sellout. At the match time, they were still selling the $50, $150 tickets. Although the way the seating was set up, there didn't really be room for many more. The live gate was supported today by two sources between 1 million and 1.2 million. So the live gate was actually only about $50,000 to $200,000 less than last year's media. In the much larger Hoosier Dome, with more than four times as many humans in attendance because of the higher scale ticket prices. And yes, the gate was just under $1.05 million, according to the, to the uh, commission records. And no doubt be the only million dollar gate here in the United States, but it may not have been the highest live gate of the weekend. <laughs> For those who want to make plans early to attend, whereas next year's mania will take place in Madison Square Garden. Anything in wrestling one year from now has to be labeled as tentatives. And he's right, but it does stay in the guard. Although, don't they start sending out the travel package stuff not long after this? Yeah, there's something there. So they're putting, they're getting it out there to people. Let them know. It's people they trust, I guess. Yeah, and the total number of tickets uh, printed was 16,216. Uh,. I forget, does it show how many were actually used? It was, Oh, yeah, it was 15,823 were available for sale. There were 814 unsold. 13, 739 sold. Wait, is there a separate comp heading here? So, yeah, about a little under 14,000 paid plus some comps. Again, what a big difference between now and 30 years, 30 years ago, huh? You mean where they legit... Sold in the neighborhood of 120,000 plus tickets at a minimum. Uh, does tickets distributed count as sold or just no? Distributed includes the comps because you're using Ticketmaster and Ticketmaster controls the ticketing system. So the tickets distributed numbers on WrestleTix do include comps. Because I mean, if you look at that, just in general, uh, so you're looking at uh, six night two. Distributed over sixty-seven thousand five fifty. Night one distributed sixty-seven thousand one hundred three. 
So yeah, even if you say 5,000 comps each night, they still sold well over 120,000 tickets across the two shows. Yes. So. Alright, let's go to the show proper. We have a dark match to start the show. El Matador, Tito Santana, defeated Papa Sean. Go to Sean, go miss the splash off top rope in eight minutes. Told this was a dud. Well, I mean, this is, we're getting towards the uh, end game of Papa Shango here, and you're losing to El Matador. Yeah, your time is limited. Yes, and uh, Jim Ross is doing commentary on the video of this that showed up on the Hidden Gems to get his feet uh, right before the broadcast starts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, speaking of, before the first match again, the main show, they had an opening ceremony where Jim Ross in the toga was introduced, followed by Randy Savage and Bob Mahina making grand entrances. Oh, the card had been hyped as the biggest took a party other appears almost none of the spectators hadn't gotten the hint because there were a few in costume. Usually Titans with the Tines, but Toga parties went out before the end of the nineteen seventies. Huh. You haven't been watching Saved by the Bell this season, brother. <laughs> well, anyway, let's go to that entrance, shall we? Let's see uh how Jim Ross came out here at WrestleMania. Oh, so we're starting with that. Okay. So we'll just go to the start of the show, basically? I guess. Oh, wait, we've got a montage. Caesar's Palace! Oh, here we go, the opening ceremony. Ah. Ladies and gentlemen, may oh, I present... Oh, wait, did we have Jim Ross already? Yes, we did. Okay, got to go back a little bit. Oh, and, yeah, and he's got his Caesar's Palace guards with him. Great. Of course, we have ring announcer Finkus Max- Maximus. Monsoon! First time for me to have on a toga? Is he Yoda now? He <laughs> looks distinguished in his toga. Broadcast team, Jim Ross. Thanks very much, Gorilla Monsoon. Indeed, it will be a day of first, ladies and gentlemen. My very first WrestleMania. First time that yours truly from the great state of Oklahoma has ever been in a toga myself. This is quite an impressive outfit. And I, too, Gorilla, can get used to this. What do you think of these gold shoes? How would those play in Tulsa? What a day. My first enemy to Centurion. And this guy is in great shape, which is a smile, because we're going to have a great time. Over 16,000 fans and a worldwide television audience. What a day it's going to be. Two tremendous main events. You're going to see Brett the Hitman Hart defend the WWF Championship against the 505-pound Yokozuna. And indeed, Hulkamania will run wild when Hulk Hogan and British Survivor Beefcake, the Mega Maniacs, challenge Money Incorporated for the WWF Tag Team Championship. It is indeed the world's largest toga party. What a day we're going to have. But right now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go up. You know him as Howard Finkel, but today he's Finkus Maximus. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay, before we well, get, I, I mean, are you going to want to watch the Heenan bit, or do we not care? I guess. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, before we get to that, though, is it me, or does Ross already have something going on with the left side of his face here? I don't really notice anything too out there. I don't know. Yeah, looks- like, I know he doesn't have the, as far as we know, didn't have the, any Bell's Palsy until 
following January, but I don't know. Something looks off, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Oh boy, and we've got an overcast outdoor WrestleMania, too. May I present Caesar and Cleopatra! Ladies and gentlemen, our opening ceremonies here at WrestleMania 9. Well, sir. Okay, I can't watch this shit just to wait for Heenan riding backwards on a camel. Let's move on. <laughs> um, yeah, that's best what happens. All right, so our first match is Tatanka and Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Championship. Now, on uh, Superstars the day before, they did uh, a lot of wraparounds from Las Vegas. So Vince and, and Lawler interview Shawn Michaels by the pool. So uh, let's go to that, shall we? Yes. Which I'm sure joins us very soon because he would not want to miss this interview with the Intercontinental Champion. You think the Macho Man ever gets tired of having himself around? I know I get tired of having him around. Do you ever get tired of carrying that crown around and the looks people give you? No, I'm used to people staring at me. I am the king of wrestling. They I all see. stare. I see. Well, hey, look at this. Stare <laughs> at this. How about this? Fancy that. <laughs> the reigning intercontinental champion, Shawn Michaels. Mr. Michaels, could we have your attention? Look, I bet Caesar's Palace built this pedestal special just for Shawn to sign This is, is right, getting son? a good look at Shawn's crotch. When you're the World Wrestling Federation <laughs> intercontinental champion and... The sexiest man alive. What did they hire the sportatorium camera guy for this? <laughs> yeah, the ca- Sean is, is his legs are completely open. As he's, he's sitting wearing, in a lifeguard chair. Yes, he's sitting in a lifeguard chair. He's wearing a black shorty robe and white, I guess, white tights up underneath it. I believe, and all you see, I believe he undoes the robe, and you see he is wearing basically the over trunks from his gear. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it's right. First, the camera is firmly focused on his balls. While Vince is staring at him. It's only at, appropriate at that you sunbathe head and shoulders above all the rest. <laughs> I see. But you will recall it on two different occasions. Tatanka Ooh, you will recall. You, That's a good not? one. You know, Tatanka's got a lot in common with all these uh, losers that come out to Las Vegas. They rely 100% on luck. That's right. Shawn Michaels relies on skill. And everybody who's anybody knows that eventually your luck runs out. (laughs) I see. And perhaps yours is going to run out a little bit later on this weekend. You must be concerned. You must be concerned with this match. You know, I'm not going to come out here and lie to you because I'm not that kind of a guy. I am concerned about one thing. I am concerned... God forbid, I might walk into WrestleMania. Why are they doing this? With a tan line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got the belt on. And yeah, you can see a little that he's he is wearing the over trunks that go over his tights from his gear. Yes. Except he is wearing just those. Yes. Yes, he is. All right, so Tatanka, remember, Tatanka's undefeated, folks, at this point in time. So. This situation where, okay, this guy's undefeated. Sean's a champion. Are they going to switch the belt? They're going to do a screw finish. Well, Tatanka won by the count out in 1813. So Sean kept the title. Sean came out with his new Valley manager, Luna Bashan. While Sensational Sherry was in Tatanka's corner. 
They pushed debut of Sean pretty hard. Sean got things cooking three minutes in with a hot series of bumps. Clamass would have flipped into the turnbuckle, landing on the apron, and taking a spin bump to the floor. And now it's acknowledged Michael's legit shoulder separation and used it to sell the arm lock portion of the match, which is very much untitan like. It's where the benefit of Ross came in because most announcers of today, for some reason, neglect this sort of detail, which in turns makes the arm loss into time wasting rest holds rather than part of the match story. Michael's tried to add two or three Lucha Libre moves to his repertoire, but it didn't come off as smoothly. Michael sold his injured soul that they hitting to talk about a clothesline, then missed a tackle, and his bad shoulder connected with the post, where Tatanka laid a shoulder breaker. Tatanka came off the top rope with a chop, but on the second try, Michael's men was super kick. Michael's hit a clothesline off the apron to the floor and took control. Tatanka made a Superman comeback, and they did three minutes of grand near falls back and forth. The finish came when Sean missed a crossbody off the apron and fell to the floor. Referee Joey Morella was counting on Michaels, who didn't knock him down. Michaels got back in the ring, but the Tonky did Samoan drop and covered him for the pin, but Morella got up and called for the bell, ruling Michaels the loser by countout. Here we finished what was an excellent opener. After the match, Luna clotheslined Sherry and kicked her a few times. Letting her show the NS Luna attacked Sherry in the first aid room as well. Three and a half stars. And this was fine. And... I don't get why they don't stick with Sean and Luna longer. It's basically just this one show. It is. It goes, she goes right to Bam Bam. And you know what they really should have done? And would have been kind of cute, but also really worked for the characters? Do an inverse of Sherry explaining that she's leaving DiBiase for Shawn Michaels and do it with Luna and Bam Bam. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, it fits the character. Like, you can play it, you can play into Sean's gimmick and have him act all incredulous over it or whatever. But it's like, I feel like you could have had something, and it would have been very WWF for this era, certainly, to do that, and they just don't. It's like she's being established as his new second here, and then the cherry thing just moves to her. Yeah. All right, Tyler, you just watched uh, this whole show as uh, the build-up for uh, doing this. Uh, what were your thoughts on this match? I thought the action was solid and they worked pretty well together, but everything around the match was just a hot mess. Yeah. Um, Jim Ross on his podcast, what he said about this was, why would you ever put this in the ring if you don't have a finish? What was the point of booking it? And, and Bruce shed a little bit of light on that when he said that this was actually the third match that they tried to book. This was originally supposed to be Janetti again, and then it was supposed to be Owen, and they ended up at Tatanka, and then Sean got hurt. So everything was cold. Yeah. And then, like I said, you, you got Tatanka because it's on the feeder streak here, and... You have, to, you have to book your stuff in a corner to keep that going because you don't want to give it up yet. No, 100%. And Bruce did say that the original plan was actually for Sean and Tatanka to work together in the summer and not here. They just sped everything up, which does kind of make sense because it just doesn't fit. Yeah. And when we talk about the, the Sean and Luna together, I'm curious if diesel coming in had anything to do with that just because in sean's book he writes that when he was out with the shoulder separation that's when he saw vinnie vegas on tv and that's when he started putting those wheels in motion yeah yeah it's very possible it changes a lot of things if luna stays with, with sean absolutely 
right. Next, we get the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, meeting the Head Shrinkers in 1422. First big spot was Samu doing what appeared to be a hot shot or stun gun, whatever you're going to call the move, on Scott. But Fatu pulled down the ropes and Scott took a nasty bump to the floor. Scott was pounding on for the next seven minutes and 20 seconds. The East went a little too long for the crowd live, and the match dragged towards the end. Rick tagged in, was quickly cut off. Several hot moves towards the end, including Rick on the Fatu shoulder. Samu came up top with a crossbody, and Rick turned into midair into making the move a flying power slam, although it sounds better than it looked. Scott pinned Samu after Frankenstein will miss noticeably two and a half stars. Yeah, this came off as like a disappointment, Tyler, looking in hindsight, because, you know, these two teams had better matches than WCW, you know, over three years earlier. No, 100%. And that bump that Scott takes over the top rope, that is one of the nastiest bumps I've seen that didn't involve a weapon or a table or something like that. Like, that was nasty going over the top rope. Yeah. Well, he wasn't afraid to do it, that's for sure. So, uh, there is that about Scott Steiner. (laughs) For my money here at this point, late 92, early 93, I think you could make an argument for Scott Steiner being the best wrestler in the world at this point. He's high on the list. He's. I think the best way to put it would be he's definitely the most dynamic. He's high on the list, absolutely. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, I always liked this match, though. Yeah, it was. Okay. I mean, it was fine, but they, like I said, they had better in WCW. So, I joint the clown pin crush in eight twenty eight. Not much crowd reaction for a grudge match that was pushed so hard. Doink did a pile driver early, although they never acknowledged Crush's bad neck from the angle. They traded some decent action with Crush getting his crush move on once. His crush move on. But Doink made the ropes. Second time Doink hit the ref and the ref going tried to go in the rain, but the but Crush pulled him out. He put the move on again, but again the referee saw so a second Doink ran in and hit Crush with a fake arm and the ref counted the fall. Fans were cheering that finish. The two Doinks made weird face each other doing a mind bit that was really well done. The second joint was Steve Kern, Skinner, who shaved off his beard to play the role. He had in the ring from before the show started, stayed in the ring until the show was over, and then all the fans left the building, which explains his disappearance and nobody seeing him. Goodness gracious. And in Las Vegas, outdoors. I'm sure that was fun. He'll be wearing a fake beard in whatever future Skinner match he has to work, which may not be many more since both joints are scheduled to be together television next day. Star and a half. Yes, let's watch this finish here. It's a memorable finish with the first time we had two doinks together. What are you talking about? It's an illusion. <laughs> He's got it again. Put him out, Crush. Squeezing there. That sure looks like Matt Bourne there. Yeah. His paint is almost gone, and then it gets worse in the next minute or so. That a baby. Takes him down. The cloud. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. They checked it. I'm slapping myself in the face. You know what this is? This is an illusion. No, it's another two of them. Double doinks. Double two doinks. If one wasn't enough, oh my. Oh. There's things coming. The he back. broke it over his head. Yeah, he did. Look at that. They've got all kinds of oh. things in that up. How does he do it? Look at this. This is one of the greatest tricks I've ever seen. Remember what Doink said about double vision? Oh. There's a battery laying in the ring. It was inside that. 
prosthesis or whatever it is. What a great illusion. Uh, an gonna, illusion? What are you talking about? That's not an illusion. I'm going to stay a shock right now. There are two doinks. You know, David Copperfield is responsible for this. He fucked you know, the illusion. illusion. I believe it. That's not magic. That's cheating. Exactly no, right. Magic. It's cheating. Exactly, it's cheating. There were two of them. Eat your heart out, Houdini. Eat your heart out, Copperfield. This fight is great. Well, this crowd here certainly not very pleased with what they have seen here. You just think you saw two going. What happened? You've been in that moonshine again from Oklahoma, Ross. I knew I saw two doinks. And you got a sunglass with macho written across the front of My eyes are open. I can see it was an illusion. I I know I saw two of them. Did you see two doinks coming in? You're a figment of your own imagination. Bottom line, there are two doinks. Here comes another one of the officials. Here comes another official. He'll tell everybody. How many doinks did you see come to the ring? One doink came to the ring. One came from underneath the ring. That's right. And the referee... And he saw what we all saw. He's ex- telling him exactly what happened. Hey, ref, ref. One was underneath the ring. Just look underneath the ring and we get it done. Uh, it was an illusion. Doinks, he's, he's famous for tricks. Caesars is famous for great magicians. This was nothing but an illusion. I was here Nobody under there. set the ring up today. I got here early. There was no doink around. I only saw one doink in the back. I only saw one doink lead and one enter. It's an illusion. He's got to be under the ring. Exactly right. There were two You're other making facial there. expressions like he's not there. And the... See, the referees. What did they give so up on? Now, wait a minute. He was telling there were two. They looked underneath and apparently didn't see anything. Fans, uh, Todd Pettengale is in the audience. Let's go to our po- colleague, Todd Pettengale. We are live. We're up here in the Bob Euchre seats, WrestleMania 9, Las Vegas, Nevada. It is absolutely crazy up here. We're trying to take a poll. Was it two doinks? Was it an illusion? Ladies and gentlemen, what? this event is being covered all over the world. We're here with the photographers <laughs> from Japan. Sir, were there two doinks in your opinion, or was it an illusion? Uh, no, 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 sir. You have to. Were there two doinks? Sir, were there two doinks? <laughs> all right, how are you enjoying oh, my your stay here in the U.S.? Uh, Las Vegas, number one. <laughs> hey, Yokozuna. Yokozuna, number one. Unbelievable. Two doinks or an illusion? No, that's not Sonny you. We are up in the Euchre seats, ladies and gentlemen. They go way he said that already. here. Way, way, way in the back. Can you follow me? It is an unbelievable display. I've been drenched with beer. I've been drenched I'm with not soda. Surprised. But I've never had a better time in my life. We are preparing to bring you updates all day. Right now, as the music sounds, let's go back to the well, squares. All right. All right, so, um, I mean, Tyler was creative to have two doinks. We haven't had something like that since really the Hebner's five years earlier, so there is that. So, And Steve Kern looks enough like Matt Bourne with all the makeup and stuff and all the gimmick stuff on, you really couldn't tell a whole of a difference. No, it was something that came off as different and fresh, and I, I really think there was a lot more legs in the evil Doink character. I thought there was so much more they could have done with it. Yeah, they did kind of ditch it a little early. I mean, even Once then, they, though, 
here's the thing with that, and I agree with you, but you watch that, like, one Matt Bourne babyface doink promo, and he's also a much better version of babyface doink than Ray Apollo was. Well, yeah. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, absolutely was. So, all right, next match. Oh, there was one quick thing I just wanted to add, though, which is, I guess this would be on whoever in WWE Creative Services. One thing I feel like they deserve more credit for, I don't know if they had this in mind when they created the gimmick or what, the design of the doink makeup combined with the clown wig, and as long as you cast a wrestler who was fairly close in size to the other doinks, they did an incredible job making it so that it was very difficult to tell the doinks apart. Like when they, you know, when Jericho did the thing, you know, years and years later, or even, you know, a year or so after this, when there's the Jeff Jarrett dressed as doink angle. All of those angles work really well because the doink makeup works so well to hide everyone's facial features. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Razor Ramon. Pimp Bob Backlund in 345 with Inside Cradle. Fans cheered Razor. This is probably the first pinfall loss Backlund has ever done to WF. And that must date back to be around 1977. Terrible. Negative one star. Yeah, that's, that's the forgotten thing about this match is Backlund doing a pinfall job. He never did one. And he had not been doing any jobs at house shows during this run? Obviously not. That's what Dave says. So that's something. Yeah. But this just, I mean... It felt like a throw-on match in the car, in a way. Yes. You know? So. I mean, the one thing you can say for it is it did kind of cement that the idea that they already have at this point for him to turn is the right one. Yeah. All right. Um, Money, Inc. Teddy Vincent RS retained the tactiles, beating Hulk Hogan and Bruce Beefcake in 18-27 by disqualification. Hulk's left eye was shut. On TV, they gave a cover story that he was working out in the gym the night before the match and was attacked. The story was going around that he was involved in a boating accident on Wednesday night. Well, everyone who saw him up close said, like, someone punched him in the eye. Idris was legit, no makeup. Well, the reasons aren't clear. And when asked after Hogan, he didn't want to talk about it. We'll have more on this later on. DiBiase was just about as big as Hulk. Actually, bigger frame, although Hogan had a lot better muscle mass and tone. Yes, Ted DiBiase, who was already a big dude before. This last part of his WF run, he's massive. He's massive not man. Juiced up. He's just big. He's just big. Yeah. Match is okay. They tease walkout count. I finished her six minutes in with the ref announced that they were counting that the titles would change hands, which is ludicrous change rules as they were going along. This is WF. Installed a minute and giving the guys a breather saying go 18. They got the heat and chucking hugging on the rope and DBS put it on the million dollar dream on Hulk and DBS who were down. Excuse me. Put on the mini judge room on Hulk for 90 seconds. BK behind the rest back, put the sleeper on DiBiase, so both Hulk and DiBiase were down. Hulk dramatically got up to the count of 10, 9. BK made the hot tag, was immediately hitting the back with a briefcase. Of course, his metal face protecting mask was then taken off. BK made a comeback and put the sleeper on IRS, with DiBiase made the save. Then came the third rep up in five matches. Followed with other refs seen in this, a hot tag to Hogan. Hogan killed DiBiase and IRS with the mask. Hogan had DiBiase pin while Beefcake had IRS pin. Jimmy Hart then put on a referee jacket, counted the fall, and raised the belts to Hogan and Beefcake. But the ref came to disqualify them, sent Hart in the ring. Hart took the ref out of the ring after the match. 
where the faces open up Iris's briefcase, found money, and handed money to the fans at ringside. Two stars. Bix, uh, any thoughts on this? Oh, let's just watch the finish. There we go. Sleeper on I wish you'd just get out of the ring. I can see where it is right there in the Adams apple. He's choking him. Get out, Uh-oh, DiBiase from behind. Referee down. Club sandwich. down. That's a club sandwich to go. Hold the mail. They all went down on that one. Three people down. Referee down. IRS has this. And Beefcake is holding his face. It's Hulkster and DiBiase looking eye to eye now. His ears are now where his lips used to be, it looks like to me. It's anybody's matchup right now. His nose is under his arm. And a tag team title on the line. (laughs) Never never looked better. IRS. It's their next attack. You heard that, DiBiase and Beefcake. The referee didn't see the tag. Who cares? I doubt if he saw either Beef tag. Beefcake's out of there. We need him out of there. Hogan is back. Big right hands. Hogan now becoming dominant with DiBiase. Irish win. Caught him with a foot right to the face. Catches on. Coming in. On the lower abdomen. Lower abdomen? He's got that. That, that was bargain basement. Oh, he's using he the, the titanium thing. Fire with fire. What's the titanium thing? Jimmy Hart, you get out of there, you little miserable (laughs) one. The referee is down. Jimmy Hart trying to... Here goes the tag team titles. Turning his jacket inside out. Who knows? Mm -hmm. He'll turn his back. No, 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 no. Strike. One, two, three. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. No, it doesn't count. Jimmy Hart has counted down the champion. But who knows? It may count. I don't know what they're doing here right now. A thief kick and Hogan have got the tag team championship belts. Here comes another official. I'm not sure about this. Why would they think that? What kind counted? of a calling are they going to rule on this? Let's see this. There we they're go. There we go. He's raised the hand of money. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the referee's decision. The winner of this bout as a result of a disqualification. And still, World Wrestling yes, yes, yes. Money in Like they told me last night, the money's in the bank. I'll tell you, that call doesn't surprise me. I got a minute. Watch out. The champion's from behind, but they might not have been a very prudent move there either. They've got their titles. They've got their belts. Oh, and Hogan may want to have a little word with Danny Davis here. You hit him, you're suspended. Oh, you're going to probably Hogan. They'll probably give him three hundred fifty thousand. What's Jimmy Jimmy saying to the? What's Jimmy doing now? Telling the Mega Maniacs not to level Danny Davis. Well, that's a good decision right there. You want to keep Hogan?
something plus here. That black guy is so nervous. I mean, he knows what's just so prevalent on his face. No doubt, find all the money for that. Double strike. It takes away from the match. In a way. They don't have the title. They got the loser's end of the purse, and they're stripped. Loser's end of the purse. There's nothing like WrestleMania. Okay, let's skip to these uh, lone celebrity appearance of the show. Yeah, which really wasn't even mentioned by Dave at all. And it's just in the crowd. It's not a celebrity guest thing. 16,000 people running wild, money flying through the air. The biggest WrestleMania of all time. I'm standing next to Natalie Cole. How are you? Fine. Did you get any of that money? No, I couldn't believe it. It was real money. (laughs) Real money. They took it out of the briefcase of IRS. Did you get anything? No, I didn't get anything, but I'm having a good time. No money. Looking forward to hearing your next project. Thanks for being here. Okay, thanks. Natalie Cole, everybody. We're also standing with the CEO of Caesars Palace, Mr. Dan Reichardt. Hi, how are you doing? What a beautiful day, and thank you so much. I must say, that guy looks like a casino ball. WrestleMania here in our arena at Caesars. We've had world class tennis, we've had ice hockey, we had the Olympic skaters. We had 80 world-class title bouts here, more than any arena in the world. This is the highest energy level we've ever had. Unbelievable. None. And I must tell you, the last couple of days, the energy level in town, simply fabulous. Uh, the World Wrestling Federation staff did a great job working with us, promoting this event. And the wrestlers themselves in the last couple of days really ingratiated themselves to the community and all the fans we have here today. There's more than 15,000 fans here that see this uh, worldwide pay-per-view event. It's great. Dan, can I get a deal on my room? What do you think? Maybe a little break? Well, I think uh, we can work this out. Maybe we need to go in there. And I'll tell you the other thing we're happy over. Not only is this worldwide, we see it at our other Caesars destination in Tahoe, in Atlantic City, in the Poconos. It's great. Hey, let me hug you, big guy. I'm in a room. All right. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to Mean Gene Okerlin and Mr. Perfect. Tell me you got a sight fee without telling me you got a sight fee. I wish your dad is a John O'Hurley playing, uh, playing a character. It kind of resembles in a way. Yeah. That's almost telling us about the wonderful islands of Puerto Rico right there. Hmm. The tourism board of Las Vegas. All right, so progressive city of Riyadh. (laughs) Next match: Lex Luger pinned Mr. Perfect in 10:56 with a backslide. Although Perfect was in the ropes, Luger had the best interest, coming in with four bikini-clad women and holding four mirrors with sparklers coming from them. The two then worked well together. They had several near fall spots at the end, but it seemed like one or the other was in the wrong position, so the match was kind of clumsy. Towards the end, many moves were missed since they fought Hogan, even though these two should have been over since so much had been put around them. It turned into the popcorn match live and had no heat. After the match, Luger killed Perfect with the forearm. Perfect got up, ran to the back, caught up with Luger with a tool near a tool shed. 
Luger's with Sean, who gave Perfect a super kick and beat him up with sticks and garbage cans at the Memphis angle. The angle's great. Imagine anything but. They put a lot of heat on the idea that Luger came up with Perfect and Brett in the same day with a four-orb. You give the impression something was fishy. Dave doesn't know this one, but it seems to be leading to something like this. Luger Jimmy has been a plate in his form from the four motorcycle accident. In a few months, he's going to have surgery to remove the plate. Maybe they're wrestling around this somehow that x-rayed the form and found the plate and ordered him to have it removed, which will explain whatever needs to be explained. Star and a quarter. Don, why do you think that Perfect and Luger didn't mesh here in this match? I have no idea. This was one of the matches, even when I was a kid, I was most excited about. And it it just it didn't click. They did not work well together at all. That happens. You have guys that, for some reason, they never really develop a repartee in the ring together. No, and I mean, Luger looked like a million dollars on this run, but he really didn't work well with anybody during this first heel part. Like, I can't remember any Lex Luger match that I watched that I thought was really good. Yeah. I mean, he's great in his character. You know, he does a great job as a narcissist. Narcissus. But uh, as far as like a match, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I just wonder if that was really what they wanted from him anyway, or was it more character work? That's another thing, too. But uh, I don't know. Bix, what were your thoughts on on this? Just turned into a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. And it's not like perfect consistent during this run anyway. And basically this is a backdrop for Sean Perfect. Yes. You know, so there's that too. All right. On Superstars on Saturday, the third, uh the Superstars team found uh one Harvey Whippleman and Giant Gonzalez inside the casino and Giant Gonzalez looking very, very different. Let's go to the clip. Whippleman has joined us. Oh, shut up, Vince McMahon. I'll tell you who's joining you. Harvey Whippleman, about to bring in the greatest man in the world wrestling federation. The eight-foot wow. tall, 443-pound giant Gonzalez. And this Sunday at WrestleMania 9, Undertaker, if you think that giant Gonzalez did a number on you at the Royal Rumble, you better gear up for WrestleMania 9 because that giant Gonzalez is going to destroy you and your little fat buddy Paul Bear. Once and for all, tell him, Giant. Undertaker! He's just raw snake eye! <laughs> Let's take you now to a prior action in a match involving Virgil. Pause. Well, never mind. It's going to be two ends. Uh, that is one of the weirdest deals because, I mean, they had spent all this time with Giant Gonzalez in that suit. You know, that he wore to the ring and blah, 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 blah. And here he is inside a casino wearing a very sharp suit, normal suit, jacket, coat, and tie, and everything. Yeah. Why? Why? I'm, it's surprising to me that they actually allowed this to happen at this point in time. Because, so, because they're so into we have to maintain our gimmick with mm-hmm. the gimmick people. But here he is in a suit. Weird. Why do you think that was, Bix? I don't know. I mean, when he does the babyface turn, he's got the leather jacket. But but that's a, yeah, that's different. He looks snazzy here, but 
Yeah, I feel like he shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, it's a WF character, and they're supposed to always be a character. Who knows? Tyler, I mean, wh- 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 where do you stand on this? No, it's a terrible idea. To me, it'd be the equivalent of seeing The Undertaker in the same suit giving the same interview. Well, you know, and, and as time has gone on, Undertaker, you know, has gotten more and more a character. But, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to see that, to have him do that at this point in time. So, I don't know. All right, so let's talk about the match. Undertaker beat Jangles off at 733 by disqualification. Could have been a lot worse. Camping moment of shows when Jim Ross talked about the steps being solid steel after Undertaker took a bump onto him. He didn't take a second bump into him and not one step upside down. It was completely hollow. Second came moment was Ross talking about him being eight feet tall when you're earlier he was sitting at seven foot seven. Well, Jim, he could go three inches. Harvey Woodman gave Gonzalez a towel. Five. He spun the Undertaker with Yeah, you're right. Excuse me, five. Uh, he spun the Undertaker with it. On TV, they say they got chloroform, but nobody in the live audience understood what was going on. Gonzalez's DQ did a great choke sum on the careless Bill Alfonso. Oh, excuse me, his caretaker Bill Alfonso. He's careless in other ways, but caretaker Bill Alfonso. Undertaker was stretched out and left for dead, but came back to life and knocked Gonzalez out of the ring. Gonzalez will sell tickets, but not for long. Star and a quarter. Well, I don't need to sell any tickets, I don't think, Dave. So This was a you know a perfect WrestleMania matchup, but it, yeah. <laughs> not good no not good at all take her coming out with the crow and everything that was cool or a raven or whatever the hell it was yeah and a cool ring entrance and uh as Torch noted Bobby Heenan got to sneak in a tribute to the recently deceased Wally Carbo uh saying that there would be fines and suspensions after the match because that was Wally Carbo's uh go-to line whenever they had an actual angle on AW television where he said, there will be fines and suspensions. So good for Bobby to get that in. That's a tribute to one of his former uh, bosses, so to speak, Wally Carbo. So, all right. Uh, next, we get the big one. Yokozuna pinned Bret Hart to win the other title in 855. Because of the huge size difference, it looked visually impossible for them to work a credible match, but they did. Dave was shot that Bret didn't at least have his head taped to give the illusion to the injury. Because of the angle they ran earlier in the day, the Luger angle. It was WCW like to not pay attention to detail. Can't be spoiled the match. What a USA chance when the only American in the ring was Yokozuna. <laughs> well, Brett's an American citizen. He is, but you know how that goes, Bix. Yes. Uh, uh, he pointed out that now the two men were from the United States. Brett pulled off the padding from the turnbuckle and ran Yokozuna to expose Steel and the Scorpion. Sharpshooter Dave. Mr. Fuji threw salt in Hart's eyes, and Yoko's going to come from the pen. Three stars. All right. Well, let's watch this, shall we? And see how all this uh, craziness pays, plays out. Yes, and where does it fall in uh, the worst WrestleMania finishes? A topic that is not fresh right now whatsoever. Oh, it's pretty bad. But, but the, the, get, no, the finish gets worse well, yes. as we go. So. Look at this. Oh. 
Okay, before we even get to the rest of it, I always hated how the throwing the salt was it, pretty much. Why not do the bonsai drop? I mean, the bonsai drop was his finish. Yeah, but the bonsai drop was his finish. Why not just do that? You're already protecting him. Yeah. Yeah. You're already protecting him. Why are you... Like, I always thought it made Brett look so weak. Weak. You know... It's not It's not like the Martel and Gurria Fuji and Saido finish where he gets cradled off of it, you know? Like, it's... He's just laying there and Nokazuna covers him and he can't move because he's been blinded. He gets there so quick. Oh, well, yes. Funny how that works out. Um... Tyler, as a Canadian, uh, watching Brett lose like this uh, at that point in time, what were your thoughts? Honestly, I was really shocked. I didn't think that Yokozuna was going to win when I was a kid, or even watching it now, it's still shocking that literally seven months before this, he was set to be a head shrinker. Yeah. And here he is winning the world title kind of out of nowhere without – much bill it the whole thing was crazy to me but 12 year old me popped huge as soon as i saw hulk hogan come out because you got the feeling something was going to happen all right well let's go to that yes we do and i told you i told you hulk hogan here at the end right there hogan! he's trying to Mr. Fuji. Mr. Fuji on. No! Trying to talk to. No! Mr. Fuji, we're trying to listen and pick up what he's saying here, ladies and gentlemen. My Yokozuma, issue a challenge. If any intestinal fortitude, you would accept my Yokozuna challenge. Come on! Come on, you yellow belly! Come on! So Fuji says his Yokozuna is issuing a challenge to Hulk Hogan. Now Hogan is more concerned with helping his friend Bret Hart. We need one more second. Oh, yeah, sure. W-W-W-S. Here we go. He's right now. He says, Fuji says, he'll put the WWE title on the line right now. Come on. Let's go. Notice how non-enthused Savage is of all this. If that had been another babyface, Savage would be yelling and shit. If this is a match, why wasn't the salt going in his eyes at DQ? <laughs> well, the referee sees it, yes. Right in front of him. It was non-sanctioned. I don't know. <laughs> That's not a title match, brother. Hogan knocks Fuji down. Hogan with close down. And down goes Yokozuna. Hogan knocks away. Hogan in the cover. No. Hogan in the cover. Hogan in the cover. Hogan in the cover. Hogan in the 
tried to go for the song right in Hogan's face, but he avoided it. And then Yokozuna and the Hulkster took over. A new World Wrestling Federation champion twice over. Yokozuna and now Hulk Hogan. Never before in the WWE. Okay, I'm curious what this was like for both of you at the time. So, because I can't think of any time before or after where anyone in my orbit, you know, as far as other kids, anyone, reacted to a baby face win the way that they did to this. Like, you know, we're talking to other kids who know wrestling is a war, but they're not really, no one's really, you know, smart to the business. But, like, every, I feel like this is, like, the most universally hated babyface finish maybe they've ever done. Because I feel like to every person with a pulse, it came off like some weird Hogan bullshit happened. Tyler, you go first. I actually, as weird as it sounds, I had the opposite reaction. 12-year-old me popped for that finish because to me that meant Hulk Hogan was back and wrestling was going to get good again. I had no idea what was coming. And the thing, too, is entirely Tyler's point. I mean, let's be honest. Hulk Hogan was a huge deal in Canada. So even though Brett you know, lost a title, is still a guy who was revered by Canadian wrestling fans is a champion again. Particularly in Toronto so the, and Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in my case, at this time, I'm, I'm in eighth grade. Um, and a lot of the kids, they weren't watching wrestling anymore. They were, they were getting out of it. So it really wasn't a topic of conversation. Among my peers, you know, so it really didn't, it really didn't matter because I mean, they were just, they were getting that age where wrestling and just wrestling wasn't really cool anymore. So, I mean, the other thing I should add is, you know, we loved Bret Hart. Like me and my friends as kids were never really big Hogan fans. We were, see, that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. A lot of the kids, that I grew up with were huge Hogan fans, but even this didn't get them back into watching it. So, right. right. But I mean, like we were always more, even among like, you know, the big guys, we liked warrior better, but it was always more like warrior rockers, bulldogs, heart foundation, Steiners. I mean, a lot of the tag teams, certainly 
You know, and then, you know, Babyface Mr. Perfect and guys like that. Yeah, I mean, I said, we just... Wrestling wasn't in anymore among my peer group where I was in school. So it just wasn't much of a topic of conversation. Everybody was talking about, um, at this point in time, it had been college basketball. The Final Four, Fat Five, Michigan, you know, in North Carolina. That was a huge topic of discussion around that time period. NBA, you know, what's going on in the playoffs. It pivoted to those to those sports, not wrestling. All right, Dave. At this point, Hogan came out of Fuji Jones. I mean, if I thought Hogan said he was more concerned with Brett and getting the title, boy, if there was ever a more ultimate work, but Brett told him to take the match and take the title. Ultimate work number two. Fuji Jones throws salt, Hogan duck, clothesline, leg drop, one, two, three, new champion, all in 21 seconds, dud. It's just shocking that they did this finish because this is a, the complete opposite of any WWF finish you would expect. This wasn't what they did. And there's no bell. Just the whole thing is very awkward, regardless of what you think of it. It's not their mo. Yeah, very odd. All right, so let's talk about outside the ring stuff involved in the show. In Brantford, Connecticut, irate wrestling fans stormed the TCI of the South Central Connecticut cable offices on April 4 because of a computer malfunction that meant no WrestleMania. Police had to be called because the company workers felt threatened as the irate fans started pounding on the doors and windows. TCI, which re- reported 1.2 buy rate for the show, and had to credit customers $21,000 because the show didn't air, serves Branford, North Branford, East Haven, Guilford, Madison, North Haven, and Wallingford. It's bad enough this happens, but it's happening basically at the home base of the whole company. How? <laughs> That's crazy. All right, uh, Torch. They're, they're sent a note to cable companies for WrestleMania informing them that there would be an encore presentation in May on April 12th, but stressed, quote, the enclosed encore ad slicks are for the encore presentation, and they must not be run in any publication prior to April the 5th, unquote. Not surprisingly, Hogan was the only wrestler featured in the ad, which reads, quote, you won't believe what you almost missed. Really? Well, well I can hey. I tell you that was sent out. That's what that kind of throws uh, 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 some cold water on that whole thing. That this decision for Hogan getting the title was made just the week before the show, doesn't it? Yeah. It appears me did about a two point one percent buy rate, which would be about four hundred thirty thousand buys, roughly five point eight million grows for Titan. The buy rate would be the lowest of any previous WrestleMania, as was expected. But the amount of the drop between this year and the previous year would be less than has been the case for the past several years. In comparison with dropping buy rates across the board on their pay events, a small drop should be considered a success. And again, show that when it comes to pay-per-view because of its mainstream name appeal, which others lack, Hogan makes a huge difference. One could estimate that Hogan's appearance at this show was worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.2 million a Titan based on pay-per-view and hard to determine an additional amount when it comes to live gate. While CD's palace appear both live and on television be packed, all reports from the past week indicate more freebies in the crowd than initially thought. Well, on Las Vegas radio show this past weekend, a caller subscriber called to claim just hours before the show that he was part of a group that received $450 tickets in the first few rows as comps because it was so close to showtime and they knew it was too late to sell them. In addition, the host claimed he called the box office 30 minutes to the show asking if tickets were available, and they said they were. They believe Caesars received a lot of the tickets to give to their high rollers as well, although they paid tight a substantial rice fee well over the cost of what tickets would have brought if Titan had sold them for holding the event. 
between the rice fee and live gate, Titan probably made out a lot better financially from the live house, whether sold out or not. This year to last year, the Hoosier Dome, which had 62000 in the building. As for the aftermath, as judged from the poll results and responses to just about every place else, it didn't seem as if too many people were happy with the show, and quite a few were furious. Still, you got to figure with $1.2 million worth of business that Hogan brought to the table with him, that a good percentage of those folks are going to be happy. It's the person they paid to see came out on top at the end. And that's what matters in a lot of ways. I mean, did did we like this finish? No. But the people that came for Hulk Hogan, you saw the building, how the, they exploded when Hogan won. That's what mattered in the end. That's what mattered in and the then, moment. How it affected business long-term was the bigger thing. Well, you know, but here's the thing, though. I mean, that goes into your writing, the booking. Your moment, the aftermath of the moments goes to that, not the moment itself. Sure. But it wasn't good booking anyway. No, but, you know, I mean, Hogan was still at this time considered business. But it's how they hound him afterwards that kind of blew everything up. So. And Chris, I would say that his WCW run, at least at the beginning, proved if he would have been invested in coming back full time, I think he could have made a difference. It was winning and taking off that was the problem. Yes. Well, that's what happens here. He wins a title and then he's hardly ever around. You know? Skedaddles. He's fucking working New Japan. (laughs) Where he buries the WWF championship. So. And then accidentally politics himself out of winning the IWGP championship because Muda went to Choshu and I think Inoki and was like, if he's going to bury Vince's title to appease us, how can we trust him not to do the same thing to us? Yeah. Yeah, so Hogan, he made some some missteps politically in, in this time period, which is odd for him. Yes, he got out-politicked by uh, the great Muda, or as Ric Flair would call him, the great Waba. <laughs> uh, so Rothamania is the first time that ever happened, 1993. It was taped on March 22nd. <laughs> um, feature footage of uh, the show with Gino in the backstage interview Yokozuna Mr. Fuji. We know the Fuji filed protests over Yoko's title last previous night. The whole Coco sign was not official match. We'll have that interview coming up in a minute. Bam Bam Bigelow and Virgil Diamond Headpad 659. During the bout, there were loud chants of Virgil sucks. It was known that Rob Barkley was stranded in Las Vegas at the WrestleMania. Next, we get the first of uh, a couple of segments like this. Jerry Lawler was supposed to wrestle Jim Powers. Well, let's see what happens here. This is raw. This is right raw. And she's the reason Bartlett didn't make it back from Las Vegas. This contest is one of the Rosati sisters. Yes, one of the Rosati sisters and Red Fishnets. Broadcast coming on WWF Superstars. A legend in his own life. The King Jerry Lawler. Not to be confused with Jerry the King Lawler. And flowing through his veins, the blood of royal extraction. Although apparently these ladies with this. Let's look. Why does Lawler always have bangs in the WWF at this point, but not elsewhere? I don't know. Just wait, does his hair. It looks weird. He's got it, like, flattened in a way. 
Yeah. First of all, let me say something to each and every one of you imbecilic idiots. I am the king of wrestling, and I am used to being treated with respect. When I walk down that aisle, you idiots should bow down and kiss my feet. Royal feet. They're saying Burger King, I believe. You idiots go say Burger King. I'm walking out of here. Well, and if y'all keep saying Tracy sucks. If they say Burger King one more time, I'm out of here. Look at this! Don't tell me. Are you kidding me? Jerry Lawler protesting, leaving, and speaking of a protest, let's take you now to Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna. Mr. Fuji filing a formal well, we'll play this now. World Wrestling Federation President Jack Cuddy on behalf of Yokozuna, claiming he should still be. The World Wrestling Federation champion, notwithstanding his defeat. Be that as it may, and then from there. You claim there was never an official contract between Hulk Hogan and Yokozuna. You state the match wasn't even sanctioned. Jack Tunney. I mean, there was no bell. Decision to make. All right. Fuji doesn't even cut a pro. Yeah. No, he doesn't. All right. So next, we get Bob back on the Rakim Chi and 358 with a roll to a bridge. Then Damian Demento and Jim Brunzel in 507 with a jump and knee drop. During the battle, Rob Bartlett called in the Vince McMahon and Randy Savage on the phone calling from Las Vegas, wondering why no one was at Raw the previous week. Because it was a tape show. Because there was no, well, no, there was no Raw the previous week because it was March to WrestleMania. Yeah, so I was saying it was a tape show, Raw at March to WrestleMania. Bartlett then said he had no money and was stuck in Vegas. McMahon hung up on him, claimed there was a bad connection. When Barlett asked for help getting back, Brunzet. When Barlett asked for help getting getting back, Brunzet used "Crank It Up" as his theme song for the match. <laughs> what is he working a dark match yet in a tryout? <laughs> so next we get Jerry the King Lawler. We're gonna try this one more time. Let's go to the clip. So is this the okay? Yeah. He knows Randy Macho Man Savage. Uh oh, I think I hear that chat again. I'll tell you, it's not going to get any better. These are all friends of mine. Right here, I know these people. You can hear them with the Burger King chat. Saintly. Uh, nonetheless, it looks like Mr. Lawler is going to grace us, if you would, with his presence and actually wrestle. Thumbs down for Mr. Lawler? Well, not yet. Let's see what he can do in the squared circle. It's not tough. Forget these hot dogs, too. It's a good thing he wasn't at WrestleMania yesterday. He would have been booed out of the Roman Coliseum. The King is leaving. It's been heralded as the greatest WrestleMania of all time. Ah. The World Wrestling Federation's premier extravaganza was a show of majesty, pageantry, <laughs> and riveting non-stop action. Witness the drama. I do miss this old WrestleMania music. They should bring it back. As the World yes. Wrestling Federation title changed hands not once, 
but twice. If you missed WrestleMania before, don't miss it again. If you saw it once, it's worth seeing again. WrestleMania 9, relive the legend next Monday night. <laughs> okay, so they always... Going head-to-head head against Live Raw. <laughs> but also, they always... In the years, they pushed the replays hard, especially, like, in the mid-90s. Yeah. They always... They always included that line about, if you watch it, watch it again. Like, is the assumption that these are people who don't have VCRs but are willing to spend $30 on the same pay-per-view twice in a week? Maybe. And they're probably something they did. But mind yourself, they kind of program their own programming. Like uh, ring, uh, go, like having the Ring of Honor pay-per-view against Rampage. <laughs> well, but Ring anyway. of Honor is Tony Khan's company. Uh, AEW well. is not owned by Tony Khan. Mm, okay. Um, next, we get the Steiners beating the Beverly Brothers 1056 with Scott Pim Blake with a Frankensteiner. Prior to the battle, it was known that the Steiners had challenged the winners of the previous night's tag title match. So there's that. Next, we get Jerry Lawler, who finally pinned Jim Powers in 660 on the pile driver and used tights for leverage. Following the commercial break, Vincent Mann conducted an interview with the commentary table in which Lawler insulted the crowd and Randy Savage. And you know where this is going to lead. So, let's go to the clip. Wait, where's that? I might have not have put that cue that one up because the only one I have left is the challenge clip. By mistake. Uh, I'm going to... Yeah. Unless the URL is wrong here. Let's see. Okay, yeah, that is the right one. Wait. It looks like the king wants to call a macho man out. We'll be back as we continue with more Monday Night Raw. Actually, before that, we should also just note how off the gas Jim Powers is here. Yeah, he don't like 1988 Jim Powers. Oh, no, he does not. Jerry Lawler on Monday Night Raw. Off the rope and a back body drop. A year later, he's uh, not under contract anymore, and he looks like the old Jim Powers again, if not bigger. Yeah. Whips him to the rope again, sets him up. No, one time too many. Did you see that? His hair is still magnificent, though. Maybe even better without the steroids. We're watching, all right. Up goes Jimmy Powell with a power driver. The cover. You can tell this is like hour four of the tape. He's got a handful of tights. I just noticed. <laughs> um, for his first ever match on WWF television, uh, Lawler appears to have gotten all of the body hair not on his chest completely waxed off. Yeah, he's nice and and smooth here. Yeah, absolutely. Because he is a notoriously hairy guy. And yes, and he has Vince, his sweaters. Vince is not a fan of that. No. So, we, you know, we don't got any armpit hair. We don't got any hair, like, kind of on the side of his chest, on his back. Not, he, he's able to keep his chest hair because he's Jerry Lawler, but that's it. Yeah, that's why, that's why Dutch always wore a shirt. <laughs> well, he wore two. Yeah. Hey, Kevin Owens was the first WWE... F.E. wrestler since the expansion to have visible armpit hair, right? Yes, I think so. I don't know if anyone else has gone away from that, but it seems like he got an allowance to do it. 
which that's a whole other thing. I'm trying to remember, where was it even that I first heard that story where Vince was like, oh, I like my wrestlers to shave under their arms. But I don't remember. But anyway. They don't like him here at the Manhattan Center. I can tell you that. Lawler strutting his stop victorious in his debut on Monday Night Raw. He would have this capacity crowd bow to him and perhaps kiss his feet. I'm going to chill out right now, Vince McMahon. I can't stand to hear it, listen to it, or uh, He's watch. looking over your way right now. That's what he's like. Oh, really? Get this way. It looks like the king wants to call a macho man out. We'll be back as we continue with our Monday Night Raw. so sure randy savage it seems to me that maybe it seems to me that the king lawler's headed over this way did they just do two commercials back to back (laughs) yeah this is a pre-taped show what's going on i know they're backloading the commercials like i know yes we're back and jerry the king lawler here with the macho man randy savage we couldn't help but overhear a few comments uh, from you when you were uh, having your match there directed toward the Macho Man Randy Savage. You know, you Macho Man and all the rest of this scum from the Rotten Apple are right where you belong, sitting nice and comfortable in a little chair watching the greatest wrestler in the world in the ring. He said the rest of this scum from the Big Apple. So rotten apple. Well, excuse me, rotten apple. Is the implication there supposed to be that fans know about Savage's home in Staten Island? I just think he's comparing them to the people in the building. I guess I don't. But know. I mean, he said the rest of. That's why. But that could just right. be speaking awkwardly. Whatever. Yeah. It's easy for all of you to run your mouth when you're sitting in your little seat. All of you gutless wonders. The only thing that's athletic about any of you is your feet. And that goes for you too, Macho Man. You don't have the ah, sticky to feet. get in the ring yeah. with the real king. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, okay, well, thank you very much to King Jerry Lawler, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, who's got nothing but guts. Okay. Uh, and he just punched it. But... And then didn't say anything. This is a weird show. <laughs> It, it's just different time, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Um, what a weird segment. Yeah, Raw was clunky. Raw was definitely clunky. That's for sure. In the in this early days, on the shows, yeah, uh, most of the shows are really fun. On these earlier shows, on the weeks where they miss, they miss badly. Yeah. All right, so uh, the announcement was made on April 10th on the syndicated television that Hulk Hogan will be keeping a title. Hogan will work a few house shows in May, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh that they knew of, which he believed would be tag match against Money, Inc. And the first time the fans will be at the King of the Ring pay-per-view show in June. Pay-per-view show Kazuna. That's the thing. <clears throat> he only defended the title once, and that's where he lost the belt. He never defended the title at all from Mania until King of the Ring. Ronnie Garvin defended the title more than Hulk Hogan did here. And this is a much bigger deal because it's Hulk Hogan, WF, you know. Uh-huh. That's just insane. 
Hogan has recently been filming a two-hour CBS television pilot called Thunder in Paradise. If CBS picks up the series, Hogan will leave Wrestling October for about 13 weeks of production. Was it one of their production companies, or was it, like, earmarked for CBS initially? One of them. I don't know which. But, yeah, I mean, the, the thought at the time was it was going to be a network show. Yes. Hogan also signed this past week for the May 3rd show, the Fukuoka Dome, World Face IWGP champion, Great Muda, in which Dave Guest will be a non-title match. Most reports are that Hogan, starting sometime in June, will go back on the road, work with Yokozuna on a fairly regular schedule, three days per week, with Jim Duggan filling the program where Hogan isn't booked. Sure! Uh, okay. fix this, clip. This, is the, this is the clip we already played with uh, the Yoko the interview with Oh, gotcha. It was in the two separate things. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Looking at the company credits page on IMDb, was Reicher part of CBS? They did shows. And they're not directly, I don't think. But they had shows on multiple networks. Okay. Because that was Saved by the Bell. Was Reicher? Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks, so. Um... Is there anything else we got here uh, the, 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 from the or, or actual original run? Yeah, nothing I see. So I guess the idea was it was earmarked for CBS, but CBS didn't want it. Um, one thing I, I forgot to bring up, and I should have brought it up earlier, but I'm going to bring it up now and I'm thinking about it. And um, I'll get you on this, Tyler. Um, we talked about the finish of WrestleMania and how, you know, Hogan winning the title, how the place exploded. It is crazy to think that every WrestleMania up until the year 2000 ended with a babyface winning. Yeah, That's it's like, yeah, it's crazy to think about. And I was kind of doing the math on this. What I would consider a transitional champion in this time period would be one pay-per-view cycle. Um, there hadn't been a heel champion since superstar Billy Graham at this point that was anything more than a transitional champion. Mm-hmm. Until Yoko's run after King of the Ring, and even that was originally supposed to end at SummerSlam. Mm -hmm. And even so then, the, I mean, even then, Graham was a transitional champion, just not the way we're used to it. Because the plan was no, always for him to lose the title on the day that he lost the title. So from 1963 to here, 30 years later, Graham was the only one, even though he... I, I agree with you. You can classify him as transitional, but at least it was almost a year. There weren't bad guys that ever had the title. No? No, and then, you, I mean, and then after 2000, you know, we get, get more of it, but even then, it's not as much. So, nope. technically, the year after they do the same thing. It ends up with the heel because Austin turns during the match, and then I think it's years again before they have a heel in the last match. Yeah, because just Triple H and and and, and Toronto, he's babyface, yep. then Brock, Benoit, Batista, Cena, Cena, Undertaker, Triple H as babyface, Undertaker and Shawn, which both are babyfaces, Miz. It did, at my WrestleMania at the Georgia Dome. Miz, uh, but with The Rock standing tall, kind of. Yeah. And then Rock, Cena, Brian, Rollins at 31. But, that, I mean, that was something the crowd reacted to like a baby face, and they surely would have known that. 
Then uh, Babyface Roman at 32. Then we have Heel Roman at 33. Uh, Brock at 34. That wasn't Heel Roman. I mean, he was right. You're right. Heel. He... No, him and Undertaker were, yeah, him and Undertaker were kind of Babyface, Babyface. Then Brock, Becky. Then um, I don't count the COVID mania. Then I mean, you have Reigns. Like Babyface is up at the end anyway. Yeah, then Reigns, Reigns, and Reigns. Well, uh, and uh, at the, I mean, well, if we're going with each night, then uh, what, uh, Bianca Belair and Steve Austin. So you're looking at that. I, so, so yeah, Roman Reigns. And Strong. Two, three, four, five out of the last eight WrestleManias. Ace to tell at the end. How about that? All right. Um, based on what occurred on TV this past week, and shows that have been partially announced in certain cities. It appears that for May, they have house show marriages will like something like this. One show will have a triple headliner of Brett and Lex, Duggan and Yokozuna, and Sean and Perfect. The other ones will have Undertaker, John Gonzalez, Crush, Doink, and Steiner's Money, Inc. The only program shot at TV on April 6th in Tucson was the name between Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka, which would also involve Sensational Sherry and Luna Vachon. So Michaels is being taken out of the focal point of that feud. Yeah, he was. All right, TV. Raw did a 2.4, its lowest rating ever. Because it went up against the Nash Championship game, like I was talking about earlier. Which being that was the death of Mania, it seemed like a terrible sign, but you factor went head-to-head with the, the final... The championship game, it was not a bad rating. All-America did a 2.3. Mania did a 1.0. Now, I have a, a quick question, Chris, just before we go on. Um, so I watched – the first thing I did when I got the WWE Network was I went back and watched all of these original Raws because they didn't air here in Canada. I've never heard you guys talk about on the show, and I'm not sure how big of a deal it was, but when they switched from primetime to Raw – did they lose an hour of primetime television? It just never yes. seems to get brought up. Yes, yes. That is an interesting point. Yes. Yeah, they did. Because it was their primetime was two hours. But it makes sense because Vince has never programmed a two-hour show before. Like, as far as a no. real first-run show. No, it was always one hour. Primetime's a clip show. So if you're moving to a first-run show... Certainly don't want to stretch yourselves too thin. It makes sense that it would be an hour show. But I do wonder how that affected the way they did their syndication package for ad sales and stuff. Suddenly there's an hour television that's not there. Although, wait, no, they added Mania. So it's not in prime time, but they still have the same amount of hours of television on USA. And did USA use the second hour to try and launch new shows? I know in these first draws they keep mentioning Matrix. Oh, yeah. I mean, that becomes a staple of... Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, had Silk Stalking started airing on USA yet? Uh, I think at this point in time, I think it's still CBS. That sounds right. Then still just CBS at this point. Yeah. All right. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Debuting on TV on April the 5th, tapings and feelings for the Mad Monk. Mike Shaw, who immediately was put into a program with Typhoon as he attacked him with a wooden staff. The Smoking Guns, aka the Long Riders, might not be up doing a cowboy tag gimmick. Ron and Don Harris, and Mr. Hughes, who were several televised matches, so he got a job. Working dark matches were Butch Bearden, who may have been the Night Stalker, Lightning Kid, who did a job for Luce McCulley in a non televised match, 
and a guy named Tex Deaton, who did a job for the Brooklyn Brawler, but who is definitely not Joel Deaton. Luna Vachon did an out-of-control interview regarding Sherry. No angles other than they did the perfect Michaels IC time match. We saw a dusty finish. Ref bump. Perfect. Perfect flex. Second ref counts to fall. Awards perfect the title. First ref reverses it, and the two refs argue. Actually, perfect left with the title, but 30 minutes later, Jack Tunney overruled the decision. Same decision, but the original ref stands. Boy, did they really fall in love with doing dusty finishes in Coliseum video exclusives around this time. Tex Deaton. I mean, we get Butch Bearden in a minute, but not Tex Deaton. No. Steve Kern didn't appear, but was backstage dressed up like Doyton number two. Well, about that, let's go to the torch. Matt Bourne's wife was upset by reports that her husband in his doink outfit was hanging around backstage with another woman. It turns out it wasn't Bourne, but it was Steve Kern in the doink costume. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he told his wife that. <laughs> Butch Bearden, who worked the Phoenix Stevens on April 5th, wasn't a nice stalker suggested here, but the Higante Warrior Butch Masters. Dave believes Bearden is his real last name. Anyway, he was so impressive that he got one way to get back to where he came. <laughs> Steve the Wild Thing Ray from Kansas City, as opposed to the GWF wrestler from Summer Name, also had a tryout and wasn't impressive in Arizona. Mr. Hughes was pushed pretty hard as a heel on television. Lightning Kid beat Luis Piccoli on April 6th. Tucson taping a match that Dave was told nearly stole the show. Dave suspects Kid, Kid would be brought in, and if so, he'll be the first 200-pounder to get a job in recent memory. Yeah, and I believe uh, that tryout match is on Hidden Gems as well, isn't it? Yeah, which is why he got over so hard. It's because of his size and everything. He's completely different. He's just so different, yeah. And, I mean, credit to Sean, too, that... Yes, I mean, great heels tend to make great baby faces, especially unless, you know, except for certain types of heels. But he had never really been a baby face for most of his career up to this point. Yeah. He was a heel who was, like, taunting the crowd over being this tall, skinny guy, you know, doing bodybuilder poses and stuff. Yeah. Jim Ross replaced Gorilla Monsoon as lead announcer on Wrestling Challenge. Torch. Some insiders are speculating that Heenan's going to hold a grudge against Tor Torch Ross for replacing Monsoon on Challenger pay reviews due to his friendship with Monsoon, but that hasn't been seen yet. I mean, here's the thing. Ross and Gorilla were already friends before Ross worked for the company. So I doubt there was any truth to that. No, there wasn't. There, well, there was never any signs of Heenan having heat towards Ross. No. No. Um, I mean, like Ross, I brought up on here before, like, my dad saw them openly hanging out at a nappy once, but when they were working for the opposite companies, just chilling, yeah, smoking they, cigars. They knew each other. <laughs> yeah, they knew each other. Absolutely. Now, Wade thought Ross and Ashley's job announced the manual was refreshing change from Monsoon, even by WS standards, was terrible on the World Rumble in January. Rossi and Julian excited about being there. Randy Savage, though, was terrible. It won't deliver Ross at times. Heenan was great, and hopefully they'll build a chemistry together over the next few weeks, which should be fun. Hopefully Heenan can bring out the sense of humor in Ross, which has really been seen the past few years in WCW. And they did work well together. Um, uh, and even though Ross and Heenan on paper at this time is the best fit you, of where you could slot Ross, I always thought it was weird, though, that you put him on the B-show. Even if Gorilla was the pay-per-view announcer and on the B-show, too— I mean, it, it's all because Vince is producing the shows and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I just, 
it felt weird that you're debuting him on pay-per-view as this big signing. And then he goes straight to Wrestling Challenge. And he's this non-entity outside of King of the Ring. Tyler, what, what were your thoughts on Ross coming in here and uh, replacing Monsoon? I was so happy to see him at the beginning of WrestleMania. I had no idea um, that he was moving over. I just noticed he wasn't on Saturday night anymore. And it was kind of like the best commentator in WCW coming to the WWF. So I was thrilled that he was there. Oh, yeah. The show I mean, felt it, so it, much fresher with him. Yes. And between yeah. adding Raw and how different that TV show was from their other TV shows and Ross coming in for pay-per-views and challenge, they did get a nice coat of paint in the early part of 93 on the TV. Yeah. All right, speaking of TV, back to the torch. There's been talk of changing the format to the syndicate TV program starting with tapings in May, especially concerning changes in how hot shows are advertised. McMahon's idea is apparently the stand-up promo reviews were in the style in the 70s, the chroma key event centers were in style in the 80s, and he wants to come up with a new way to promote house shows for the 90s. With Sean Mooney's recent voluntary departure from WF, the door's open for a new look as it is. Mooney was said to be burnt out doing event centers for eight hours a day, five days a week. He's now newly married and has signed with a talent agency in New York with no plans to come back to wrestling, but there have been talking in WCW that they were interested in him. And this leads, this is what leads to face-to-face. Yes. So, yeah, Mooney, uh, Mooney had it tough, man. If you, I mean, if you think about it. And I could, and I could get it why he wanted out of, out of that. I mean, of all the announcing jobs in that company, can you imagine one that's just more miserable to get through day-to-day than being the person doing the event centers in this era? Oh, God. And then, and then you have to do. I mean, he's doing an announcing too with uh, with Lord Alfred on, you know, Coliseum video stuff. He's doing uh, primetime wrestling stuff. He's doing, you know, Spotlight. international yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, Sean Mooney was one of the hardest working dudes in that company for a long time. Yes. And he and and Sean Mooney's a guy who had plenty of career opportunities. The dude was, before he came to WF, I mean, he was one of the top producers for Major League Baseball Productions. That's right. I forgot about that. Yes. And then he leaves WF and becomes local news. Yeah, I was here in New York on Channel get, 9, WOR, on and off for years. Yeah. It was definitely different when I had him around. Cause, I mean, Gene gets in there. But then it's like the revolving door after Gene leaves, you know? Joe Fowler, Charlie Min. Charlie Min. Stephanie Wyand. Did Steph- oh, yeah, Tamara Murphy. Did. Yeah, Stephanie, Wy- Stephanie Wyand did do oh, it. Oh, she sure way. did. Yeah. Tamara Murphy. Well, that was live event news by then, but yes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So they cha- yeah, it's changed in, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, I, right. I, I get the idea. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I get the idea with face-to-face, kind of having the more direct dueling promos. Like, it was... A, good idea yeah i don't know if it really worked but you get the idea yeah all right paris france april the 8th this is the after mania european tour and we got uh five thousand fans frank anderson over terry taylor in your opening match oh i guess we know now who was responsible for bringing him to wcw (laughs) 
Kamal over Kim Chi, Typhoon over Damian Demento, Yokozuna over Jim Duggan, Sean retaining the IC title beating Bob Backlund, Crush over Doink the Kern by Countout, Head Shrinkers went to WDQ with the Nasty Boys, and Perfect over the Narcissist by DQ. Yes. Um, do you think Terry Taylor, when he got to the back, just watched Kim Chi versus Kamala with a wistful look in his eyes? <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, April 11th, they did a live special in Sheffield, England, which aired on exclusively on the Sky Channel in the UK, with Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan announcing. The main event was the narcissist against Jim Duggan. Anyway, Mr. Perfect and Yokozuna both interfered to set up. Duggan and Yokozuna against Perfect and Luger as headliners for the rest of the tour. The results of this show fought two of Brian Nobbs, Doink the Kern over Kamala, Perfect over Samu, Bob Backlund over Damian Demento, Typhoon over the Brooklyn Brawler, Crush beat Sean in the IC title match by countout, and then Luger over Duggan by disqualification. I like how uh, Lombardi is working two different gimmicks on this tour and could easily work a third if he needed to. <laughs> they were pushing Mr. Nanny heavily on the British telecast as the movie just opened there. It's about the same when it opens up here. Nope. No, it was not. And now we go to the tours to close the show. Bret Hart was the lowest paid WF champion in many years. Not a shock, hey, Tyler? No, not at all. Uh, and I think he writes about it in his book that they told him when they were giving him the belt that most of the perks were going away. Which he said he was fine with for the most part. Like, because the perk, what was it? It was private locker room, which Bret said he had zero problem with not having because he preferred to be one of the boys. Um... Limo. I'm curious if they still paid for his car travel, though. If they weren't paying for the limo. Like, were they at least paying for his rentals or whatever? Um, fruit basket in the locker room. I think those were the main things, right? Something yeah, like that. that's that's what I remember. But I'd also say at this point, he's the lowest, lowest drawing champion in years, wouldn't he be? Oh, thank you, Jerry Briscoe. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, I mean, he's been doing well relative to where things were. You know, he only had, you know, you know, in a company with the type of booking they do and without having any real hot issues, he was only champion for, you know, less than six months. Yeah. Yeah. Just the time, the timing, everything, too. And also, they booked uh, him differently from every previous champion, too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, you have to, you know, worst case scenario, it's still something you need to be treating as an experiment and that you either need to commit to or you're not even trying. Yeah, but the thing is, Brett had been champion now for, we won in October? Yeah, so almost six months. It was October 12th. I guess in their mind, that was plenty of time. So. But again, he didn't have any programs, really. Well... All right, uh, Joe Pettacino hosted Jim Ross's radio show on WSB Radio in Atlanta at the same time WrestleMania was on the air. And at 9.45 p.m. Eastern time, Joe took phone calls, most of which were asking him why there were no more re- why there was no more wrestling block on Channel 69. <laughs> yeah, Joe basically, I mean, he simulcast the matches, too, um, from WrestleMania. But, um, yeah, I remember this. Yeah, 
That's what people want to talk about more than anything else. Why don't we have wrestling on 69 anymore? <laughs> and it had been since September 92? Around that time, August, September. So, yeah, it's still fresh in people's minds. Where's my wrestling? I wonder if uh, Conrad has this one up on the Patreon. <clears throat> no idea. All right, now we got some Hulk Hogan shit to close out. This is good. The rumors are flying all week regarding Hogan's black eye. The water skiing story seems to have been discredited during the week in favor of Hogan being the recipient of a punch. One source said Hogan's wife, Linda, was telling people he wanted to adore at a Florida gym. Given the tumultuous relationship between Hogan and Savage, of course, rumors began that Savage was the one who punched him. In fact, that was a story in both the WCW and WF locker rooms all week. Savage, again, definitely was not as enthused as he should have been with Hogan being the champion, if you notice. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's ever been anything to really substantiate that it happened. And I think there is verification that he had the jet ski accident a week or so before, right? Yeah. Like, isn't there something like, um, isn't there like something to the story that like one of the other Tampa guys, like the way that, what was it, Brian Blair kind of saved Beefcake's life, that someone did the same for Hogan here, even though it was much less severe? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I can see it, certainly. But there's different stories going around, so who knows? I think he got punched. <laughs> I mean, it's an, uh, it's a very specific black eye. He doesn't have anything else that's swollen. Exactly. He got dings right in the eye, whatever happened. Yeah. This isn't someone who broke their nose and has two black eyes or anything like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, and last but not least, Hulk Hogan was featured in the latest National Enquirer, an exclusive article. Quote, unquote, first, exclusive article. Yes. <clears throat> if this, <clears throat> the, this is the article talking. At first, the Hulk Hogan role was just a gimmick for the wrestler, a character to play in the ring. But playing that role opened his eyes to the kind of man he should be and made him leave behind the Hellraiser he had been. Hogan said... I was a suicidal maniac. I thought I could drink this, drink that, drive all night long. It didn't matter. And I took steroids. I was lost, man, totally lost. Until God and Hulk Hogan took my hand and saved my life. Sure, I made mistakes, but now my little Hulkamaniacs, you can believe in Hulk Hogan because I am a true American superhero and I'll never let you down. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> what is he even saying the timeline of this is <laughs> he doesn't because it's like we know he had I don't know if he was ever at the point where he was an addict in terms of his drug abuse but we know he had his dabblings and more with cocaine and the like but no he's talking about drinking Bix drinking is he only saying drinking? He said, drink this drink. Okay, yeah, you're right. He does technically only say drinking. Because um, he's sort of implying, like, this is how I became a Christian. But we know that was a thing for him for quite a while. So I, I'm i trying to figure out what he thinks he's saying and why. Yeah. It's a National Enquirer, so... I mean, if it's a quote, it's probably a quote he actually gave them. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I don't think the Inquirer was in the habit of making up quotes from named celebrity. 
Although, as we yeah. saw with the thing from, was it Daily Mail with The Rock a few years ago? Although, that was a freelancer. That was a whole weird thing. But I guess it can happen, but it's not likely. Just wild shit. Wild, wild shit. Hulk Hogan always involved with some chicanery here. All right, Tyler be back with us later on the show. So let's go to the Land of the Rising Sun. All Japan Pro Wrestling leads us off. Have a couple of interesting looking shows for the week. On April the 7th at Oita Prefectural Gym in front of 2800. We have Satoru Osaka over at Masao Inoue. Doug Furness and Kurt Beyer, Dick Beyer's son, over at Mighty Inoue and Takamori. Yeah, Giant Baba, Mitsuo Momoda, and Rush Kimura over Haruka Egan, Masafuchi, and Rumi Zamita. Then you had Toshiko Kawada and Shoshi Kikuchi over Richard Slinger and the Eagle. Then you have Akira Tawa Yoshinara over Joel Deaton and Stan Hansen. Not Tex Deaton, but Joel Deaton. Which is why Joel Deaton, that was not Joel Deaton, because Joel Deaton's in Japan at the WF show. Um, Champion Carnival Tournament, Johnny Ace over the Patriot. Dr. F.C. Williams over David Boy Smith. Mitsuharu Masao over Dan Crawford. And Kenneth Kabashi went to a 30-minute draw with Terry Gordy. And then April 11th at the Kawago Citizen Gym in front of 1,700 fans. We have Mitsuo Momoto over Masao Inoue. Takao Mori over Kurt Beyer. Yoshinara Gawa over Torosako. Giant Baba, Mighty Inoue, and Rush Kimura over Haruka Ega, Masafuji, and Rumi Zamita. Richard Slinger and Dr. Death over the Eagle and the Patriot. Then we had champion carnival matches, Dan Crawford over Doug Furness. This was not a televised show, by the way. It was a big cool match to see. Kenokabashi over Dave Boy Smith. Akira Tawi over Terry Gordy, one of the biggest wins of his career so far. And then Mr. Amasawa, Toshiya Kawada, and Shoshikuchi over Joel Deaton, Johnny Ace, and Stan Hans. So yeah, Crawford over Furness. I think that was their first ever singles match in all Japan. I'm trying to remember if they had wrestled in any of the previous carnivals. Well, this is 93, so this is, let's see, the carnival started back up when, 91? One? Yeah, 91. All right, so, let's see here, okay, champion carnival. All right, 91, they were on separate blocks, they never wrestled. Okay, and 92. 92, separate blocks. Three, 93, wrestled. one block, yeah. There you go. Um, so, did any of Davies' matches t- make TV, or do we just have the handheld with Kawada? Uh, I'm not sure, because I'm not there yet in 93. I'm in 92 right now. Because I don't think I've ever seen... I mean, I've seen a lot of the 93 TV. I don't think I've ever seen any Davy stuff from this tournament on TV. Yeah, I don't remember if anything made it. He was still good and capable, but... The style- He's about to go to WCW. Well, and also the style of the promotion had just... Well, no, he's already in WCW. That's right, because he's Super Brawl. That's right. Yeah. He's there. He he came in, then left, and then came back. But it just... It, he doesn't fit anymore. Well, there's... All Japan does that. You know, they had guys that they would, left, that they would bring back that were considered fits, and then they come back, and they're not the same guy anymore. Yeah. That happens. So... But still, yeah, uh, this is the, a banner year for this promotion. So, uh, yeah, a lot going on here. Last That's how we're recording year, big win. Uh, last, last full year with the hour-long TV show. Yeah. All right, uh, speaking of, good uh, good segue, the April 4th television show drew a poor 1.9 rating. Aww. 
because the show was moved to 1.30, from 1.30 to 2.25 in the morning. One hour later than usual, pretty much an impossible period to draw a large viewing audience. Even with the Masawa Kawada match headlining. On April 11th, the show aired the Masawa Hanson main event. Well, I mean, you air it, you moved it to, to that time and stuff like that. I mean, what do you expect the ratings are going to be? You know? Yeah. And it, what wasn't that the wasn't that the blame for why they took it off? Was the ratings? Or they why cut they the cut time? it down? Uh, yeah. I guess so, but the ratings went down because they moved it into worse times. Well, is that well? There you go. <laughs> Who are you to blame? There's, I mean, you got the network's to blame. Anyway, after this tour, Kurt Byer will return home. When he comes back, he'll wrestle under hood as the Destroyer Junior, which does not happen. No, it does not. He does come back. Into ninety. That's Kurt Byer. Yes, but he's always Kurt Byer. Although Cage Match says he did wrestle as Intelligent Sensational Destroyer at some point, though. Not in all Japan, I don't think. I'm trying to see if we actually have results on here. No, the only results on here for Destroyer are him teaming with his dad. Yeah. Um, I also forget that he was already in all Japan before his dad's retirement match. Mm-hmm. It was not his debut. Mm-mm. No. They saw a photo of the April 10th Kenokabashi Dan Crawford match, which debuted a new move. Only way to describe it is it appears to start with Crawford doing a backwards superplex off the middle rope on Kabashi, but dropping him straight down like a DDT. Oh, so the you couldn't tell from the photos necessarily, but it's the debut, I guess, of the uh, inverted superplex. Well, yeah, but Dave's saying he dropped it down head first, only like a DDT, though. No, but he's saying it... But... Oh, okay. I see. When he says backward superplex, I'm thinking backdrop suplex. So you think he's saying that it was the um, it was a second rope? Uh, what do you call it? Like the reverse frame buster? Yes. Okay. I don't remember Crawford ever doing that though. Well, that was a house show match, so I don't know. I'm trying to maybe remember he didn't who do it did... on TV. I remember El Samurai being the first person to do that. Yeah, he he did it. Him and then who it was uh Axel Rotten was the first to do it in the States. <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> the, uh, yes, the reverse frame All right, New Japan Pro Wrestling now. Uh the biggest thing was the April sixth Sumo Hall show in which Ricky Choshu gained revenge from the Tokyo Dome pinning Tenukarichiro in the main event of a lackluster lineup for such a big show. But no sellout. Yoshiaki Fujiwara was there to set up his match at the Fukuoka Dome show and shook hands with Antonio Inoki. Also introduced to the fans was Kentaro Oki, a.k.a. Kim 3, who's the most famous wrestler ever in Korea, and like Inoki, parlayed his wrestling fame into high political office. All right, the results of this show in front of 11,500. Osama Nishimura over Tokumichi Isizawa. Satoshi Kojima and Hiroshi Yamamoto, the future Tenzan, teaming together as young lions here. Over Yuji Nagata, Manabu Nakanishi. Takashi Ishikawa, y- y- Yuki Ishikawa, over Michio Shiohara. Ultimo Dragon, Norio Naga, and uh, teamed up to beat Jushin Thunder Liger and El Samurai. Hiromichi Fuyuki and Tasto Shigoto team with Kukirahara to beat Akito Saido, Kengo Kamara, and Shiro Koshinaka. Then we have a Hawk and Power Warrior over Masahiro Chono and Takuki Yazuka. The Hellraisers, uh, Hawk and Power Warrior. And then you have a uh, Super Strong Machine and Shirahara over Osama Kido and Tetsumi Fujinami and Choshu over Tenru. So it's a New Japan war combo show as they're uh, 
working together deeply here. But, um, yeah, I mean, this looks like a show. It's a one-match show. We got Choshu and Tinder as the main event. We don't need to go extra hard on the undercar. We got the sell. You know? Understandable. Yeah, I mean, sold out the house. <laughs> so, you know, it happens. You don't have to yeah. load up. You don't have to load up the undercard all the time when you have a, a heavy main event because then you can give away matches which you could use as main events down the line, you know, on yeah, smaller shows. Yes. Now, we do also have some original recipe war, and it looks delicious. Two days earlier at Cork and Hall in front of 2200, we have uh, Masari Hara over Nobukazarai, Rio Lord of the Jungle over Yuji Ashiroka. So that's Jungle Renegade. Or it's yeah. Renegade, that's right. I'm talking Jim Steele, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Renegade over Yuji Asuroka. El Samurai over Blue Demon Jr. Okay. Dick Slater over Yoshiro Ito. Sure. I didn't, why didn't Slater get a booking at Sumo Hall? I mean, put him in there. Uh, King Haku and Great Kabuki over Earthquake, John Tenta, and Ultimo Dragon. Sure. Shiroko Shinaka and King Okamura over Kunyan, and Kunyan Kobayashi over Ashurahara, Takashishikawa, and Koki Kitahara. Tenokurichiro and Hiromichi Fuyuki then beat Shinyanshimono and Michio Shiohara in the main event. I know we talk about Ohara on this show, and uh, I know Bix, you know, loves the Freedom Dogs and all that stuff, but <laughs> go back and watch Ohara as a rookie. He was like almost a super rookie for New Japan. I mean, they, he main evented some shows. They really had high high hopes for that guy. He never reached his full potential. He was probably at his best when he was a rookie. Hmm. Yeah. Because they treated him like this big time amateur wrestler deal. Like he's if if if, if O'Hara in that in that time period came around six years later, he'd be Kazuki Fujita. Makes sense. That's that's how they treated him. It surprised me because I, I really. I really didn't see a lot of O'Hara back in the day in this time period as far as like, it, you know, New Japan Classics at one point just decided basically we'll put the whole show on Classics. I mean, they did. They put the whole fucking shows that started, starting uh, in late 91. Every match yes. of, each, of all the TV tapings. So you're seeing all these undercard matches that you would never see on television. And, you know, O'Hara's like, wow, this guy like the real deal what happened <laughs> it's like he goes on an excursion and comes back and he ain't the same guy which happened to quite a few people <laughs> in the 90s in new japan also funny to watch guys it's funny to watch in that era osamu nishimura in his uh uh bright uh, light blue tights working like uh jim brun jumping jim brunzel in between his 35 different excursions well, this is no, not in between. He ain't done it yet. He's a rookie. Oh, a young okay. lion. Well, wait, wait, when, are, when are you talking about? 91, 92. When in 91, 92? Um, right now I'm in February for New Japan. He hasn't 91 been anywhere or 92? 92. Uh, no, Chris, you're forgetting about Don Chaman in Memphis. Well, he, if he's there, he ain't there long. Because, um... Yeah, I mean, he was um, he was still a young lion. Yeah, there's no uh, record of him in Memphis, Bix. 
Okay, well, I'm going to pull up a Dong Chaman match then to show you that it's him. <laughs> Let's see. Anyway, I mean, he's uh, throwing drop kicks. He's totally different type of worker. He's def- he definitely can tell that he's a Mudo disciple. Okay. Um, I wonder if there's a pro- wait. Dong Chaman cage match? No. Am I maybe spelling it wrong? I mean, I know it's him. Like, when I started getting better quality copies of that stuff, it was clearly Nishimura. It's him. Oh, okay. You're, you're acknowledging it's him. He worked three matches in Memphis. That you're able to, or at least house show matches. Yes, that's it. Where are you looking? He Wrestling to, data? He, yeah, he lost to Rob Zakowski. He lost to Danny Davis, and he beat Rob Zakowski. One of he has an all in a matter of uh, ten days TV match too. So, if you I mean if you want to call that an excursion, <laughs> I guess because all right. So he worked that's in June ninety one. Okay. okay. So he's he's on New Japan tour. He's in New Japan on June twenty third and working Memphis on June twenty fourth. So in other words, okay. he may have just been on vacation. Well. He's working Evansville on June 26th. He's back in New Japan on June 29th. Hmm. So obviously something happened. He's back in yeah. He's back in New Japan for for good for a while after that. So t- ten days in Memphis. So again, I, I don't think that counts. <laughs> Nobody's in and out though. He's in Memphis on the 17th. Then he's in Japan on the 20th through the 23rd. Then Memphis on the 24th? And Evansville on the 26th? I'm looking at June on wrestling data. Yeah. Was he really on this schedule? I guess so. Was he really going from uh, Kanagawa to the Pipkin building in one day? (laughs) (sighs) I guess so. I'm looking at cage match. Tage match does not have any of the Dong Chaman matches. And, um, yeah, they just have him in June 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and 28th, and 29th in Japan. So, who knows? That's a mystery. But anyway, huh. Who would have thought we would have stumbled on that one? Alright, um, Ultimo Dragon retained his uh, UWA middleweight title. On the next day at Cork and Hall, form a two-day doubleheader, beating Blue Demon Jr. Results of that show in front of 2,200 more fans. Nobukazurai over Yu Joshiroka, El Samurai over Masao Ihara, King Haku over Rio Lord of the Jungle, Earthquake John Tenta over Dick Slater, Shiyashimoto Michio Shihara over Takashi Shikawa and Hiromichi Fuyuki, then uh, Dragon over Demon, then two out of three falls. High Seishin Guns, Great Kabuki, Shiro Koshinaka, Keigan Kamara, Kunio Kobayashi, defeated Tenyogiri Chiro, Shirohara, Kokirohara, and Super Strong Machine in 37-41. That's quite the match there. Quite the shows. Earthquake over Dick Slater in 1993 is uh, something. Sure. All right, UWFI. Oh, no. I see one of Dave's transliteration translations here already, and it's not good. <laughs> All right, so April 10th in Osaka in front of 7,500 fans. It's like a professional gym. We have Stephen Day over here in Mitsukanahara. So far, so good. Mark Fleming over Yoshio Takayama. Okay. And Tatsuo Nakano and Gene Rydig 
over Tom Burton and Yoji Anja. Uh, Gene Lydig. <laughs> Lydig? No, it wasn't even Lydig. It was Lydig. Yeah. Bad News Allen over Yuko Miyato. Nokisano over Masuto Kagihara. Dan Severin over Kyoshi Tamara in 21-37. Gary Albright over Dennis Kozlowski. And Nobuka Takata over Kazuo Yamazaki in your main event. See, he knows who the Kozlowskis are. So he can't let Kozlowski get butchered, being <laughs> translated and retranslated. I guess so, but... <laughs> Gene Reidick. <laughs> Lord. All right. Michinoku Pro Wrestling signed the television deal with a local station out of Iwate to do one car per month starting in June. If this is a thing... This I, stuff happens that we don't know about, you know? I feel like there's, like, one tape we have of some weird Michinoku Pro regional TV that exists. That but I New Japan had regional television. It. All Japan had regional television. We just don't know much about it. Yeah. It's it's crazy. All right, Universal, Lucha Libre. They drew poorly on this go-around this tour. With the biggest show on April 11th in Yokohama with Grand Hamada and Great Sasuke beating, uh, keeping the UWF Intercontinental Tag Titles, beating El Fierro Infelino. And Super Dolphin kept his UWF Super uh, Welterweight title, beating Oro. In April 10th at Cork and Hall, was a one-night trios tournament involving six teams of two men and one woman, ending with Grand Hamada, uh, his daughter Soshiamada, and Kendo, beating Scorpio Jr., Super Dolphin, and La Diabolica in the finals. And also, keep in mind with these results that this is after Mishinoku has... Well, I mean, yeah, like we just had Mishinoku Pro, yeah. So, like, this is tail end of Universal and Universal and Mishinoku overlapping. Yeah. All right, uh, August... Oh, August 9th. April 9th in front of uh, 1249 at Corken Hall. That's not good. Uh, well, it gets worse as we go along. Uh, Felino, El Fierro, Super Dolphin over Oro, Plata, and Grace Sasuke. This is all in reverse order. Lady Apache and Soshimada and Carmeida over Tania, Maria del Angel and La Diabolica, Sato, Ditogo, Kendo, and Granamada over Espantos 4 and 5 and Scorpio Jr. Then uh, the 10th, uh, this is actually in the correct order, from 1,000 fans at Cork and Hall, Shiru over Leopardo Negro, of course, Shiru being Katsuyashi, and Leopardo Takamichi Negro being uh, Hanzo Nakajima. Yeah, Takamichinoku over Akito Yanagawa. And in the tournament, Granamana Kendo and Soshimada over Espantos 4 and 5 and Tania, Oro and Plata and Lady Apache over Felino, Fiero and Maria Danadel, Hamada, uh, Kendo and Soshi over Sasuke, Sato and Karamaeda, Super Dolphin, Scorpio Jr. and Ladiabolica over Oro, Plata and Apache, and then Hamada, Kendo and Hamada over Dolphin, Scorpio Jr. and Diabolica. And April 11th, in front of 1,011 fans, so they got 11 more fans, good for them. Uh, Akira Yonagawa over Leopardo Negro, Takamichinoko over Shiru, Soshimata and Karamaeda over Maria de la Hel and Tania, Hamana Sasuke retained the UWF IC tag titles, beating Felino and Fiero, Dolphin retained the Super Welterweight title over Oro, and Plata, Kendo, and Santo over Spantos 4 5 and Scorpio Jr., and then Sasuke won a battle royal. Yeah, that, those attendances are uh, not good. I mean, the novelty's worn off, but they're also not bringing in the same level of stars as they were. No. And uh, Michinoku Pros started up, so... They've started up, but they're only running in... No, no, they're running in 
Yeah, their area. And who but is still. El Fierro? As opposed to La Fiera. Yeah, that's not the same guy. Um, There's El one Fierro. that was Huracan Ramirez, the yeah. original, but that's clearly not who this is. Uh, yeah, it is. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, he lost his mask to Ultraman Jr. in so June 97. Still, but he's still Huracan Ramirez at this point, though. So why is he working as Fierro? Don't ask me. I don't know. <laughs> I love I how no Lucha Wiki has him as Huracan Ramirez uh, actual. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you can call him that. All right. Wing. April 3rd in Kagoshima. Professional gym in front of uh, 2612. We have Katsumo Hirano over Hiro Otsubo. Hiroshi Otsubo. Tubo. Genjin. In your opener. Katsuko Masazaki went to a double count out with Ryo Miyake, and then they went to a five-minute draw after that. Oh, so real quick, was, uh, wait, is Akihito Yonagawa Yoni Genjin? I think so. Yeah. Then we had Jason the Terrible over uh, Nobutaka Araya. Iron Horse and Killer Kyle over Hiroshi Itakura and Shoji Nakamaki. Who's Iron Horse? It ain't Luke Gehring, I can tell you that. <laughs> the Iron Horse. Um... I'm trying to remember who that motherfucker was. Um, I'm pulling up Mark Kyle's cage match to see if I can figure it out from there. Because, um... Oh, it's Leatherface. It's Rick Patterson. Okay. Then we have a Battle Royal, which was won by Nakamaki, and then a Scramble Bunkhouse Deathmatch for the Wing World Tag Titles as Mr. Danger, Mr. Masanaga, and Yuki Kanemura defeated Freddy Krueger and Leatherface to win the titles. Also, Cage Match says that Rick Patterson was also known as Tim Patterson. Well, no, they're two separate people. <laughs> See how confusing this is? I mean, they are, right? Yeah, it's not the same person. Which is the Canadian? Uh, Rick. Well, Rick, I think. Rick Patterson. Yeah, because Tim Patterson's Southern California. Yeah, yeah. I guess people get confused because they were both working for, like, deathmatch promotions. Yeah. But the big show in Japan during our week really was Dream Slam 2. On April 11th in Osaka, on Japan Women's Big Show, just nine days after what was easy, the most highly publicized and financially successful women's wrestling show in history, it failed to pat the 7,000-seat professional hall in Osaka. The show, which was announced as drawing a sell at 7,500, actually drew about 6,500, paying from 26 to $177 for the four-and-a-half-hour long nine-match show featuring all Japan women against the women from three other Japanese promotions. The non-sellout can be explained partially by the fact that the car was flanked by UWFI, which is sellout plus standing room, and All Japan, which ran on Monday night, which we don't have a report on press time, probably sold out as well. House shows in the same building the day before and day after. In addition, many of the hardcore Tokyo fans who traveled to the major shows probably had their fill of women's wrestling with the six-hour-long house show the previous weekend. Either way, it was no doubt the largest women's wrestling game ever in Osaka, but it wasn't the largest crowd. Jigusa Nagai on Dump Masamoto's hair match in 1985 drew 12500 and the same two had a return hair match in 1986 that drew 9500 but with lower ticket prices. The Lucha Libre match was canceled because Ultima Tegrita, as Moreno, apparently suffered a pretty severe leg injury. She had quite a few of those in her career. The highlight main event of this show was a return match from last year's match of the year as voted by the promotion with Dynamite Kensai and Mayumi Ozaki and JWP winning the Triple WA Tag Titles from Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada in a best three-fall match that went just over 30 minutes. And uh, what Dave was told was five stars plus. 
there you go. Five stars plus, folks. Yeah, I mean, the so thing much, that... So much of last year's match. Yes. Dave explained to me when I did that article about when he started giving the six stars and stuff for Deadspin years ago. If he... if I mean, if he personally, but even other people who were sending in ratings, s- said something was five stars plus, you should take it literally. Yeah. So, like, it, no, the scale did not suddenly break completely. No. In, uh, you know, five years ago or whatever it was. Yeah. All right. Are the two teams to be rematched with the belts at stake on June 2nd in Sapporo? The semifinal saw Akira Hokuto and Shinobu Kandori matched up again in a tag match with Akira Hokuto and Ajakam versus Shinobu Kandori and Eagle Sawai. Kandori caught Hokuto in a submission hole and the referee started the match because it was ruled in- inescapable. Although Hokuto didn't submit and it was announced Hokuto suffered a shoulder injury from the hole. This is to build up a Kong Kandori match before Hokuto Kandori in August. Shigusha Nagayo did a second job, this time the Bull Nakano, in one of the other highlight matches. Nagayo did a magazine interview pretty much saying that she's trying to peak for the August 25th show, and by then she should be 100% after taking four years off to be an actress. So she was an actress, Bix, in her own way. Told that the seven and nine matches on this car were three and a half or better, and then on the April 2nd show, the, eight, uh, the 11 matches were three and a half or better, with the Hokuto Kandori match being five stars. And the magazines wrote it up as match of the year, and those two and those who had already seen the video in this country have given Dave similar comments. Dave was told the Yokohama card was better than t- the two, and that was one of the best wrestlers ever in Japan. The Yokohama three videotape collection will be released on April twenty fifth, one hundred seventy seven dollars US. While the Osaka two tape collection comes out on May eighth at one hundred fifty eight US. Jesus, I wonder how many people actually pay those kind of prices for tapes. Dave said. Although the tapes of both these shows are going to become collector's items. Okay, before we get to the results. Jesus. What is it with, like, media prices in Japan? Oh, God. I mean. Like, why is that how things are there? I remember back in the day. You remember that first big um, New Japan DVD set that came out in twenty in 2000 and, 2002? Oh, the, the one set? that was, like, the highlight like basically supposed to summarize the entire history of the promotion with highlights. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I remember um, going to one of the Japanese websites to, tr- to try to buy this thing. And then I went to, you know, I did what I had to do using translate, um, not Google translate. We had a better translate back then folks, better translators and uh, went on there. And I saw how much it cost. I was like, uh, nope. <laughs> if I remember correctly, it was well over like two to $300. But what is the why with this? That's what I don't understand. Uh, it's, it's not just that either. Try When you try to buy a – have you ever tried on Amazon to buy a CD from a store in Japan? yeah. How much it cost? Hmm. I mean, it's fucking ridiculous. Okay, I found the Japan FAQ. Why are prices so damn high? This is explain. This is an old website, though. Uh. No simple single reason. Land prices, rent, and taxes. Cartels and collusion. A bulky rig rig distribution system. Snob appeal. It just seems like there's a lot of stuff going on, and of course, some of it is the Yakuza. Oh, 
What a shock. Um, what was I going to say, though? I mean, we did have CD Japan, though, in 2003. So we had English-language places in Japan we could order from, too. They were high, too. No, they were high, too, but I'm saying you didn't necessarily have to use translate. Translate. Translation sites. Sorry. Anyway, let's go to the results. I, I'm excite.co.jp, as I say that. <laughs> the best translator. All right, uh... All right, results of Dream Slam 2. In front of 6,500 here. Sagashigawa over Hikari Fukuoka. Four stars! That's your opener. Ryo Kitamura, Mikiko Furugami, and Ataka Hozumi over Karuito, Sumi Namada, and Tomoko Watanabe. Three stars. Bat Yoshinaga and Terry Power over Rumi Kazama, Mika, Miki Honda. Two and a half stars. What a terrible match. Two and a half stars. Uh, Combat Toyota and Megumi Kudo over Etsuka Mina, Mima Shimoda, LCO. Four stars. Yumiko Hota, Kyoko Inoue, and Takako Inoue over Cutie Suzuki, Plumberico, Bolshoi Kid. Oh, here we go, Bix. Uh, tell tell everyone what, how Dave has it typed here. Okay, that would be the B-O-I-R Shoi Kid. <laughs> oh, okay, like, I'm sorry. Like, how do you not realize that's Bolshoi? <laughs> Very sure. In 20 minutes, four and a half stars. Suzuka Manami and Harley, over Holly Saito, three and a half stars. Bull Nakano over Chikusungayo, four and a quarter stars. Shinobu Kandori and Nigo Sawai over Azakan and Kirohokuno in 2042, four stars. And then the two, two out of three falls, Triple WA tag titles, Danamai Kansai and Manyumi Ozaki over Manami Toyota and Toshiro Yamada, five stars plus. Yeah. Do we know whose star ratings these are? Uh, no, we don't. It, is Fumi listed in the correspondence thanks in the issue? It's possible. It's possible. Why Borshoi? Borshoi kid. <laughs> Dirk Verge. <laughs> Dirk Verge. All right. Well, on that note, it's halftime. That's some great 1993 commercials. With we'll Pippin to the Halftime 7 of the show, where we'll talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And we'll talk about, uh, all the other stuff we got going on. IWTV, Fight TV, we'll talk about what's going on there. We'll hit the plugs, and then we'll come back to go to Mexico, where we'll talk about some debuts in AAA. Uh, we got some, some big main, big shows to talk about there. We got a uh, interesting uh, booker change in CMLL. We got interesting shows for UWA, and a lot more after the break. What happened to the lights? It's just a power outage, Dad. <gasps> what was that? It's just Bart eating a Butterfinger. And it sounds like he's right over here. Oh. <laughs> oh, how about a bite, little buddy? Well, okay, honey, just once. Hey, this tastes just like a... Stop it! Oh. Get a crispity, crunchity, peanut buttery burst in every bite of Butterfinger. Nobody better lay a finger on my Butterfinger. <laughs> <laughs> Slip into ooh, a little ultra snuggle. Slip into ooh, a soft snuggle. A soft you can cozy, cozy up to. Cozy up to a one-of-a-kind sensation. New concentrated ultra snuggle. One tiny capsule gives you a soft you can cozy up to. Cozy, cozy, cozy up to. Cozy up to new ultra snuggle. Here's straight answers to questions about your hearing. 
Sure, I ask people to repeat themselves. Does that mean I have a hearing problem? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Belltone's 10-step test will tell you what you're hearing and what you're not. I love going out and having a good time, but sometimes all the noise makes it hard to hear what people are saying. Belltone's tiny clear voice circuits can make it easier for many people to hear voices in certain noisy situations. Here's voices mixed with background noise. Now, here's how many people can hear voices more clearly with clear voice. I know I need a hearing aid, but I don't want to wear one of those big clunky things. Belltone's in the canal hearing aids are tiny. See, they're almost invisible. If you want straight answers about your hearing, the choice is clear. Belltone. Call 1-800-367-3600 and get Belltone's Guide to Better Hearing. Free. Call today 1-800-367-3600. The following contains important information for veterans, their spouses, and widows aged 50 to 75. Huh. Lottery tickets. We never missed a week. My husband and I used to sit around dreaming how we'd spend it all. We knew the odds were ridiculous, but it was only a couple of bucks a week, and it was fun. And then Ron died about six months ago, and I found out we didn't have enough life insurance. I had no idea how much funeral and legal fees would be. I owed over $6,000. Turns out we could have easily afforded extra life insurance for the price of a couple of these. If you're a veteran age 50 to 75 or the spouse or widow of a veteran, you can afford life insurance. Because Veterans Life Insurance Company offers term life policies for as little as $1 a week. If you served in wartime, peacetime, active, or reserves, call this toll-free number for free information about dollar-a-week life insurance just for veterans, their spouses, and widows. I learned about life insurance the hard way. Now I have my own policy from Veterans Life. Dollar a week, I don't even miss it. And I feel really good knowing that someday my kids won't have to go through what I just did. Call now for free information. There's no medical exam, no waiting period, and your benefits never go down. You'll also get free membership in the Veterans Discount Prescription and Vision Care plans that can save you up to 60% on medications and eyeglasses. For a dollar a week, I can't afford not to have Veterans Life Insurance. Oh, I still buy an occasional lottery ticket, but now I know I have something that'll pay off in the future. Call 1-800-223-2200 right now for free information about dollar-a-week life insurance from Veterans Life Insurance Company. Operators are standing by. Call 1-800-223-2200. A dollar a week now is all it takes to help give your family financial security later. Don't worry. We'd never leave you in the dark. Experience Milky Way Dark. Presenting some more of the 2,000 body parts you can clean with Lever 2000, the deodorant soap that's better for your skin. Studly parts like your delts and pecs, and smoochable parts like the nape of your neck, the small of your back, the backs of your thighs, elbows, knees, even parts that surprise. And all because Lever 2000 has special skincare ingredients, so it's as good for touchy-feely parts as it is for rough-and-tumble parts. Lever 2000, the deodorant soap that's better for your skin and all your 2,000 parts. 
matter which kind of bandage you use, if you want those cuts to heal faster, use Neosporin every time you bandage. Testing shows Neosporin helps cuts heal faster, four days faster than a bandage alone, and it helps prevent infection. So whenever you use a bandage, use Neosporin. Together, they make it better, faster. And for fast healing plus pain relief, try Maximum Strength Neosporin Plus. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed those great 1993 commercials. We pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We're beginning to buy our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And, of course, our latest show that we had up is for the month of March. It's 25th anniversary. to look at Mike Tyson's Road to WrestleMania. As we go into that, talking about how he signed WWF and getting with Austin at Royal Rumble and the Royal, the Royal Rumble and the split with Don King and then the press conference, Tyson joining DX, then that proven to be a fake deal, WrestleMania, all that stuff. So, follow the monkey stress, let's listen to that, and all the other shows that we've done in our six-plus years of the Patreon. And coming up, in the end of this month, we'll look at 25 years since Ric Flair versus Eric Bischoff. Yes. I believe it's been 25 years, but yep. We're going to talk about that, as uh, we'll talk about... Uh, all the legal situations there involving Rick and Bischoff, all the, you know, all the uh, maneuvering that was going on there. And then Rick's return at uh, Greenville and Nitro and all the stuff after that. So it should be quite the show. Um, that that bad blood went on for years. So uh, we'll talk about that. And uh, should, like I said, quite the show next month. Well, excuse me, then this month on patreon.com slash streaming sheets and we have uh some interesting shows coming up we'll be, pro- i promise folks the may show will not be 1998 <laughs> i'm going to tell you that now so no. we'll, we'll be going to a different year then so uh, we'll talk about that more at the end of the next show so uh so yeah finals a month get you asked us to listen to all that audio a uh, dollar monkey stress us to the discord thanks in this segment 25 dollars allows you to pick a show for the week uh, make sure that uh, you have two shows in mind in case the show that you may want us to do is something that we've already done or may have uh, the week already set up in the ad calendar. Ad calendar. In the calendar. When I say ad calendar, I'm thinking about being at work uh, in our show calendar. So uh, if you have any questions, let us know, and uh, we'll try to help you out. Make sure that the show that you want gets done. Then uh, remember, of course, 30-day rules in effect. Get that information in before your show. 10-year rule. Wednesday, Tuesday in the timeline. All that. And you should be good to go. $50 uh, segment for the whole show if you choose. And $100, like our buddy Tyler did on this show here, stand for the whole show or whatever segment you want if you choose. That's patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix. So we have to this week as our new and or returning patrons. All right, let's see. We'd like to thank Dan Black Cole, who did a year, I guess, at the dollar tier. So uh, for 10.08 is the 16% off. 16% off, 50.40 for the $5 tier, and so on and so forth for the other tiers. Yes. So thank you, Dan. Although I think Dan meant to do uh, the year at the $5 tier because then he converted over to the 50.40 a year. Well, we talk about him twice. <laughs> so thanks, Dan. And we'd also like to thank, we've got an annual subscription at the $5 tier from Rick Kobos. 
Thanks, Rick Kobos. And then another annual subscription at the dollar tier from uh, Brian Peterson. Thanks, Brian. And then we got the regular monthly $5 from J, letter J. Thanks, letter J. Travis. Thanks, Travis. Thomas Keenan. Thanks, Thomas. And Andrew Chaffee, or Chaffee. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Thanks, Andrew. And we also have a $25 pledge from Alan Peisner. And thank you, Alan. So uh, we'll have this show done sometime soon. So we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning, come along the way, stopped, came back, whatever. We thank all of you for being part of our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right, Bix. We got our streaming services to talk about now. So what's going on in the world of IWTV and Fight TV? Well, for VOD on IWTV, main things look like uh, some Lucha added. Uh, Zona 23 show from March went up, and as well as uh, two different uh, Lucha Memes shows from last week. So some All right. Lucha on there. Um Good deal. Trying to get any re- see if we have any recognizable names on these. Not so much this time on the uh, Memis shows. On the Zona show, uh, Demis is in the semi-main. Um, and the uh, Freelance is in the main event, which is was this, an eight-man tag. Also features... The, re- the wrestler, not the promotion, yes. Correct, yes. No uh, Kylie Ray or... Uh, Isaiah Velasquez or Robert Ego Anthony to be found here. Um, but also, uh, among others in that main event, Joe Leader and someone whose name I don't recall hearing in years, Judas El Traitor. Yeah, Judas El Traitor. Yeah, he he was all over the place in the uh, era when I was doing the Lucha Reports. I mean, yeah. it's technically, it's, it's, it's uh, Judas El Traitor, but... Yeah. When when you're translating, it's whatever. But anyway, so on live streams, a couple of interesting things coming up this week. Uh, Friday, it's, excuse me, I almost said seven. It's seven central, so eight eastern. St. Louis Anarchy has a show titled As Seen on St. Louis Anarchy. Um, among other matches, I see we've got uh, Billy Starks versus Aaron Williams. If Billy Starks... Uh, is not canceled from the show to make a booking for a national promotion. No, that's not the first time that would happen. No. Uh, Manders is in action, taking on Mad Dog Connolly. They've got their titles on the line. Gary J in action against Anakin Murphy, who I think is his student? Or at least seemed like that was the implication on the Black Label show uh, a week or two back. And others on that show, you know, your usual... Uh, Usual St. Louis people that you would expect, like Jeremy Wyatt, Thomas Shire, etc. So, I feel like this is the first Anarchy live stream on IWTV in a while. I'm not sure if I know why, but some interesting looking stuff on there. Did I click the wrong thing? Yes, I did. Um, Freelance, the promotion, does have a show live streaming this week, though. Well, how about that? Why don't, why don't they never book Freelance the wrestler? They should. Yes. He can be their big D. He could be their big D. That's right. So anyway, Friday at 9 Eastern, 
Freelance has Storm Grayson and the Legend of the Mexican Dragon with the main event of Storm Grayson defending the Freelance title against Nick Wayne. Freelance Legacy title has this for a match. Brian Keith is defending against Ricky Marvin. Well, I mean, Ricky Marvin's there. Why not Freelance? <laughs> Might as well bring uh, Los Multifacetico's and Zonicdos meal, too. I mean, Freelance should be there. Get on the, the ball, guys. Yeah, uh, the Bang Bros, the tag team, defend the tag titles against Rohit Raju and Karam. Uh, oh boy, we got a Bussy match. When is Bussy and Bang Bros going to have a match? That's a good question. Especially after we got Bussy versus Pheromones. I mean, you would think that'd be a natural uh, deal there. Yeah. Um, they t- they're getting on Laney Luck and GPA, and then uh, other stuff on there. Shaza McKenzie and what looks to be a six way scramble with the uh, Trevor Outlaw and others, uh, and more. So fun looking uh, freelance show on there. I think that's it for IWTV this week. So if you're not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign up, and we'll get a referral uh, fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTS5. Now, meanwhile, at Fight TV, uh, I should probably check to see what, if they have any iPay-per-views this week, too, but as far as on Fight Plus, there's going to be a Hood Slam show. Um, oh, wait, no, I looked at the wrong date. Hood Slam already happened by the time this goes up. So Hood Slam would have happened on Saturday night. I guess they're part of Fight Plus now. So coming up uh, this coming weekend, got... GCW on Saturday with I Can't Feel My Face 2023, which is that the... So that's at 9 Eastern. I think that's the St. Louis show. I mean, if 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 the weekend's going to be everywhere, you might as well start naming sh- shows after his songs. <laughs> I mean, this isn't the first show they've had uh, that was I Can't Feel My Face, though. I've been to a previous I Can't Feel My Face. In, in uh, Asbury Park a few years ago, before the pandemic. Actually, that might have been the last GCW show, at least in Jersey, before the pandemic. Now that I think about it, it was in uh, January uh, 2020. I believe that, yes, I believe that was a, I can't feel my face. Um, since for some reason, Fight does not do a good job of updating the match list on these. Yeah, this is St. Louis. Uh, already signed, according to the GCW Twitter. Nick Age doing something. Uh, Masha Slamovich defending the title against Colt Radrick. The Injustice Express, so the East-West Express of Nick Wayne and Jordan Oliver, teaming with Jordan Oliver's uh, Injustice tag team partner from MLW, Myron Reed, against the Lucha Trio of Gringo Loco, Commander, and Ares. Shigehiro Irie versus Brian Keith. Blake Christian versus Dan the Dad, for some reason, of course. Uh, a bussy match and more. And then do we have, because the next night is Evansville. Trying to see if we have any Evansville on here on the Twitter, which is, why is this? Why, why don't the, why doesn't fight update these? I, I mean, even if Brett's not sending them to you, just they're on the Twitter. Sounds like something you need to take out with Mike Weber. Uh, he doesn't always answer my texts in a timely fashion. Hold on, I'm going to say it from GC Wrestling underscore Evansville. And with IWTV, I know I can just complain to Dylan. 
It's easy. Um, all right, so Evansville at, I think that's 6 Eastern on Sunday has Billy Rock, Billy Starks, and Cole Radrick versus Second Gear Crew. Bussy versus Doug Gilbert and Tommy Rich. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, Brian Keith versus Calvin Tangman. Uh, Blake Christian. I hope Tommy versus... cuts a promo on Effie. I'm sure he will. <laughs> Blake Christian versus Myron Reed. Tony Deppin versus Shigehiro Irie. East West Express and Nick Cage and more. So, some fun looking shows there. And I'm sure. Okay, no, that's five. That's five Eastern. Okay, I guess Evansville is the Eastern time zone. And there's also a show coming up on the Sunday at two Eastern. This does not have any match listings, and I would not know where to find their Twitter. But I'm mentioning this because we don't hear much about the indie scene over there. An ICW France show on Fight Plus. Parlez-vous français? Tell all the girls the Le Rougeau's on the on the way. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you this, uh, I don't think any of those ICW towns will have any je ne sais quoi. Sure. Um, is, let's see, is this the right ICW? No, not the International Community of Women Living with HIV. Um, yeah, who knows what kind of internet presence they have, but that's interesting. So... Not already subscribing to Fight Plus? Go to tinyurl.com slash btsfight, that's B-T-S-F-I-T-E, and sign up there. And uh, subscribe to, you know, you get all the GCW shows, all the Revolver shows, all the Black Label Pro shows, all the AIW shows. I guess, guess all, maybe all the Hood Slam shows now and more than I'm forgetting. So, there you go. So, that's Fight Plus, and I... Should I bother seeing if there are any iPay-per-views of note coming up that, or, I mean, you know what? People know they're coming up. They're either like New Japan of America or Impact or whatever. So there you go with that. All right. Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help you. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. And Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. You've signed up with Private Internet Access right now. And you take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. And let's talk about the plans that's right for you. As you can start out monthly at eleven ninety five a month. You can go yearly, which goes up to three dollars thirty three cents a month for thirty nine ninety five a year. Or you can get the Big Daddy, three years plus four free months at a dollar ninety eight a month, eighty three percent off, seventy nine dollars first three years. Usually thereafter. The best damn deal in the market. Why is that? Well, they're so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN in the market. If you get it right now, you take advantage of private internet access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it out for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just return it for full refund. 
That's how you get that, you ask. Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we go to 1999. Been a since we've been there. We got an update on David Boy Smith's health condition in Calgary as he's going stir crazy, especially at WCW fired him while he's in the hospital. Um, and uh, we'll talk about the update on him there and his health issues. We'll have a, uh, notes on WCW, and boy, they're going through it. Uh, morale's not good. Nitro, the, uh, 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 one of their best pay-per-views ever, which was Spring Stampede, so we'll have the Nitro after that. We'll talk about uh, the Thunder after that, which was quite the show behind the scenes, so to speak. We'll have uh, Eric Bischoff on WCW Live talking about the future of the company. We got fights going on backstage. We got all kinds of crap going on. So quite the WCW everybody section next week, folks. Believe me. Then we have Vader winning the Triple Crown. I mean, the All-Japan Champion Carnival Tournament to set up a Triple Crown shot. So we'll have that. Um, and we'll have news on the Budokan show itself. We got New Japan starting up a tour. We got all the Japanese indie scum. We got... New, New King of Pancrase. We got Lucha, Puerto Rico. We got all kinds of indie stuff, including um, ECW and Paul Heyman talking to the torch about uh, quite a few subjects with direct quotes. And we'll have news on house shows and big TV taping in Buffalo. Buffalo, hello. And uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Nashville Network, are they going to be in the wrestling business? We're getting various comments on that one. Portland, issues with the State Athletic Commission again, so we'll talk about that. And in the World Wrestling Federation, we got <laughs> what about this? Roster cuts. So uh, we'll talk about that as um, things are changing there. As Raw, we have a Raw taping to talk about. We got uh, news on an, uh, the upcoming SmackDown special on UPN. We got uh, house shows featuring Bret Hart's return to Calgary. In the backstage at the WF show. Interesting quotes from WF Magazine. And uh, the closer this week sh- of this show is uh, definitely one for the ages. Mix already knows what it is. And uh, yeah, it's a definite foreshadowing to current events. So all that and more next week on Between the Sheets. Uh, Bix, any update on a possible guest? Or are we just doing this, me and you? I thought we weren't. I thought we were just going to play it by ear. I mean, I have a couple people I can... Let's get pretty late in the game here, Bix. <laughs> well, I thought we were going to maybe try to start doing Patreon next week, so... Well, I mean, it doesn't matter. Okay, so it, more often than not, it's probably just going to be me and Bix next week. So, maybe a guess, who knows? So, we'll see. But yes, we do need to start on the Patreon, that's for sure. So, all that more next week on Between the Sheets. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT She's Pod. Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, quite the interesting week in wrestling since last time we did uh, did this segment, isn't it? What do you mean? <laughs> and unless you've been living under a rock or been in a coma, uh, WWE has merged... Not sold, merged. Well, the process of approving a merger, but yes. Yes. No money changing hands with uh, Ari Emanuel and Endeavor. 
where UFC, WWE would be under one company umbrella. Meaning that Vincent Mann would be Dana White's boss. Which has to be lovely for Dana White. It's, UFC is being spun off into a new company with WWE that will be public, and but that Endeavor will have majority control of. And Vince McMahon will, is the executive chairman, while Dana White's the president of UFC, and Nick Khan's the president of WWE. Right. So the hierarchy is that Ari Emanuel, Mark Shapiro, and Vince McMahon are above Dana White and Nick Khan. And Vince McMahon's under Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro, meaning Vince McMahon now has to serve under two Jews. Don't you Ain't love that it. great? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, lots of uh, things happened uh, the day after WrestleMania, uh, but we come to find out that the stuff that happened on the Raw to Mania was planned well in advance. And the main isn't stuff. it? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Cody, uh, the I mean, well, the the Roman Cody finish at Mania, Cody was never was as of a month or two months or whenever the match was official was not supposed to win the title, and uh, then the Cody Brock feud was something that was on the books as well, and isn't it funny? We talked about this off air, but isn't it funny how everything going into Mania revolving the bloodline was. Oh, this is Paul Heyman, you know. Paul Heyman's the one that's, you know, the creative force behind the whole Bloodline storyline. And then after Mania, C- Cody losing, and then the, the Cody thing on Raw the next night, not one word is said about Paul Heyman's part in that. The Bloodline, anything involved in the Bloodline, if it's Paul Heyman involved in it, he's involved in it all. So obviously what that means is that Paul Heyman, Roman Reigns, or whoever – um, basically didn't feel that Cody Rhodes was the guy. And this is the direction we're going to go in. And said as much in the press conference after Mania, you know? I mean, they basically laid it out, you know? So isn't it, isn't it funny, this though, is that Paul Heyman... the beginning, yes. Yeah, Paul Heyman's not getting any of the blame for this. Everybody's doing Triple H memes. You know, Cody destroying the throne and this, that, and the other. No, it... Uh, it's pretty obvious it was Paul that well, uh, that, that pulled that trigger. Heyman, just that is. say Not it was Paul. <laughs> yeah, Paul Levac. <laughs> Let's just leave so, it at Paul, my good sir. So, I mean, but here's the thing. I mean, the week, Mania weekend was a, a hell of a weekend. Um, night one was a fantastic show. Night two hit had some misses, but also had one of the best matches in the history of WrestleMania. Yeah, and it had a lot of strong stuff on the show, too. Yes. I mean, Snoop Dogg basically saved the whole thing. So, which, which, that was the major national story out of all of it. So that's funny. Yeah, and of Uh, course, uh, I love all the various wrestling school coaches going on Twitter after I saw at least uh, Merrick Frave and Cheeseburger, and I'm sure others tweeting, if Snoop can call it in the ring, so can you. All of my local news morning shows covered wrestlemania with that story hmm. that's the thing they talked about with snoop that was did, the story did they show shane tearing his quad um not really they showed him laying on the mat uh then snoop coming in to save the day okay. but um i mean look i mean the thing was a huge major success um it was the end of the era basically so they went out with a bang on that one yeah, I thought of the 
of the four uh, two-night WrestleManias so far. I thought that was easily the best night, too, so far. Yeah, and I'd say all altogether one of the best WrestleManias ever. Yes. Yes. Um, and now, we're going to see what happens now. Um, Vince, looking like the love child of Dick Dashley and Madam, um, <laughs> with his new mustache, is now... Uh, in charge again, full force. And here's another thing that people don't talk about enough in all this. Vince McMahon said, and, and you know, people have mentioned this, but he said, quote, and quoted directly, with Ari Emanuel backing him up, he was out, he was getting out of the business. He's, Ari yeah, pulled him back in. I mean, Ari was insistent that Vince was saying, if I, will, if I get in the way of making a deal, I'm happy to not come along. I mean, it's Vince, so he could be lying. But Ari was very clear. He was like, no, I want you involved. So blame Ari Emanuel, folks. <laughs> and how about Brandon Ross, too? Yeah. What was he saying this whole time? Yeah. That Endeavor should not be slept on because they would let Vince stay. And perhaps even want Vince to stay. Wanted him to stay. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So, Yeah. Quite the week. Vincent Mann, folks, I mean, what can you say about this dude? Yeah. As much as much as he gets you know, has his knockdown moments, he always fucking wins. Yeah. I really hope we find out details about the Liberty Media offer though. Yeah. To see what they're turning down there, because that was a cash offer, right? Yes. And John and John Malone is a dude that, you know, he normally gets what he wants. So, yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, the, you know what crossed my mind? What? There's no, there's no chance Vince was like, God damn, if I'll be part of the same company as the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> and believe me, Liberty Media for a long time was big time heels down here for being owners, but they've loosened up the checkbooks over the years. And uh, they got the right people in charge, and hey, the Braves are one of the most successful franchises again in baseball. So there's that. But the thing, you know, one thing though that the the, the biggest thing I think, in my opinion, of uh, the whole thing that sucked the most was seeing Matt Riddle back. That it looking like he looked, looking like he just came off a big time bender, and he's out there and with his. New tights and no shoes, looking like Kevin Von Erich in 1987. Uh, and that's not a compliment. Um, back on Raw, I mean, that's a terrible sign to send out to not only your, your fans, but your talent that we're going to let this guy back in the company again. Because, I mean, look, regardless, regardless of what you think about his interactions with women... That is not someone who looks healthy and like he should be going on the road and working matches right now. No. No. Absolutely not. No, I mean, it, it, it's like a different ver different way of Kerry Von Eric coming back in 92. And we saw that ended up. Uh, Vince has a because soft we spot we, for him. I mean, that was well, the other thing, too. Yeah, we talked about it on this show in the past, and we played the damn clip. Of Kerry Von Eric at that convention after being off the road, you know, he was coherent. 
I mean, he Casey went Mike. through rehab. He went to Betty Ford. Yeah, went through, went through rehab and everything, which Riddle supposedly has done, but obviously not, and oh, it didn't work. And then, uh, and then we comes back. He gets back on the road, and he's dead within a year. Not, not, a, not a good uh, sign there. So, I mean, he yeah. didn't look. You know, he didn't look as skinny as he did in the UFC when he's trying to make 170 pounds. And starving himself, but this is the, I mean, I, I have, he has not looked this drawn out since he's been a pro wrestler. So, yeah, that, that's a major issue. So, yeah. oh no, we'll, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, as we're recording this SmackDown's live in Portland, Vince isn't there. So that's a good sign that he's not there at Portland. I think if he had been in the building, that would have been a major telltale sign to the talent. Yeah. So he's still, I mean, he's still, uh, you know, involved creatively. He said, in his own words, he's not in the weeds. You know, he's he's got big picture. I mean, that's what he said when he brought in Bischoff and Heyman to run the shows too, though. Exactly, but he's also, but he was also attending all the shows too. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Now, yeah. on the other side of things, Wembley Stadium, Wembley Stadium, all the wrestling at Wembley Stadium. Um. It's ambitious. Um, they have not even ran a show in the United Kingdom. Um, it's their first show outside of North America. Yeah. First show outside of North America. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I think, I think in the end it's going to be a scaled down version. But if they if they can pull forty to fifty thousand people in that place, that's a mega win. That's an unqualified them. success. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the thing is, though, are you gonna are you willing to sacrifice your locker room to bring CM Punk back? And because um, you know that's the talk right now is that to run this show, CM Punk has to be involved. Now, if that's the case, then you're going to get this guy who has an attitude. I mean, and and his fans will say that he's well within his right to have it. You know, but uh, he can definitely come out and say and be right in saying this. They need me. They needed me to run this show. What you guys aren't up to that level to where I'm at. I mean, you know, and yeah, I mean, here's the that's thing. That's a too. dangerous message to send, I think. Possibly. I mean, whatever you want to say, though, about him, if he were to work that show, it would be his first match in the UK in almost 10 years. Yes. It'd be a huge deal. Yeah. Even if you set aside the, like, returning AEW elite drama stuff, it would still be his first match in the UK and presumably Europe in a decade. But, I mean, in, in, in a different era in pro wrestling, you know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Because in the in, back in the day, guys put aside their beefs to make money. To do business. Well, this is a different era. We'll talk it's more a different about that era. off the air. I know, uh, but it's a different. <laughs> it's a different era. It's a different era, you know. And with social media and everything, and you know, the legit feelings about this guy, bringing him back into the fold, could cause uh, some ripples in that morale, big time. Yep. So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, and another thing too. You're going to have that show 
on August the 29th. Isn't that the date, 29th? Yes. Okay. All Out is in uh, is, is a the week later. Weekend. A week later. And then Grand Slam is two weeks after that. Yeah. So you're running three major shows in a five-week time span. <sighs> Good luck. <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, that's going to be – and with Tony being involved with the Jacksonville Jaguars, season opens up at that time. Mm. And Jacksonville has high expectations this year. They were a playoff team, so they're expected to be in the playoffs again. So you have high, higher expectations than you've had in a long time within that town with that with that team. So it's a it's going to be an undertaking for Tony. We're going to see how he can handle it. For sure, I don't envy him. <laughs> to say the least, um, we'll see. Um, it's going to be interesting to say the least. So uh, yeah, quite the week in wrestling, huh? I'm telling you, it's. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of well, stuff we didn't talk about of various varieties, too. Yeah, well, I already know. We're going to have – if we're still doing this show in 10 years, <laughs> the, the calendar for 2033 uh, is going to be insane. In 2032. I mean, you're just going to have weeks, weeks, just – oh, my God. Just, we might as well just fill it up. We're going to be – we're going to probably be doing the entire year in orders. <laughs> 2022, 2023, said and done. Jesus Christ. But, hey, it is what it is. So, anything else you want to talk about before we move on? I think that's it. All right. Well, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right. Let's go to Mexico now. We'll start with Triple R. Did see the television debut on uh, April 3rd of Goldman, nephew of El Santo, and Humanto Guerrera, son of Fuerza. In the identical outfit as his father, on opposite sides of a six-man. Nepotism means more here than anywhere in the world, so I expect both to be given strong opportunities at stardom. Well, Hoovy deserved it. Um, <laughs> is Goldman Axel? No. This is a different nephew? Yeah, this, yeah Axel, too young here. I'm yeah, not even yeah. seeing Goldman. There's a Goldman on Lucha Wiki. Oh, wait, nephew of El Santo, not of Yo Del Santo. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, um, let me look up Santo family then on Luchuaki to see what we can find out about this fella. I guess family, uh, okay, here we go. Yeah, I should go to the family of El Santo page. He's the gold man. Da -da 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 -da. Who, okay, maybe this isn't even a family member or because there's no... There's no gold man here on the family tree. Is it Cole Cabana? Scotty Goldman. Scotty Gold Goldman. <laughs> no, it is it is Axel. There's no way. And it and they oh. spell it Goldman on Lucha Wiki too. There's no way. He's that. He's he's twenty one here. <sighs> you kidding me? He was born October twenty eighth, nineteen seventy one. Yeah, he's older than I thought. Holy shit. So when all that stuff was going down, he's already... It was Axel. Fucking shit. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so all that That's controversy over the... Yeah, I always figured he was younger when all the stuff was going on about the name. No, I, I mean, I remember he was older, but I did not know. I remember him being Sagrado. 
at one point in time and being uh, an IWRG. As rock, as a broker, rocker. rocker. Yeah, I remember that. But I, I, but I thought he was. I thought that's where he began, because looking at this, it goes to he go versus Goldman in '93, and then he doesn't work again until '98. Well, no, that's just for, a name change. I mean, I can. I don't think Goldman's working as Goldman. I'm looking at the picture of him as Goldman now. Yeah, he's very young. Let's see, where's the picture? Oh yeah, yeah, you can tell. And it has him listed as El Nieto de Santo. But not as his name. The issue was that he that the name was El Nieto del Santo, as opposed yeah. to simply saying he was El Nieto del Santo. Well, how about that, Goldman? <laughs> yeah, Lucha Wiki has it just as one word, Goldman. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, black, uh, black man uh, usually is two words, but you see a lot as one. But anyway, there you go. A war for the absolute worst timing of commercial breaking history on this past week's show. Just as they were going to a, a five consecutive dive finish during the opening six man tag, they cut to a commercial break about two dives into the highest spot and came back and showed the final dive and pinfall on replay. That dive was a new candidate for dive of the year. One of the Matematicos caught top rope to the floor and did a full midair flip like a Scorpio splash on the way down, finishing with a clothesline. On TV, they had gone to a break right in the middle of the climactic high spot of the match. Triple A, everybody. <laughs> mm. Good Lord. Yeah, that's not good. Well, that should be um, Galavision, everybody, I guess. Or well, Televisa, yeah, everybody. Did. Well, remember, wasn't also uh, wasn't an online fan term for for a broadcast missing a dive in the mid to late 90s, triple A-ing a shot? Yes. Yes. Goodness. The angle with Jake the Snake Roberts and Conan El Barbaro aired on television April 10th. Conan was doing an interview when Jake showed up and pointed to Conan's shirt with a picture of Mickey Mouse on it and said that he was a Mickey Mouse wrestler wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt. That's funny. Other wrestlers had the whole Conan bat while Jake laughed about it. <laughs> well, Conan, you brought on yourself. <laughs> and Jake being on, uh, on top of his game at that point. So there you go. All right. TV tapings and big shows. This is a, the the first show here is a house show, not even a TV taping. Auditorio General Jose Maria Artiaga de Cuadrataro on April 9th. We had a uh, battle royale, and we had uh, for the women uh, the team up: uh, Lola Gonzalez, Mafia Lobos, Pantera Serena, and Vic Carranza, and Chela Salazar, Ia del Sol, La Rosa, and Neftali were in the, the battle royale, which led to. Lolo Gonzalez and Pete Carranza beating Mata Villalobos and Paratena Serena in the final of their little deal. El Indemito, El Magnate, and Ice Killer beat Angel Azteca, Io de Lismar, and Tenebas Jr. by disqualification when Io de Lismar pulled Ice Killer's mask. And Eddie Guerrero, Io de Santo Paraguayo defeated Cien Caras, Zaparca, and Sacosas by disqualification when Sacosas fouled per Pero. Now, an, uh, another part of the crew was taping TV. At Gimnasio Olimpico Juan de la Barrera on that night in Mexico City. We have Angelito Azteca, Mascarilla Sagrada, Antoconcito, over Espantito, Espetrito, and Jerito Estrada, three and three quarter stars. This is uh, Dr. Lucha's ratings. Angel Azteca, Dragon de Oro, and Solar over El Magnate doing double duty. That's interesting because Corotaro is a nice little haul from Mexico City. Uh, Mayflowers and Rudy Ureña, star and three quarters. 
which he's not the only one on this on both shows listed. Mysterioso, Rey Mysterio Jr. and Volador over Evi Metal, Jerry Star, and Psychosis, three stars. Then we have Conan, Love Machine, and Winners, Bismo Negro, over Fishman, Ice Killer, and La Parca, three and a quarter stars. Winners replace Latin Lover, who hurt his ankle because he's hit by La Parca before the match. Rudos for DQ for using uh, objects in the first, Technicos to the second. Then we had a Mascara Contra Mascara match. Blue Panther, the uh, Vita Vulcano, three-star match. Panther was seconded by a mystery man in a blue and red mask, while Vulcano had Ice Killer. The short tour banned from ringside. Vulcano was DQ'd in the first for excessive violence. Blue Panther got DQ'd for excessive violence in the second. And Panther got the Nudo in for the third. Uh, it just says star and a quarter here, but I'm guessing it was more. Well, I, was, I see three stars we had earlier, so I don't know what that star and a quarter is. But I hey, feel like I've seen this match. I remember it being good. Yeah, so... I don't remember why this match happened, though. Well, that happens. I mean, you, you'll get these mass matches that will pop up after, like, maybe one week of build, one or two weeks of build. So, Lee Smart retained the Mexican Light Heavyweight title, beating uh, La Parca on April 11th in Acapulco. So La Parca, that. whose name is still being spelled in the newsletters with a C. Which, yes. in fairness, it was spelled that way on TV at times. So, yes. Yeah. All right, Simalau, where there's drama. Marco Moreno, the booker of the promotion, handed his resignation on April the 7th. Oh, wait, wait, wait. The booker of which promotion, Chris? Uh, EMLL. Okay. Uh, um, I missed a, t- a tremendous amount of local media coverage. Moreno was uh, made the booker about nine months ago where Juan Herrera was replaced. Juan Herrera is a new founder of the group Pradesa. And there are some who feel that group was working as opposition to EMLL is really a work and just set up a promotion for promotion angle down the road. No reason was given for the change and no replacement was named. Moreno's the father in law of Ultimo Dragon. What's Pradesa again? Um Did it actually exist? Yeah and no. Um Basically, what Perdessa was, was uh, it just started. I mean, April 2nd, 93 was the, uh, when they announced the founding. Uh, it was Herrera, Hector Guzman, and Climax. Um, Herrera was fired by CMLL. Um, they were trying to create a national motion, and they had, um, it was going to do something, but Herrera made peace with CMLL and went back. I mean, basically, what they did was they became like a booking agent, basically. Okay. Until they just completely went away. But isn't the CML office a booking agent? Uh, yes. So who was Prodessa booking? They were... CML was booking Prodessa wrestlers. Oh, okay. Through Prodessa. Okay. But again, how long How long that lasts? Who knows? So, that one had out of something else. All right. Uh, this change took place just three days after the 50th anniversary, and Versario showed Rina Colosseo, which turned to a major fiasco. The show was headlined by a tournament with 16 masked wrestlers in which the loser advanced to the tourney, and the ultimate loser must remove his mask. They advertised 18 wrestlers in advance, all Mexico City regulars, including several big names. They would be all placed in a lottery, and the two men would luckily be eliminated before be luckily eliminated beforehand, while the other 16 would be in the tournament. Because several retired wrestlers were being brought back as part of the in-ring festivities and such a major show, ringside tickets were raised to 50 bucks, And the regular ticket prices were triple. 
As it turned out, three of the advertised wrestlers weren't on the show, which meant one wrestler had to be added. Ray Barbaro, who's a total no-name. And of course, he lost the tournament and lost his mask. Revealing himself to be Manuel Olivares, age 35. The newspapers ripped this as a fraud next day. Fraude! And those attended apparently felt like they were ripped off big time. And when the old-timers brought back were Bobby Banales, El Padron, Ray Mendoza, Enrique Yanes, Juanita Diaz, Blue Damon, and 93-year-old Vicky Carranza. <laughs> Vicky Aragulera, excuse me. Not Vicky Carranza. The most uh, famous wrestling fan in Mexico, probably the world. All were given proclamations from EMLO head Chavo Luderoff. Excuse me, CMLO head Chavo Luderoff. All right, uh, Arena Coliseo. That's the show. 50th Anniversario. We have Sete Moreno and Sochimado over La Diabolica and La Praticante. Yeah, to be clear, it's the 50th anniversary of Arena Coliseo. Yes, the, the promotion. Because they do they do anniversaries for the buildings. <laughs> uh, then we have the tournament. Felino over Metallico. Scorpio Jr. over Pantera. Titan over Mascara Magica. Lasertron. Yeah, Hector's doing the gimmick. Over Pazonia. Perov over Hakimate. Chaos over Aguilar Salataria. Ulysses Plus. Is that like a streaming service for uh, Ulysses? Ulysses Plus? Over Ray Barbaro. Mano Negro over Ildo Solitario. And then we have the quarterfinals, where Metallica beat Pantera. Ponzoño over Mascara Magica. Hakimate over Aguilar Solitario. Ildo Solitario over Ray Barbaro. Which leads to the semifinals. Pantera over Mascara Magica. Aguilar Solitario over Ray Barbaro. And then the finals, Mascara Magica over Ray Barbaro. You go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets if you want to access Ulysses Plus in North America. Yes. Exactly. So, uh, that, yeah, that happens. You'll see these guys show up out of nowhere and something like this. So, okay. There's a guy who's going to lose his mask or hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, not not uncommon practice in Mexico. All right, Rina Cossel on the 6th, the Tuesday show. Gorgolita El Sultan in El Tumbatita over Cicotito Ramirez and Mascarita Magica. La Diabolica, La Particante over Lady Apache and Sociamara. Bronze 2, Plata and Platina over Cromagna, Pupi, Pupi, Pupi Tecas and Droglodita. Fabuloso Blondie, Ken Tim's team with Gato and Jado over Agua Solitaria, Sicon Ramirez and Pantera. Amazing. Gato and Jado team with Ken Tim's. Fantastic. And then the main event for the Simon Trios titles. The Brazos, Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, El Brazo over the Infernales, MS Uno, Pirata Morgan, and Satanico to win the championships. And then we have uh, April 9th in Arena Coliseo. No Serena Mexico's off uh, for a while. Gran Apache and Ultimatum feature Electro Shock over Baby Richard and Comodin. Part time wrestler, part time referee Comodin. Star and a half. Braceito and Ultimo Dragoncito over Pequeño America and Pequeño Hakebate. Three and a half stars for this one. Gato, Jado, and Moguer over Bronze 2, Pantera, and Platino. Two stars. Sikonomenes, Kaptakanli, and Mascara Magica over El Jinete. Quejos and Negar Casas by disqualification. No rating for that one. And then the Brazos went to WDQ with Dr. Wagner Jr., Hakemate, and Masacre. No rating for that one. Where after Porky and Mass Wagner, Wagner fouled Porky. And that was uh, the double DQ. Hmm. And then April 11th, Enrique Coliseo. El Cortado and Ribeconero over Hakon de Plata and Mysterio Tapatio. 
Centro Marino and Miss Janeth over India Azteca and La Partacante. Romagnon, Papitecas, Chocolatito over Chireno, Granapache, and Talisman Jr. Io de Gladiador, Ponzonia and Titan over Okanomers Jr., Lasertron, and Solar number two. And then the main event, Blue Demon Jr., Brasa de Plata, and Mascara Magica over Fabuloso Blondi, Ken Tims, Mano Negro, and MSA Uno. Hmm. Major difference in name, power, which are playing CMLL. Yeah. So. And then you do that shit like you did with Ray Barbaro. <laughs> you're already, you, you know, you're already going through uh, a situation here where AAA is, uh, you know, really looking better than you. And then you pull that stunt. Not good. No. All right, UWA. Los Fianos to Rudo and Dos no, Caras. Yes, couple April. things. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, Masakura and the Caveman Trio said to be head to Perdessa. And then Masakura eventually heads to uh, Triple. Triple A is Dracula. And Rada Lusco Jr. said to be suspended again with what was reported as an attitude problem. <laughs> is attitude problem uh, kayfabe for glug, glug, glug in that era? Well, he had an attitude problem. Just ask Rayman. His well, nephew. Yes. No, but I mean, knowing how... I'm not suggesting anything about Ryo specifically, but is that how... That type of thing was the uh, letter, or is this attitude problem just mean attitude problem? Possible, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Well, now let's go to UWA. Now let's go to UWA. Uh, Los Vianos to Rudo on Dos Caras on the April 4th show at El Torreo. Vianos 4 and 5 were teaming with those against the Missionarios de La Muerte. Missionarios were pounding on the Vianos with chairs. When those grabbed the chair, went to swing on the Missionarios, who thought, and hit Viano. At this point, Viano won. The oldest of the brothers hit the ring and caught Dos with a chair. And soon, all three Vianos that were left in promotion were destroying and ripping up his mask. And he even killed the referee who tried to break up the chair. Carlos was out of action all week, selling the injury. That is a very American angle. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so where is Viano Tercero at this point? Triple A? Uh, yeah, I think so. All of the Vianos who are left with this promotion. Well, one of them's dead. So really, he just means the ones who aren't Viano Tercero. Yeah. Uh, man, then the show saw uh, Canadian Vampire Casanova in the show. It was replaced by Petoff for the CMLL tag title match. Team with Dandy. This was by DQ, the Dr. Biden Jr. and Kanak. All right. Uh, full results of this show. El Sagrado, Rocky Santana, and Takeda over Spontos 4 and 5 and Ray R- Richard. El Rudo, Calificado Jr. and Rene Guajardo Jr. over El Coloso. The King! And Viano, number one. Enrique Vera, Silver King, and Tejano over Engendro the Killer and Miguel Perez Jr. And then we had the uh, Dos Cars Viano's uh, situation. And then the Connect Wagner Dandy Petoff main event, where Wagner tosses Master Petoff for the disqualification. All right, April 9th at Arena Neza. Uh, interesting looking show here while I put in the results. Rios Tapatillos, or 3,000, uh, Rina Nace, by the way. Rios Tapatillos over El Escoleto and Espirito Negro. Cassandro and Pipinel Escolado over Celestial and The King. Fionos 1, 4, and 5 over Black Power, not John Bonello. El Signo Negro Navarro. El Dandy and Ricavera and Silver King went to a double pinfall draw against Kanek and Jandro and Shua Guerrero. Ian Rotten booked that finish. And then El Tejano... We'll retain the UWA lightweight title beating Perata Morgan. Tejano weighed in at 95. Kilos. 
kilos. And was second by El Dandy. Peraza came in at 93.5. Second by CMLO's Rebe Canero. Donna retained a powerbomb in the third. So it'd be a superb match. Hmm. Which will never see the light of day. Can you imagine uh, Corey calling the king, the king against Cassandra and Big B? Jerry over there getting uh, Jerry, kissed. Jerry, Jerry over there. Kissed by uh, Pimpy, who's uh, very warmed <laughs> up to him over there. Oh, come on, Cassandra. Quit it with that stuff. Come on. You're too old for him. <laughs> In the inexplicable, on April 11th, Dos Carters returned in the main event teaming with Atlantis and Enrique Vera against Crash the Terminator, Dr. Biden Jr. and Nikki Letter, while the Vianos were at the semifinal against Dandy Silver King at Tejano. <laughs> so Atlantis, on- Enrique Vera, and Dos Caras versus Dr. Wagner Jr., the Keeler, and Bill DeMott. Let's continue with more on this show. Uh, the main event was Dos Caras, Enrique Vera, and Lantis against those three, which ended with Viano's four and five interfering in the third fall with chairs and posted and du- juiced Dos, and then stole his mask. Dos was juicing heavily, and the referee grabbed manager Andy Barrow's bandana of the United States flag and wrapped it around Dos's head to preserve his identity. My identity. Earlier in the show, all three Vianos were DQing straight falls against Silver King, El Tejano and El Dandy, including Viano number one, hitting Dandy with a Pepsi bottle. Still, the crowd was poor, estimating around 2,000 fans. All right, results of this card Espirito Negro, Kanish, and Rebo Cunar, not Kanish, Kanish, over Aeroflash, Granapache, and Ojo de Tigre. I had to do it, Bix, this past over time to get my Kanish in. Uh, Rudo Kalafka Jr. and Rego Guajardo Jr. Over we don't Colosso eat Kanishes on Passover. And the King. Sorry. Well, still. Uh, Black Power, El Signo, and Negro Navarro over Engendro, Scorpio Jr., and Shua Guerrero. Rudos versus Rudos with the hardcores prefer F- Signo Screw, and him in particular. El Dandi, Silver King, and El Tejano over Vianna, 1, 4, and 5 by DQ for excessive violets at Westwoods. And then the Alantis, Dos Caras, and Yucavera main event. Um, Dos with the American flag over his face. That's going to be quite the visual. Yeah. <laughs> So, UWA, well, at least they're running some angles. Yes, they're drawing okay sometimes. 2000 at El Torreo. Okay, I was thinking of a different crowd. <laughs> 3000 Renanese is all right. That's what I was thinking 2000, of, yes. Yeah. 2000 El Torreo is not all right. No. Pretty far from all right. No, you don't want a 10% house. <laughs> Oof. And we got some Puerto Rico to cover the, uh, fill the segment up. AEWF in Puerto Rico seems to be having financial problems. It's no longer flying in the big name town it was a few weeks back. And talk about looking for investors. Carlos Colon isn't drawing well either with WWC, with Mr. Hughes and the Mountie as his uh, top heels. And speaking of, on April 10th at Carolina, we have Mahene over La Tigresa, Lale over The Rattler, Jose Luis Rivera over Mohammed Hussein, El Bronco number one over Carl Wallace. PCO. John, PCO. The Dream Warriors of Ricky Santana and Ray Gonzalez. Invader 1 over the Mountie. And Carlos Colon over Mr. Hughes. Do you think that when he found out he was working a program with Invader, he made sure he got a shoot stop shock stick to carry with him? <laughs> he should have arrested him for Canadian, some type of Canadian law being broken. Just to just arrest him. And when know? does he start back up with WWF? 
I mean, him and uh, late '93 because his their Survivor Series. They're not on SummerSlam, so it's well, they like, win the tag titles in September, but they debuted right before that, right? Yeah, so yeah, in September. And I think I think it's this Puerto Rico run is where he and Carl really first took up, right? Yes, because contrary to popular belief, Jacques did not train Carl. No, no, it was a uh, uh, Pat Gerard. Yes. So there you go. And, of course, Muhammad Hussein is, I can't believe he didn't say it for once, Lou Fabiano. Lou Fabiano. That's right. He found love in Puerto Rico and homesteaded. He sure did. Well, hey, I don't blame him. Puerto Rican women are uh, quite nice. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not. I ain't lying. <laughs> I, I, think I, didn't, I didn't think see that coming, but okay. I ain't lying, brother. All right, Tyler's back with us as we go to the indie scene. and. We begin with one of the most interesting deals uh, of this era, I guess, so to speak. A $100 pop fundraiser by Jeff Bucantz for the U.S. Maccabea Games fencing team in his backyard on April 4th in Livingston, New Jersey, drew what would probably be the largest non-WFWCW house of the year in the United States. Bucantz, a formerly nationally ranked uh, fencer who has competed previously in the Maccabea Games, a competition in in Israel of Jewish athletes. Is it in Israel? Is Israel? So what is this is Israel bit? Because that's what's confusing me here. I think he said, I think it's supposed to say in Israel. Okay. A competition is Israel of Jewish athletes. Okay. Worth as the mighty Maccabee teaming with Ken Patera to be Iron Mike Sharp and the Iron Sheik when Sharp ever so graciously did a job for him despite outweighing him by maybe 100 pounds. Killer Kowalski. Wrestled Baron von Raschke in a semifinal battle with Claw Holtz from another generation. Another blast, of blast, blast from the past didn't take place as the Dom Danucci Baron Mikhail Cicluna match didn't happen when Cicluna pulled out the last minute in 1993. Well, this should return 25 fans as Mr. Motion beat Ace Darling. Iron Mike Stark beat the Cheetah Kid. Oh, Misty Blue beat Linda Dallas. How about that, Bex? Iron Sheet went to double count with Nikolai Volkov. Dominic Danucci beat Johnny Hotbond. He's summoned for Baron Mikhail Ciclona. Baron Von Rash over Killer Kowalski by his qualification. And Patera, Mighty Maccabee over Iron Mike Sharp and the Iron Sheik. Wow, Bex. Wow. This is, um, this show is full of uh, Jewish pride, Bex. Yes. Now, should I be the one who explains why this may sound familiar, or would you like to? Go ahead. This is one of the benefit shows that Jeff Pucantz put on that uh, became part of the Dollar uh, Grandmasters of Wrestling DVDs at Walmart. That became the best-selling wrestling DVDs of all time. You know, I wouldn't—I never, never seen them, never would buy them, nothing. They were a dollar. Didn't appeal to me. Didn't appeal to me. Yeah, but a dollar could go a long way. You can buy all kind of stuff with an extra, you know, have the extra dollar. Sure. <laughs> but, so obviously you've seen this, so talk about the show. I've seen a little of it. Um, it's in his yard. I mean... It's backyard wrestling. Not exactly. Literally. <laughs> oh, at least one of them's on archive.org. Okay, that's good. Um, I don't know which is volume one and which is volume two, though, or... How all that works. But, yeah, and it's very not good. And 
If you ever wanted to see someone doing a uh, Jewish pride fencing gimmick, <laughs> boy, are you in for a treat. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised you weren't at the show. Where was it? Where in Jersey is it? Uh, it's in, uh, let's see, it's in Livingston. I don't know where that is. We don't all know each other, Chris. Well, I'm just saying, it's, it's, I mean, it's a celebration of the the Maccabea games and stuff like that. I thought you might want to have been there. No. Okay. To support your, your, your fellow tribesmen. Yeah, if people want to know more about these, I guess the best thing to do is watch the, uh, whatchamacallit, the uh, Brian Zane uh, Wrestling with Regret videos about them that are on YouTube, and we're at least one of which I'm guessing was probably written by our dear friend, uh, West Coast, Mr. Ulala. Yeah, that's not quite the deal, that's for sure. Yes, and meanwhile, I found an article from a little over a month ago from, uh, what is this? Jewishphilanthropy.com about this. Hey. 30 years since Maccabee Mania, the iconic and infamous Jewish pro wrestling fundraiser. Jeff Picantz, the current president of Maccabee USA, raised tens of thousands of dollars in the mid-90s to fund the American fencing team's travel costs. And I'll share the screen, or should I just link the article? I'll share the screen so you can see a picture of Jeff as uh, Mighty Maccabee. Oh, there we go. That's perfect. That is perfect right there, Bix. <laughs> I'm surprised that you don't have that poster on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, there were, that's right. There were four different. There was there was like part one and part two, and each had its own volume. There were four Grandmasters of Wrestling DVDs. If you were a fan of pro wrestling during the mid aughts, odds are you you owned a copy of Grandmasters of Wrestling, the popular four part DVD series produced by Digiview Entertainment that overflowed from Walmart dollar bins. With covers collaged with wrestling legends in their prime, the series sold over six hundred thousand units, becoming, according to some figures, one of the best selling wrestling DVDs of all time. I mean, that's the thing, though. It's 600,000 sold in the series, not all of the same title, necessarily. Fans rushed home expecting epic matches, but what they witnessed was a warped version of pro wrestling that seemed like it belonged in the borscht belt. Footage for Grandmasters Wrestling was taped over the course of two fundraisers. Maccabee Mania, held on April 4th, 1993, and Mania 2, Shekel Slam... <laughs> Shackle Slam? <laughs> it's Shackle Slam! <laughs> well, Vince does work for Ari Emanuel now, so... <laughs> yes, and Mark Shapiro as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, did you see the tweets about, like, oh, I, isn't it awesome now how Triple H has to answer to all these Jews? <laughs> I'm sure he loves that. Well, anyway, oh my goodness. Yes, March 1st, 1997 uh, for Shekel Slam. The New Jersey events were organized by Jeff Picantz, a former fencer and current president of Maccabee USA, to raise money to shuttle the American fencing team to the 93 and 97 Maccabee Games in Israel. The footage was never expected to be sold. The cards featured some of the most outrageous animated characters in wrestling history, many of them falling into the evil foreigner trope, including Russian Nikolai Volkov, German Baron von Raschke, and the Iranian Iron Sheik, who, sporting a keffiyeh and his signature handlebar mustache, gave numerous ranting promos at both events in his classic, rambly, screamy style, going on about his hatred for the U.S. while slipping in compliments to the, quote-unquote, intelligent Jews watching. <laughs> uh, blah, 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 blah. 
Um, Volkov serenaded the crowd with uh, Karamia before treating fans to a rousing rendition of, of Papa Nagila. Oh, God, I want to say that. Because <laughs> I was hoping that was Jeff Bucan's theme song. The camera clearly shows a couple of spectators sitting in the high school gym bleachers. That's on the 97 show, clapping along. Camera also shows many others chit-chatting, barely watching his performance. Main events of both fundraisers starred the barely trained Mighty Maccabee, skinny, lanky superstar with a mug and David emblazoned on his chest and a fencing gimmick, which was ac- excuse me, who was actually Buchan's under a mask. 30 years since the first Maccabee Mania was filmed, the DVDs have grown a cult following. It's Quote, unquote, the wrestling equivalent of the room, said wrestling YouTuber Brian Zane, referring to the 2003 cult classic that has experienced a resurge in popularity in recent years. The first event netted $20,000 for that year's games, and the second event, Shekel Slam, raised $30,000 for the 97 games. <laughs> Bucant was living I can't get dream. over that name. <laughs> Shekel Slam. The seeds for the events were planted over lunch. In 1986, Bucantz, a former Olympic team captain and referee, was made chair of the Maccabee Games fencing teams. <laughs> I had to raise raise money, Bucantz told. Oh, it's e-Jewish philanthropy. Even better. <laughs> I didn't know how to raise money, so I started a raffle program. $100 a ticket. I raised about $12,000. That was pretty good. So now it's time for the 93 games. What am I going to do? When you're fundraising, it's not fun. So one day I was at lunch with two of my Maccabee teammate buddies. And somebody says, why don't you do a wrestling show? My eyes got the size of cantaloupes. Bucans, also a sometimes sports reporter, had befriended Ken Patera, a strongman pro wrestler and former Olympic weightlifter. Uh, after interviewing him following a match at the Miami Orange Bowl in 1978. Yeah. He had, yeah. He had a little tape recorder, Patera told DJP. He was very professional. Even though he was only 20 years old, he knew what he was doing. So he took. So I took a liking to him. Afterwards, I told him I needed a ride. Not one to miss an opportunity. <laughs> Bucanch drove Patera to his hotel, where they proceeded to drink with a group of wrestlers. At one point, in the middle of the lobby, Bucanch asked Patera if his swinging full Nelson finishing move really hurt. Stand up. Uh-huh. I'll put it on uh-huh. you. I won't hurt you. I knew that's coming. Patera recalled <laughs> telling him. I didn't mean to hurt him, but I did. <laughs> Course. He stood behind Bacance, lacing his uh, blah 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 blah. Uh, I put him in the full Nelson very loosely, as loosely as I could. Swung him three or four times, gave him a little joy ride. Then I put him down. He tells me ten years later, you know, Ken, my neck is still fucked up. Today, Patera considers his friendship with Bucants one of his longest. He's a sweetheart of a guy, Patera said. How long is this fucking article? Holy shit, this thing is long. What the fuck? Well, it's time to. Yeah. Oh, no, he went. He went to um, Mike Sharp's wrestling school. I'm just gonna skim to see if there's anything else here. Uh, well, my, my my thing is is they should have. Uh, I mean, if you got Shekel Slam, then you know you need to have Payus Mania. Nah, Payus no, Mania. No, there's got to be something better than that. Um, uh, th- th- there's got to be something that sounds better than that. Come on. Um, I I don't know. Anyway, oh my uh, how much do you think the payoffs were on the show? I hope they were good. $100 for the indies, uh, $500 for the names. Patera gave Jeff $200 back. Oh, good for him. Um, he videotaped it, thinking of it like a wedding or a bar mitzvah. Uh, 
God, Jew- Jewish specific media is weird sometimes. Why are they writing about this like this epic? <laughs> it's pride, Bix. It's pride. Oh, he's cousins with Mike Omansky. Okay, that explains a lot. Seemed like a fun night for Bukans and his buddies, but in 2005, it came much more. Mike Omansky, Bukans' cousin who helped at both events, had accepted a job as CEO of Digiview Entertainment, the company that stocked most of Walmart's dollar bins, often with inexpensive content or videos already in the public domain. And you get the idea. How much do you think Jeff Bukans made per copy sold? On a... Two cents. <laughs> wow. So from the DVD sales, oh wait, no, it's over six hundred fifty thousand copies. Okay, so he made Bukans made about thirteen grand, although he didn't receive it all since Digiview went out of business before he attained all of his checks. I would like to say I donated the money to Maccabee USA, but I don't remember what I did with it. Oh, and they quote Ace Darling. Although here they call him Mike Moraldo, of course. Jeff had no delusions. He realized. Could, could you imagine if they had a uh, like? A Michael Buffer type ring announcer that said, "Let's get ready to Baraka." To what? <laughs> Baraka. Now I don't even know what you're talking about. Baraka. Oh, excuse me, Barakata. You know what I said? No, Barakata. Oh, Barakata. Jesus Bar- Christ. Barakata. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there we go. For fuck's sake, Chris. Hey, I'm trying. <laughs> Oh, and of course, they talk about the Megan brothers, because it's... Or the Muggin brothers, what? however you pronounce it. Well, that was Iron Sheik. Yeah, this article is way too long. What the hell? Go read it. Yeah, if you just Google it, you'll find it. Oh, my goodness. EJewishPhilanthropy.com Goodness gracious. Fine. So, anyway. WA, with nice Italian Dennis Corluzzo, <laughs> Clementon, New Jersey, on April 3rd. For 600 fans. Hey, they drew one of the Maccabee games. As it Bluebeard, the pirate, over Gus the Greek. Spider over Tasmaniac. Ed the just, Razor. Wait, if it's just A or the Spider, it's Glenn Ruth, right? Ed the Razor over Chuck Sloan. Ray Evans and Chris Candido over Ray Odyssey and Boy Gone Bad. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> and, and then our main and then our main event. The big boss man over Abdu Singh, Abuda Singh, Balls Mahoney. Quite the show here for Dennis. All right. During our week, we had the very first television episode of Eastern Championship Wrestling. So, yes, let's look at that, shall we? How it all began with the announced team of Jay Sully and Stevie Wonderful. You mean six-pack Jay Sully. Yes. Oh, they have a better copy on YouTube than's on the network. Huh. <laughs> well, it's just the open. Greetings, wrestling fans, to a packed Cabrini College Fieldhouse in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for the inaugural edition of Eastern Championship Wrestling on Sports Channel. My name is Jay Sully. I'll be bringing you all the play-by-play action this evening, along with my co-host, the official color analyst for the ECW, Mr. Stevie Wonderful. And isn't it wonderful war here live and in living color? ECW first week on Sports Channel Philadelphia. Batting out the hatches. Here we come. We got a lot of things happening tonight, Jay Sully. But before we get started with any of the action tonight, it's my pleasure to first introduce the president of the ECW. Oh, here we go. Gordon. 
Steve, let us be here. Jay, it's a pleasure to be here with both of you and Stevie Wonderful. Todd Gordon, president of the ECW. Let me ask you a question. I see here, with holding in your hands, ECW television heavyweight wrestling champion. That's what it's all about. So I've always wondered, did he not get side plates to save money? Or did they not finish the belt? Uh, probably, I mean, I could see the argument for either one, actually. Because that original TV title never has side plates. No, it doesn't. And it's, I mean, but it's Ty Gordon, Pawn Shop. You would think that he would have that handled. He would so. Think so. You would think even if the belt maker didn't finish it, he would have some kind of jeweler who could help him. Yes. Someone. And he would think he would have the money to pay for the full belt. Yeah. With his Carver W. Reed money. So That's right. Carver W. Reed, baby. Yes. Which you always see the commercials on ECW in the early days, you think it's a fancy jewelry store, not a pawn shop. <laughs> yeah, no. Starting tonight, right here on Sports Channel, we have a tournament taking place right here, ECW style, the way only ECW wrestlers can do it. From what I understand, some of the top stars in professional wrestling are here and in that tournament. That is correct, and I have a special announcement just for you and just for you. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to add a third man in the booth. That's right. A very, very special person is going to be joining you at ringside. One of the greatest wrestlers of all time. The living legend himself. That's right. The living legend himself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's hot stuff. Much, Mr. Gordon. It's indeed a great place. Mr. Gilbert, now I know you better than anybody knows you. That's right, and I'm not going to put up with your shenanigans. I want you to look at the monitor right now and see who it is that's going to be our new third man in the booth right here. Look at that monitor. That's not going to help. Why not? Gotcha! Here's Terry on Quantum Leap for some reason. Terry Funk on Quantum Leap is a good they show. Okay, I'm skipping through this. <laughs> But Terry Funk shows up. Can't so. do anything right. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the real third man in the booth, Mr. Terry Funk. Why does Todd Gordon always sound like he's going to cry Terry when he's on Funk, TV? Wait a minute! <laughs> wait a minute! Wait a minute! Terry Funk! You can't get Terry Funk! Terry Funk! Huh? No, no, you and all these stinking people here want to call him a legend. Well, legends to me are old men. Hey, hey, Gilbert. I want to say something, and what I want to say is this. That when you run with my old gang, you got to be tough. And if you want to get tough, you can get into the wrestling ring with me. But then how would that look? If this old man here kicked your butt. Oh yeah? Oh yeah? 
Oh, yeah. You know, I want to say to you people here and you people out home there that it's a pleasure being here because each and every one of you in this area have got a place in my heart because it is the HC portion of the United States is where the Eastern Championship Wrestling is originated. And what I mean by HC, it's the hardcore fans. And I want to say one other thing, too, that Todd has put together a bunch of wrestlers out here that maybe some of them you haven't seen before and some of them you've seen many times on your television. But I promise you, hardcore fans, that the, a lot of these guys will give you their heart and their soul right in that wrestling ring. Terry, it's a pleasure to have a great living legend like Mr. Terry Funk joining us in the ECW. And I right now would like to start the announcing by saying we'll be back with ECW Wrestling right after this break. Yeah. Eastern Championship Wrestling. There you go. By Carver W. Reed. Hey, I'm surprised. Sellers of fine diamonds and gold jewelry since 1860. And your Quality Plus Ford dealers, where you'll find five of the ten best-selling vehicles. See your local Quality Plus Ford dealer today. Now, in fairness, Carver W. Reed does specialize in jewelry. It is a pawn shop. Yes. But they, yeah. but they specialize in jewelry. They are not an all-purpose pawn shop. Yes. Uh, but, uh, Tyler, Tyler, ECW came a long way, didn't they? Yeah, it's hard to believe that almost everything that happened in wrestling in the late 90s was influenced by that promotion. Yeah, humble beginnings, but uh, it definitely uh, made an impact on the business, that's for sure. Yes. How So how funny is it that uh, ECW, of all promotions, was started by uh, the owner of a shop that refers to themselves as the most trusted name in money lending for over 160 <laughs> years. Well, Todd never had no problems paying the boys. No, so. no. Again, it's, like, it's super weird that Paul got rid of the money mark. Well, we talked about that a while back. back yes, on the on Patreon shows. Yes, a couple months ago. But... Uh, He's, but he's the most trusted name in money lending for over 160 years. Well, he wasn't, but his company was. So. Yes. Well, it stayed in the family. I don't know who Carver W. Reed actually is, but... Uh... Yeah. All right. Now, on to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. On this weekend's television show, Dirty White Boy and Ron Wright were talking about moving to New York. White Boy had been breaking lights in New York using a chain that Wright gave him and beating up street gangs. Wright said that the New York doctors had discovered he's suffering from asthmatic bronchitis and said the Southern doctors were all too stupid to diagnose his problem. Well, let's go to Ron Wright, shall we, and hear him talk about this. And he's in his mid-50s at the oldest at this point, right? You know, that's what we talked about last week. You know, he's... All it is. Gotta take his pills, though. And what mm -hmm. a shot of Robert Gibson's eye in the thumbnail for this episode. <laughs> 
Yeah. Hey, fans, we're at ringside right now with the legendary Mr. Ron Wright and, oh, of course, this man, the dirty white boy. That's but right. Mr. Wright, Tennessee chain matches, they're nothing new to you. As a matter of fact, you're the master of the Tennessee chain matches. Yeah, you're right, but let me tell you something. I didn't know just how redneck, ignorant, backwards these hillbillies here in the south were till I got out of the south and got up north. You know, I had to get even up in North Carolina to Duke University to find out what was wrong with the bad heart. I couldn't even, I thought the whole world had a smog over it from pollution, and I got up in New York two weeks ago, and the dirty white boy took me to ice fessers, and they burnt my eyeballs with laser, and now I can see everything's clear. But I'm telling you, it's a shame and a disgrace, but now I've come down with something else. They found out up there in New York, I've been having attacks. Nobody down here could find out what it was. And they found out I've got asthmatic bronchitis that have been bothering me to death. And them New York doctors, they're getting that cleared up on me. But now let me get back to these chain matches, Bob. I am the master. I am the walking, talking, living legend in the world of these chain matches. I had 513 of these chain matches, and I only lost one of them in a 22-year span, and some idiot threw a fifth bottle of liquor from up in the back and hit me in the head and knocked me out. It's the only reason I lost that. But I've hunted the world <laughs> over finding somebody that could get in my shoes and fill them and take care of this chain and do what's got to be done. And I found it right here in my beloved dirty white boy. He's going to carry on. I feel sorry for anybody that puts his name on the line and gets in the ring with him in one of these chain matches. <laughs> All right, white boy, you've got the ball. What you going to do with it? I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do with the ball. You know, me and Mr. Wright's been in New York City, and I've been going down to Fort Apache in the Bronx, which is the worst place on the face of the earth. I'd climb a street light about two, anywhere from two to four o'clock in the morning, I'd bust it out with this chain. I'd come back down, there'd be a gang waiting on me. After I whooped all them, went and had me a little lunch, went back and checked on Mr. Ron Wright, so I've been training real, real hard. But Tracy Smothers, take a real good look at this chain. 12 foot long, big boy, and I don't think that you've got enough guts to put your wrist at the other end of this. And if you do, it's real simple, Smothers. I'm going to stomp your sticking guts, and then I'm going to shove his chain straight down your throat. All right. There it is right there, fans, from the dirty white boy, Mr. Ron Wright. Let's go to the ring. There you go, Bex. A couple of, a couple of your people. Find the orders. Do we think they went to Maccabee Mania while they were in the Northeast? <laughs> Ron Wright. Ron Wright. Again, they're gonna with so many Jews there. At least must, one of them must be a doctor. <laughs> well, I mean, imagine they get Ron Wright in there to read the Torah. That would be something. <laughs> in that accent. <laughs> Shemal Yisrael. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So next we get Jim Cornette and his Heavenly Bodies, which at this point in time consisted of Dr. Tom Richard, Sweet Stan Lane, and beautiful Bobby Eaton. Well, there may be a little trouble in paradise here. Let's go to the clip. All right, fans, we just heard, of course, from the stud stable in here is Jim Cornette and, and the Heavenly Bodies. 
I tell you, the stable, they're, they're ready, Jim. Ready for what? Ready for what? Ready for the retirement home? Ready for Alcoholics Anonymous? What are they ready for? Maybe they're ready to go home. Yeah, you'd hate to be in my shoes because they'd be real tight on those big fat feet of yours. I'll tell you what the stud stable are ready for. The stud stable are ready to sit at home on Sunday afternoon, put their feet up, drink beer like the rest of these rednecks, and watch football and leave the competing in sports to the real men. Beautiful Bobby the TV champion beat the team title holder, the Heavenly Bodies, the Smoky Mountain Tag Team Champions, and Stud Stable. The street fight match, the three-team street fight match is going to take care of you real handily. But as for the Rock and Roll Express, I've come to the conclusion that Rock and Roll, we can beat you, we can break your leg, break your neck, break your arm, we can hurt you time after time after time, and it still won't get rid of you. Because you don't know when to quit. You're so stupid, you don't know when you're beat. So I tell you what we're going to do to the Rock and Roll Express. We're going to embarrass Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson right out of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We're going to embarrass them out of the whole organization and maybe all the wrestling combined. Because if we can't beat them out, then we'll laugh them out. And now, you see what I got here in my pocket? See, Bob Armstrong ain't here today. He's probably out trying to find some way to con somebody else out of something, but I got a little injunction here. Why do I get the sinking feeling someone's going to interrupt this promo? Just watch and see. Yeah, it's not like anyone's not wearing their glasses or anything. Because you see, so far, the Beat the Champ challenger is picked at the top of every program. Whoever the champion is doesn't have time to respond or react or, or train or plan. Well, this changes all that. Because I argued in court, and rightfully so, that a man needs a chance to prepare for his challenger. So this injunction means that the Beat the Champ challenger will be picked now every week, a week ahead. Okay. And what I want you to do right now, <laughs> I want you to get that hat full of names, and I want you to pick Bobby Eaton's challenger in next week's program. Go ahead. Okay, all right. All right, no, hey, I'm sick and tired of all these ringers you've been picking. Jimmy Golden, you think that was chance? You think I believe that? You're crazy. Here, I'll hold it. I'll hold it. We can whip anybody. I'm not gonna Makes look. no difference. I'm not looking. You can see we I'm not looking. Let the taste out of their mouth. Oh, oh my golly. Who is, oh, who is You want to read it or you want me to you read, read it? You read it. I don't want to read it. I don't care. I want you to look at it. Tom Pritchard. Oh, yeah. Oh, Tom oh, Pritchard. No. Tom Pritchard. There it is, Jim. Wait a minute. What's these other names say? They're all the same. They gotta be all the same. Oh, they ain't all the same. What? Oh, well, wait a minute. Well, we okay, I tell you what. I'm gonna I'm gonna tear this injunction up. No, we no, don't need the injunction. No, no. We don't need the injunction. We'll just, no. I wouldn't mind having a match anyway. Bobby shoved him. for the next week for a beat the champ match yeah i mean that's a good angle to do but there, none comes out of it smw everybody <laughs> i mean because let's see um i'm trying to remember how the match went uh, 
But this is kind of was something that was like on the surface. You could kind of tell that Dr. Tom was like in the background and it was something that was there. Oh, it went to a no contest. Uh, that was April 10th TV, which is during our week, actually. Uh, went to no contest. Um, I'm trying to remember what happened. Well, let me go there too. All right. Well, it was the it was the only uh, non bluegrass brawl match of the show hmm. because the rest of the show was bluegrass brawl highlights. So, uh, all right. So I'm looking now. I um, Eaton and Tom are brawling, and then Cornette steps in and stops the fight, stops the match. Hmm. And they go and they go to promos. That's it. That's how it ends. And then there's a promo with Cornette. All right, after the fact. All right, let's see here. I right, go to about forty-five, forty-five ten. Or four five forty five oh eight. Yeah, yeah, you're right there. Okay. Wait, do they interrupt? Do they go to a break with the match in progress? No, Cornette has stepped in the ring by then. Okay. He he was in the ring, trying to stop him from fighting. All right, here we go. Not a thing you said that occurred in that ring. Everything went everything went exactly opposite from what you said it was going to go. Well, let me tell you something, Bob Carl. If it did that, that's just because of Bob Armstrong's tampering and your tampering and the rest of these people around Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Now, I told you guys, quit it. Quit it. He don't owe you no money. You owe me a thousand dollars. You owe me a thousand dollars. He don't owe me a thousand dollars. I beat you up there, Bobby. I beat you up there. I'll give you a thousand dollars. I don't want your thousand. I want Bobby's thousand dollars. He don't have a thousand dollars. Wait a minute. Would you please? Hey, quit, quit, quit. That's it. Now you got a piece of videotape of what Bob Armstrong's been saying. I want to see it. I want to know exactly what's going on. All right, fans, let's watch that right here from Commissioner Bob Armstrong. You know, from the start, everybody's wondered what Jimmy Cornette what a backdrop. Called forming a corporation. <laughs> it's a it's a blue backdrop with a bunch of silverish stars on it. A three man corporation. Everybody knows two and three don't make four. Our attorneys are now ready to stand up in court that say three men cannot defend two belts. Okay, you got the idea. Well, keep it going. It's, I mean, just keep it going. So what we've yeah. decided is this, that Jimmy Cornette, all you wanted to do was get yourself a tax dodge to save some of you and your mother's money. Well, it ain't going to work. We're ready to go to court now if you are. You know no judge in this right mind would say three men can defend two belts. So from now on, what we've decided is the two original signees, and I'm talking about Tom Pritchard and Stan Lane, they will be the ones to defend the tag team titles, and only they. And I'll tell you what, I've done some more digging. I heard some rumors this morning about 6.30, I was awakened with a phone call, and a rumor that if it turns out to be fact, will shock the wrestling world. I got six days to dig, and Bobby Eaton, you'll be very interested in what I may come up with. I'll be back with you next week, Bob. Something like that. How can he, 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 he say something he's like the that? Commissioner, Commissioner Bob Armstrong. I know who he. he Commissioner Bob Armstrong. That's like fat head McGee. One, two, three. Only can be hey, two. I can't believe for one second that Bob Armstrong would rule that Bob Eaton is not eligible to defend the Smoky Mountain Tag Team Title. And I'm sick and tired of this constant interference, this constant tampering. Bob Armstrong, you've done everything you can think of. 
to try to screw us up. You've done everything you can think of to try to stop the heavenly bodies of Jim Cornette. You go to court, you get lawyers, you file injunctions, you file papers, you say that we can't defend the titles, all three of us. You try to stick Bobby Eaton in some kind of crazy mixed up match with his own partner for the TV title. You get this guy to draw ringers out of a hat. Let me tell you something, Bob Armstrong, you're treading on thin ice with me, brother. And when I want to do something to somebody, I generally get it done. And as far as the Rock and Roll Express goes, like I said before, we beat them in street fights, we beat them in every kind of match, and we still can't get them out of here. So we're going to embarrass them. We're going to laugh them out. We're going to make it so humiliating for the Rock and Roll Express, they'll never want to show their face here again. And then I'm going to court. I'm getting my mama's attorneys to get Bobby Eaton reinstated as a member of the tag team champions as well as the beast of champs. Tom, I've got to do that. What? Does this mean that Bob and I are done? We're through? No. It's just Bob Armstrong saying that he can't be a part of a tag team title defense. It's got to be you guys because your names are on the contract. From now on until I get it reversed. And you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here. We're getting out of here. There are no personality problems in the heavenly body. I can see that. I can, I can certainly understand that. Fans, we'll see you next week. Until then, so long for now. Basically, what Bob reveals is that, well, Bobby Eaton's still in the contract at WCW. <laughs> so he had to leave. This is the way to get him out of here. But this is an angle that I guess WCW was maybe putting heat on the, the for him to come back, you know, and stuff. Yeah. He couldn't be on Smokey no more. But this is definitely an angle that had that had some legs. That could have been very interesting to see how it went. And then they can't do nothing with it. Oh well, you know, because I mean. <sighs> You could have the you could have the split. They're fighting over Stan Lane in a way here, because Tom Dr. Tom pulls Stan Lane over his side where he was standing with Bobby. Oh, wouldn't you want a team with the only wrestler cheering by Ric Flair? <laughs> Obviously. But uh Yeah. Tyler, what, what do you make about this? About the lost opportunity here they could have had with this? Well, it definitely still had some legs to it. You could it, it doesn't look over for sure. Well, I mean, it's just something, it's it's a different thing, you know? So, anyway. All right, so there's that. Next, we have Kevin Sullivan in another uh, couch session with his doctor. Let's go to the clip. The lime and the coconut. Fans, before we go to the ring for our main event, let's take a look now and get an update on Kevin Sullivan's psychiatric therapy. I don't really know, Dutch, whether the doctor's making him well or whether he's making the doctor sick, but let's watch it, fans. Oh, what a lovely bunch of grapes. You know, sometimes this therapy gets real hard. But Ryan Lee, Jimmy Horner, or anybody else that wants to get in my way you see, Smoky Mountain Wrestling is paying for my therapy, and I'm feeling a lot better. But it isn't going to stop me from doing what I want to do, because I have been persecuted, I have been looked down upon, and I have been made to feel unwelcome. 
and Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I'm going to take this out on everybody, starting with Sorry. that horsehead, Brian Lee. You see, Brian Lee, when I get through with you, all the king's horses, all the king's men ain't going to glue your big head back together again. It's going to go this way, Brian Lee. It's a lovely bunch of grapes, and the grapes of wrath are going to fall on your head. <laughs> I'm feeling a lot better. And of course, uh, Nancy's feeding the grapes. Although her head is never shown. No, but uh. And if you ever had a visual image, uh, excuse me, a mental image in your head of what uh, the Sullivan's condo in Daytona Beach looked like, it pretty much looks exactly like that. <laughs> yeah, just watch these segments. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so. Uh... There's some heat about Arn Anderson's remark on the April 11th episode of WCW main event during the face-to-face conversation with Bobby Eaton, saying how Eaton has spent the past few months in the minor leagues. Funny, because Arn worked in the same place. Most here are hot, but not at Anderson. Believe it was a lot Anderson was told to say, not something he said on his own volition. I would think so. Yeah, but uh, how about that, huh? Wish we had that clip, but we don't. But yeah, <laughs> the minor leagues. Uh, Mongolian Stomper replaced the injured Robert Gibson in Morristown on April 3rd in a barbed wire match, beating Ricky Morton and Tim Horner, beating, teaming with Ricky Morton and Tim Horner to beat the three heavenly bodies. Yes, it says in the observer, it says beating with Ricky Morton and Tim Horner. Yes. Mongolian Stompers, I remember the Rock and Roll Express. Sounds like a hoot right there. Uh huh. The Night Stalker debuts full fetch bait face on April 3rd, distracting Kevin Sullivan, causing him to lose to Brian Lee. Results of this card in front of 900 fans saw Jimmy Golden over Mike Sampson, Night Stalker over Joe Kazana, Brian Lee over Kevin Sullivan, Tracy Smothers over Dirty White Boy, and no DQ match for the Smoky Mountain title. Mm-hmm. And then Morton, Morton, Horner, and Stomper over the three heavenly bodies in a barbed wire match. Then we go to Paceville, Kentucky on April 9th for a 700, where Bobby Blaze beat Mike Sampson, Tim Horner over Stan Lamb by DQ, Kevin Sullivan over Brian Lee, Tracy over Dirty White Boy, and then Smoking Mountain Street Fight was Morton and Horner over eating them Dr. Tom. So there you go. Chris Candido will return as the Avenger on April 16th. And this is going to be the beginning of his, his run here, basically. Yeah, at this point, he's just doing jobs under a mask and whatnot. Yeah. All right, now let's go to Austin Idol's USA Wrestling and the Pro Wrestling Torch. There's a lot of speculation that USA Championship Wrestling may be on its last legs. No TV show was taped on April the 3rd. Then later that afternoon, when the taping would have aired, a replay of last week's show aired instead. That's not good. They did hold their weekly event on April 3rd in Dothan. If Austin Idol were to pull the promotion, sources say that David Woods, who won the old Continental promotion, said that he would restart the territory by himself. Hey, look, it's a story that's in the Observer every year in the early 90s. Well, here's the thing about well, the this torch. one. Though, that, yes. well, but yeah, but here's the thing about this one, though, that's different. What starts airing in 1993? Uh, that would be reruns of Continental Wrestling Federation on WCOV-TV Montgomery. Maybe there's something to this. Okay, because didn't we... We dated one of the episodes using a Simpsons ad, right? Yeah. Trying to remember about it was like year su- we summer ninety three, 
summer 93. Well, I don't think it was a rerun, so it wouldn't have been the summer. Um, oh, no, it wasn't. It was a, wasn't it like a living single or something? I don't remember. But it was a summer rerun. It was it, a summer uh, airing of the show going into the new season, I think, or something like that. No, I think it was a new episode of whatever it was. So I don't think it was summer. I think it was summer because it was talking about the NFL coming up or something. Well, no, it wasn't NFL coming up because it was fine. It was something. Actually, didn't we find some of these in the news in newspapers too? For ninety three? I don't think so. So what market was or market or markets was USA airing in? Um on David Wood stations. So WCOV Montgomery and then what else? Whatever stations he owned. I don't know. Did he own stations in Dothan and whatever? He owned stations in multiple cities. If I'm not mistaken. But, um, yeah, so maybe there's something to this. I don't know. Well, anyway, April 3rd in Dothan at a one-night tag tournament for the USA Tag Titles. So, yes, we got a tournament for titles, and the promotion is in a state of flux. Master Blaster, Mr. Tennessee, Larry Santo under a mask, beat the bullet, and Scott Armstrong. Prince King and Steve Dahl over Johnny Rich and Jesse Curls, is what it says here. Austin Idol, by himself, beat Borzukov and Sean O'Ryan by his qualification. Wendell Cooley and Steve Armstrong over Mr. Tennessee and the Master Blaster. Cooley and, St- and Steve then beat uh, King and Dahl to win the tournament. Okay, from looking at newspapers.com, the earliest listings of CWF wrestling on WCOV in 1993 are in January. Okay. Interesting. And it had been airing... At Actually, yeah, wait a second. I'm seeing stuff in 92 as well. Oh. Well, we have 93, so there's that. Yes. <laughs> so who knows? Now, back in the USA, on April the 10th, staying with the torch, they aired a new TV show. But had no live matches. And no rank. As Charlie Platt hosted the show where he announced that USA was planning on merging with the USWA. And the program became a clip show of USA USWA matches and angles with some promos from USA talent. Talking about USWA talent, USA talent, talking about USWA talent. Platt told the fans to expect to see these wrestlers in Dothan and stay tuned, but didn't indicate if there would be a new USA TV show or not, or more USWA clips. Either way, appears Austin is making some major changes, and either promotion will either remain what it is, or USWA will completely take over. Yeah. And so, we don't have any of these last few episodes. The latest episode we have is uh, March 20th. Yeah. So, yeah, when when your whole show, TV show, becomes a clip show for another promotion, Tyler, I don't think that's a good sign. No, that's uh, that's the point. I think you need to be start looking for work elsewhere. And it's also funny because it's the same thing we saw with USA Wrestling. Their last TV show was talking about the merger with them and Continental, and it was a Continental clip show. But they actually were replaced by Continental, because they actually did I know, but I'm saying, yes, yes, I'm yes. saying, uh, almost the same exact thing here. And they were both named USA Championship Wrestling, or USA Wrestling, or whatever. But it kind of, it kind of makes you wonder, though, if, uh, if there was talk of the Jarrett's wanting to run in this part of the country. I mean, they had been but, running on and off in Alabama, in Northern way, Alabama, right? yeah, Northern Alabama, and that was shows promoted by Nick Goulas. Well, yes, using USWA talent. Bill have more on this, I'm sure, when he listens to the show. So there's that. 
right. The National Wrestling Collectors Association held their first convention of the weekend in Nashville, put together by Don Rowlett. The event was said to have been a lot of fun from the several who attended that called Dave. Among the former wrestlers attending were including uh, Jimmy Valiant, Corsica Joe, who's the ticket taker at the USW events in Nashville, his wife, Sarah Lee, Corin David Combs, Don Jardine, the spoiler, Buddy Wayne, Frankie Kane, Great Mephisto, Chick Donovan, George Weingroff, Trex Phillips, Ray Urbano, the original Great Kabuki, and that's K-A-B-O-O-K-I, Billy Wicks, Dutch Mantel, Chris Champion, Tommy Nettie Gilbert, Jim White, Barry Horowitz, the Mongolian Mauler, Ivan Koloff, Juanita Wright, Sapphire, Buddy Lee, Al Costello, Don Kent, Lynn and Joey Rossi, Jerry Graham Jr., Reno Riggins, Dickie Steinborn, Adrian Street, and probably many others. Now, April 9th in Nashville. Wait a second. Debbie Co- what? You hold a wrestling collector's convention where everyone's going to have their wallets out all the time, and you invite Dick Steinborn? <laughs> On April 9th in Nashville, <clears throat> Debbie Combs held a show at her old high school, which drew about 550 fans. Consuming one in USWA did the next night in the same city. Yikes. Headlined by Eddie Gilbert and Dutch Mantel brought over the school in their main event match. Sapphire works as a referee for Debbie Coles versus Dotta Day, with Cora Combs and Ronnie P. Gossett working the respective corners. Oh that my god. That sounds amazing. Ronnie P. Gossett and Sapphire in the same match? Holy shit. Then they held a pizza and beer party afterwards, the Saturday, after the Saturday night show, USWA show, which was about 100 people. None of the USWA wrestlers or top brass appeared at the convention except for. Christine Jarrett, Jerry's mother, who was at the banquet. Dave guessed at least partially because they were miffed about the live show being run in town. Also, that's not entirely true, because as we'll talk about more in a minute, probably, Paul Neighbors was there selling Jerry Jarrett's random master tapes that he found. No, it's not mentioned. All right, uh, April 9th, and National 568 fans, Barry Horace over Ben Jordan, Nightmare Freddy, Tommy Gilbert in the hood over uh, Dirty White Boy Jimmy Powell, Farmer John over Little Road Warrior. Pistol Pez Watley over Frank Cicerino. Oh. Oh. Debbie Combs over Donna Day. Rena Riggins over The Sheik. George Weingroff by disqualification. And then Eddie over Dutch in the main event. Now, the highlight of the banquet was said to be on the Sunday, April 11th, where Eddie Gilbert gave a 15-minute long speech, thanking several of the older wrestlers for what they accomplished and given to the game. And then he announced he's planning on moving to Philadelphia in a few weeks to book ECW full-time. Huh. Awards at the convention were given away to Al Costello and Cora Combs as Legends of Wrestling, to Matt Marketplace, Wrestling Chatterbox, and Wrestling Observer as Best Publications, to Royal Duckett as a Matt Historian, and to Ric Flair as Wrestler of the Year, who Ric Flair wasn't there. And then we flash forward a week. Dave said a correction to the report of the convention. While no USW performers appeared at the convention, there was cooperation. As USWA set up a gimmick table at the convention, that's all it says, Bex, and Jerry Jarrett allowed Don Rowlett to sell tickets to put out flyers at his national shows, and the fans in USWA show from out of town were recognized. Thanks to Debbie Combs for accepting a newsletter award for this newsletter. So, okay, so Dave's completely wrong the previous week that there was any heat. Yes. So who told them there was heat? Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr.? Uh, you should have given me time to play the, the thing. But yes. 
Thomas Edward see. Gilbert Jr., professionally known as Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Yes. But USW held a gimmick table, Fix. You want to tell everybody what the gimmick table they held was? I mean, yeah, it's pretty much the main thing in some hardcore fan circles that this convention is remembered for 30 years later. Um, Paul Neighbors helped Jerry Jarrett round up all of the three-quarter-inch pneumatic videotapes he could find in his house and brought them to the convention to sell for $25 a piece. The thing was, none of them were labeled. At all. Um, Jeff Osborne of Evansville, you know, promoter of Hook and Shoot and also various indies over the years and conventions later on. He bought, based on what he got converted at the time and then what he sold later, what, probably about 18 of them? Something like that? Something like that, yeah. And Bo told us there was a total of probably, what, like 50? yeah. And, like, if you've seen the tapes called Memphis Masters and stuff, that's those tapes. And the rest mm-hmm. that didn't get sold got junked. Or at least most of them, because Paul Neighbors did some <sighs> copies later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, if only and, these promoters knew. Yeah, and eventually uh, Rick Crane, 70s-TV.com, bought some of the tapes from Jeff, including the ones he had not transferred himself and that's how that all got circulated and that's where we had for example the video kind of of the first concession stand brawl from 78 where you don't actually see the concession stand brawl (laughs) because a decent number of the tapes were of the b show it's crazy to think about tyler you know, we had the Arezzi conventions in this era and now you got this convention that we didn't have more of these type of conventions because this is the early 90s, the 90s in general, is like the golden age of like a collector convention, especially with, with uh, sports memorabilia. No, there was definitely an appetite for things like this, and I don't remember ever seeing anything like this happening in Canada at all. No, it would have been uh, – it would have done great, I would guess, up there if they had something like this. Yeah, and – it's also just interesting that, like, they start to slowly come back, like, in the early to mid-2000s, I guess, is when it was. But they really don't start taking hold again until High Spot starts doing WrestleCon. You know, they no. had been involved with mm, Wrestle Reunion, but Wrestle Reunion kind of became a mess. And it, 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 they don't become the standard thing that, like, they are now until, you know, the last decade or so. You know, where there yeah. are a bunch of them all year. Yeah. All right, let's go to the USWA now, proper. The house this past week saw the top five matches all in with the heels getting disqualified for offside interference. But the UF guys, the house in general, are down to slightly below normal. All this set up the April 10th television show where they recreated Lawler's Army against the First Family. The First Family was most famous here 10, 13 years ago with Jimmy Hart as the manager of Assorted Heels and later Eddie Gilbert and others used first name. Anyway, this new version consists of the Harlem Knights, no mission. Scotty Flamingo, Brian Christopher, and manager Mike Samples. Later in the show, Jerry Lawler sees re- recreating Lawler's Army, which goes back about 17 years, with himself, Jeff Jarrett, the Moondolls, and Richard Lee, which, of course, will lead to 10 man tags. All right, so let's have the battle of promos here. We'll start off with the first family, and then we'll have Lawler's Army following up. So let's go to the clip. South Coliseum, coming this way right now. 
It's the first family. Photo session over. They have dominated so far USWA wrestling here today. And Mike Samples is smiling and happy about the whole thing. Did you see that news? Wrestle War? When one night we get rid of all the punks, geeks, idiots, and goofs in this company? I mean, look, these... What a group of humans this is. <laughs> and yes, the, the show that is, this, this is going to is Wrestle War. Well, WCW is going to stop using it. Might as well. Actually, which? Which came first, the video game or the WCW pay-per-view? Wrestle War? Yeah, let's see. Well, the first Wrestle War shows 1990. No, 89. Oh, that's right, yeah. Wrestle yeah. War 89 Music that. City Showdown. I wasn't thinking about I wasn't thinking about I was thinking about Music City Showdown. Yeah, that's right. Okay, the video game came out in 91 in Japan, and then wasn't there an American release, too? Or was it only arcade? Uh, I think it's arcade in Japan. Okay. So wait, so the arcade game... Okay, no, wait a second. No, that date seems wrong. Uh, Okay, the Genesis version is 91. 89 is the arcade game. So we would need to figure out when in 89... It came. It's cutting it close because there's a review of the arcade machine cited from the April 1st, 89 issue of a Japanese magazine. So... Okay, well, yeah, so... It, it, it really, I guess they probably beat them to it, right? They probably beat WCW to it. Not by much. So, how about that? These men, one night, one time in the ring with all those idiots. <laughs> I, I feel so good. I'm just going to let the big men tell you exactly what they're going to do. And I, I'm going to have a party. This is great. We're going to get rid of all of them. You celebrate and let's see what they have to say. Nelson Knight. Dave, the attack plan is simple. We have the advantage. We're going straight forward, and we're destroying all four of them. <laughs> That's right. Well, there's a word from the Harlem Knights right there. Scotty Flamingo. This is great. But boy, he's the Harlem Knights. They're going to beat up on them rank stanks. Ugly. Nothing happened to Moon Dog. And I'm going to get a piece of the Burger King. Everybody saw a little clip. The Burger King, I should be the unified world champion. And now I'm going to humiliate you for not for ripping me off from the title. So Monday night. I'm going to take the Burger King, and I'm going to stomp a mud hole in his ugly face. Woo, baby! Yeah. There's a word from uh, from Scotty. We have not heard from Mr. Christopher yet. I, well, I would assume he has by. a word. Just huh? stand by. Brian Christopher. Dave Brown. <laughs> now, just a few seconds ago, Corey Macklin told me that Jerry Lawler, Jeff Jarrett, and the Moondogs have a little surprise for the first family later on. A little surprise, Corey, is that what you said? Well, Corey, let me ask you a question. Could the surprise be that they took a bath this morning? Could that be the surprise? I, I want to know. <laughs> because Dave Brown, them stinking moon dogs, and I repeat the word stinking, they stink to high heaven. Every night, and this truth, correct me if I'm not wrong, every night when we have to walk down the aisle and get in the ring, it stinks like funk. The people, the people smell like goats. You understand me? Goats. <laughs> and then when you have to climb in the ring and you have to face the moon dogs, and believe it or not, they stink worse than the people sitting out in the crowd stink how can you be expected how can you be expected to wrestle somebody that stinks that bad and i know for a fact everybody's sitting at home 
They have not taken a bath this morning, have they? Not a one of them. The first family have bathed today. We have showered. All of our bodies are sparkling clean, you understand? But the moon dogs, they've never taken a bath, and it seems to have rubbed off on Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett. Now, Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett, you say y'all have a big surprise. The first family are the smart ones around here. We pull the surprises, you understand me? The Harlem Knights are gonna take care of the Moon Dogs in Wrestle War. Scotty Flamingo will take care of you, Jerry Lawler. And that, that leaves me, Brian Christopher, for you, sissy boy Jeff Jarrett. By the way, Jeff, by the way, Clorox called, Clorox called. They want a half a gallon back, baby. Brian, excuse hey, me, we're gonna have I'm to not through talking, I'm not through talking. <laughs> All right, pause. All right, so, okay. Um, yeah, that's an interesting crew of people there at the end. So. Yes, Scotty the Body, Men on a Mission, Brian Christopher, and Mike Samples. Yes. All right, so now we get the first family. Now, why they're using Randy Savage's theme song for this, I will never know, but... They are. Uh, not for sure, but Lawler's Army. So let's go to the debut of the new version of Lawler's Army and what an army this is. All in all, as they continue to just Wrong dominate. clip. Oh, you wanted me to keep going with the other one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why is it not letting me undo it? Oh, right, give me one second then. It wasn't letting me do the little undo command. I have to go back to the notes. So that is okay. I see. Give me one second to skip ahead. So that would be it's... no, Brian, not yet. There we go. And it's not just Pomp and Circumstance, it's the same recording of Pomp and Circumstance. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Look at this. My goodness. Oh, me. They got the king. Jeff Jarrett. Richard Lee. The Moondogs. And they look like they are ready for a war, don't they? Wow. Yeah. And they're using Randy's... I don't even what remember a version hell? he would have used at this point that would have the oh yeah dig it in it though. Where would this be from? Had he been no idea. yet? Yes. Yes, he's working there now. Did they do a video or something that had a that had the song and then had a promo inserted or something in it? Well, he he, he did a promo from Vegas that from WrestleMania that aired on this TV show. Okay. Weird. Very weird. Anyway. King? Where's Corporal Braddock? <laughs> Richard Lee with a shade face looks so odd. We have stood back there and we have listened to those punks come out here and run their mouths about being the first family. 
We are sick and tired of listening to those punks. Are we sick and tired of listening to those punks? We have decided to do something about it, Dave Brown. We are no longer going to take these actions, these tactics, this abuse from the so-called first family. So what I have done, Dave Brown, is I have reached back into the past and I have reinstituted Lawler's Army. And you can see it standing right here next to you. And this army is ready to go to war. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go to war with you, punks. We're going to beat you at your own game. We're going to grind you into the ground. And we are going to leave you laying like the piles of garbage that you are. Now I want to introduce you to my army. Suck that gun in, boy. Because this right here is Jeff Jarrett. This is my own version of Rambo. And I want you to do a little guerrilla warfare on a punk named Brian Christopher. Tell us what you got in store for that punk. Oh, I can't wait. Brian Christopher, in case you didn't know, for over a year, I was in boot camp with these guys. That's right. And I was, oh, for over a year, I took every board and every chair and every trash can and even the kitchen sink over my head. So believe me, Brian Christopher, when I say it, the general here has got his army ready. And we've been through living hell, Dave Brown, and one heck of a boot camp. So boys, it's gonna be Wrestle War 93, and oh, I can't wait. We just might have a little fire. We just might have a little boards, a little chairs, a little cans. You never know what's gonna happen. Bombs might explode. Right, General? You got it right. Now I want to introduce you to this gentleman right here. This is my version of General Schwarzkopf because he is the brain behind the brawn. He is the man to make the moon dogs go. And you got your work cut out for you. But I want you to make short work. I want you to make a jump out of this Mike Samples. Tell us, Mr. Lee, what you got in store for Mike Samples. Oh, King, let me tell you something. Mike Samples, I have never been a boxer, brother, and you boxed me all around the territory. But one thing I've always been, brother, is I've always been a back alley street fighter. And this is right up my alley, baby. I got two of the baddest people in professional wrestling on my left. I got the other two baddest people on my right, baby. And Mike Samples, while they're beating the brains out of your goon squad, brother, I'm going to be beating your head in. <laughs> Come right down here, Dave Brown. I want you to take a good look at this. I want you to take a good look at this, First Family. You know, every good army has got to have somebody that's willing to get down in the trenches, somebody that's willing to do anything that it takes, somebody that's willing to sacrifice, somebody that's willing to put it all on the line. And this is a man. No, let me take that back. This is a dog that's willing to do it. Tell him about it. Come on, come on, go. Dave Brown, last but certainly not least, this is the tank that anchors the army right here. Now this first family think they got some brawn. Well, let me tell you something. You ain't got nothing that'll match this Sherman tank right here because when he gets ready to roll over you, 
There ain't gonna be nothing left. And you're gonna roll this week, aren't you, baby? Tell us how you're gonna roll. So let me tell you once and for all, the army is ready for war. And like I said, we're gonna leave the first family laying flat on the ground this week, and that's the promise. put back together. Man, I remember Lawler's Army first time around. Again? And I tell you what, <laughs> got them, they got the attitude. They got them thinking that they're a team. And better look out there, First Family. Yeah. You're going to meet that army somewhere down the road, and it's not going to be long. Yeah, that's PG-13 in the ring. Right. Here comes Randy Rocket and Nice Man Danny Davis. And you can tell PG-13 are brand new at this point because they don't even get, like, a star entrance. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they've they're only been a team for three or four months now, yeah. So. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at the time, this probably seemed weird that even in a territory that plays up its history, they were doing a flashback to something from uh, 16, 17 years earlier. Yeah. But now we get nostalgia for things from that or longer ago all the time. Yeah, yeah, but just a wild deal there. I mean, 16 Never, years ago was 2007. 17 years ago was 2006. Uh, I don't even want to think about. Don't want to think about how long how this is now. <laughs> I mean, but. they 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 kind of you know they were making references and stuff to Ray winning the title at Mania for the first time over the weekend, and yeah, that was 17 years ago. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. All right, so this all culminates into a wild brawl on TV after a Moondogs match. So let's go to that clip. And our Moondogs here are... Spike and Goliath. And Goliath is Cujo? Uh, no, he's Splat? Yes, that's right, he's Splat. Yeah. And Spike is... Bill Smithson. The Scorpion and the Shadow in there. Tough day. Over where? Well, the Scorpion and the Shadow, they walk up all the on the wrong side. No, it's over there. For this day. When the Moondogs get a hold to you, let me tell you. Moondogs spot. Got his foot down on the Shadow there, holding him down. And Splat comes with that big leg. Dumped it down on the Scorpion. And the Scorpion is... No small guy by any means himself, but that big leg of Moondog Splat, boy. Boy, the crowd with the Moondog. Look out, look out, look out, look out. Here comes the first family. Yep. Referee calls for the bell, and I knew we would see him again before it was over with. Mike Samples and his stupid first family come out here again. Yeah, referee calling for the bell, and... Yeah, the bell has already sounded. Yeah, it's over. Boy, they all jump on the moon dogs in Richard Lee. The first family and Mike Samples out here. Ah, They've yeah. got Moondog Spot over here. They've got they had three of them holding him while Flamingo and Brian Christopher work on him from inside there. Yeah, we didn't try to get some help out here for the Moondogs. 
Captain Mike splashes Richard Lee in there. Yeah, well, Moondogs and Lee taking quite a beating from this first family in here. Wanna try to get some help for him. As the first family continues to beat up on Richard Lee and his Moondogs. Like three against each one in there. The Shadow, the Scorpion, and Christopher all working over Moondog's spot right there. What you got? Right where? Right there. Right there. You know, he doesn't even sound like Lance. He's doing Lance's announcing cadence, but he sounds like he's doing Cartman's plantation owner character. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Which, yeah, that is mismatched for obvious reasons. Um, again, it's just so weird. Like, this is not his natural speaking voice. Listen to him with Lance, and you hear his natural speaking voice. Yeah. Anyway, let's go back over there. That is seven against three. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Look out. It's time to take out the trash. Oh, the general. Family out of here. The reinforcements arrived in the form of Lawler, Jarrett, and really a couple of big old trash cans. Here and over and there, there went all the first family. We're going to be back with more USWA action. Don't you dare go away. Uh, referee is saying no more here. The, uh, but Jeff Jarrett. Jerry Lawler, the Moondogs, and Richard Lee. Boy, look at that. Look at that big old board across the shoulder of Moondog Spot. And Richard Lee is calling them out here. Mike Staples, you listen up, brother. And you listen up real good, hot dog. The odds are even now. You're not going to jump anybody from the back. Let's not wait a Monday night, baby. Let's get the war started right now. Be a man. Get the pump better, baby. Because we're ready. Well, I don't know if they're going to show up or not. I kind of doubt it. Mike Samples and the first family being invited out here to get the war going. He said there's no oh, point Mike in Samples. waiting until Monday night. All right, Mike, you've heard the invitation. Yeah, yeah, see, it's weapons night, huh? They came they came prepared with, with something extra. We wanted to wrestle. We wanted to be wrestlers. That's the way you want to do it? When I leave here, I'm going to a hardware store, and I'll get a pickup truckload of trash cans, boards, bricks, concrete blocks, chainsaws, hammers, anything I want to get. I will not stand by. Oh, Mike Samples is sweating the hell. Yeah, uh, there goes Mike Samples as Waller uh, and Jarrett head this way with a couple of those trash cans. And I just got one sword to say, Brad Christopher. That's right. We're ready for war. The general wasn't kidding around. He means serious business. Boys, Monday night, wrestle war. We're going to have some more cans, some more boards, some more chairs. Come on down, big boys. We'll start it right now. Monday night. The war's going to start, and Monday night, the war's going to end. Because I can promise you this, there's going to be a big explosion at the Mid-South Coliseum, and the first family ain't going to like it. Monday night, quite a night at the Mid-South Coliseum coming up here. Let me, uh, let me just tell you about the entire card here before we run out of time. Uh, Opening match, you got Jeff Gates. So, yeah, just something, something to do, I guess. <laughs> It's fine, you know. 
Lawler had th- Lawler had done that in all those years. So bring it back as babyface thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The Master of Terror, Ken Wayne, turned face on April tenth. It started when PG thirteen had that tag match with Danny Davis and Randy Rocket. After Rocket was done away with, they were doubling on Davis until Terror made the save. Davis interview said he couldn't understand why Terror made the save for him, but asked him to be his partner this week. Of course, Davis and Wade were the nightmares. So uh, there's that. Does Master right. Terror reveal himself to be Ken Wayne? No, never does. So it's sort of implied that you're supposed to realize it's Ken Wayne, but they never actually reveal that it's Ken Wayne. Exactly, yeah. Hmm. All right, how shows? They were third in Nashville in front of 400 fans. Used to be a middleweight title, Danny Davis over Wolfie D. Jeff Jarrett retained the Southern title over Brian Christopher. Lawler retained the Unified title over Scotty Flamingo. Then Danny Davis, Frank Merlin over PG 13. Moondogs won the tag titles from Christopher and Sky Flamingo, quote unquote. Harlem Knights over Lawler and Jarrett by DQ. Memphis at Mid-South Coliseum. No attendance listed. April 5th, Jeff Gaylord over the Rock and Roll Phantom. Uh, Danny Davis retained the Midway title over Master of Terror. Miss Texas over JCI, spot his qualification. Coco Beware with Wolfie D. Moondogs over Hall of Nights by DQ. Jared over Christopher by DQ, so the title. And Lawler over Flamingo by DQ. It's all setting up the TV angle. And then Nashville in the 10th, running 325, we get this show basically all over again. I mean, the only difference is Danny Davis met Wolfie D in a title match. And uh, yeah, that's it. No Coco. So, uh, there's your USWA action for the week. All right, let's go to the Metroplex. Global, we'll start there, April 9th at the Sportatorium, the Global Dome, from 1,017, heavily papered. Ray Evans and Animal over Chris Barrett and Johnny Dollar. Terry Sims over Bullman Downs. Angel of Death, now as Angel, beat Sweet Daddy Falcone by his qualification. Stevie Ray over Rod Price. Action Jackson. Won a handicap match over Awesome Kong and King Kong by disqualification. Booker G over Alice, the Pug Porto. And then Mike Davis over Black Bart by disqualification. Not good times in global. Now, let's go to some of the indie stuff in the Metroplex. A bizarre deal at the Wiley, Texas show on April 4th. The club owner called Freddie Fargo and Rod Price to the ring to reestablish last week's bet about getting 500 fans won the cards within a month. Referee James Beard and the Mustang showed up. Beard asked Fargo if they could add to the bet. They, if they could draw 500 people, Fargo would have to wait the tables in a 2-2. Jones reissued back and forth for a six-man tag with the Beard, the Mustangs, against Fargo, Rob Price, Scott, and Braddock. Fargo insisted the match take place on April 18th, at which point Price will be in Japan with Beard and Hawk, his book elsewhere, and guarantee people that he wouldn't show up. <laughs> Why? Why any of this? Why? Because it's Freddie Fargo getting his name in the sheets, brother. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I can't believe this is in the right. server, not the torch, though. <laughs> yeah. On a Chris Adams show in Gatesville, Texas, which drew a sell by 1,500 on April 4th. Chris Adams, folks, make a promote. He was one of the best. He was one of the best local promoters in the country. Yes, make a promote. They had a mixed tag match, so to speak, with Bubba Fangman and Tasha Simone Love against Ed Robinson and She-Warrior, who was actually Todd the Animal Hecht dressed up in drag. Results of this show. Gary Young over Hans Christian Germany. Chris Germany. 
Then the mixed tag with Bubba Fang, Mantasha, Red Robinson, and She Warrior. Mike Davis of Skeddo at Bar. Chris Evans of Rice Bay, Keep Arsons. And then Chris Evans won a battle royal. Was Todd, excuse me, Hans Christian Germany's entrance music, Inchworm? <laughs> he paid to have the oh, Disney Channel when we were kids. Yes. Big D ran that night, Bix, and uh, Dallas from two and two fans. Oh, was uh, was Tasha Simone Love's uh, king involved with this one at the time? I'm serious. I'm not making a joke about it being Big D. Uh, Jimmy James over the cat, Kit Carson. Big D over Animal. So that so the guy in drag worked uh, Big D as himself. Terry Sons over Wobbler by disqualification. Gary Young and Rob Price went double count out with Bobby Duncan Jr. and John Hall at the Mustangs. Iceman King Parsons and Action Jackson beat Sean Stevens and Sweet Daddy Falcone by DQ and Scott Braddock. There's Scott Braddock picks over Chris Adams. Then they come back next week. They had half the house. They had the week before, 104 fans. Scott Braddock over Chad Almont. Jimmy James and the Ebony Prince, Dwayne Meadows, over Chris Barrett and Almont. Rob Price over John Hawk. Sean Stevens and Sweet Daddy Falcone over Action Jackson and Big D. And Terry Sims beat Wobbler well, went to win the Big D Heavyweight Championship. Huh. Well, you know, the animal couldn't be in drag and Big D because we can't we can't have such things as drag and Big D pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't have guys dressing up like women in Big D bags. Not gonna work. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Lord. All right, we stay with Metroplex in a different story. The saga of the Von Erich family was covered in depth on April 11th and 12th in a five-page, two-part series entitled The Von Erichs, an American Tragedy. In the sports section of the New York Daily News, the story by hockey writer Barry Mysell included numerous quotes from Jack, Fritz Von Erich, Jack Atkinson, his former wife Doris, Kevin, and Carrie's ex-wife Kathy. The story did give what appeared to be some new insight into one of the most tragic, bizarre stories in the history of the rest profession. Particularly on certain attitudes after the in the aftermath of death, the death of David in 1984. However, all quotes from Jack and Kevin, given the track record, have to be taken with more than a standard grain of salt. In other areas, the story was lacking, particularly in factual research regarding certain world chronicled occurrences in the family history. Again, that shit happens so much. It made no sense. I mean, it just made a wrestling fan just like not have any credence in these articles. We talked about this before. When you obviously are not doing your job in research, you're not to, I mean, what makes us think that you're doing your job altogether? You know what I'm saying? Perhaps yeah. the biggest name to the store. Yeah. Perhaps the biggest name to the store was the all, was all the neon sign obvious messages that can be learned from about confusing reality with the fantasy and the problems of achieving too much fame, particularly fame stemming from such heavy manipulation too fast and the aftermath of when it's gone were nowhere to be found. At times, the story read like this latest media chapter in the Von Erich mythology. Overall, the reporter did a good job writing an interesting story while having little background on it going in, but there was so much missing that shouldn't have been hard to find. The Daily News said that Kerry had said over and over again that he would kill himself before he'd ever spend a day in jail. It also said he just had lunch just hours before committing suicide with his ex-wife that day and told her that he'd kill himself if she wouldn't agree to get back together with him. Although he had said that to her numerous occasions for previously in an effort to get her taken back. 
I think people are getting awfully simplistic when they start looking for a reason, said Doris Atkinson, Carrie's mother, and what probably her first newspaper interview since the death. You're talking about a lifetime of all current emotions. To say it's all so-and-so's fault is awfully simplistic. It's like saying it's all my fault because I married him. It's all my fault because I married him at 17 instead of waiting until he was 30. And then maybe it's all Fritz's mom's fault for having him. Or all our mother's fault for having having my mother's fault for having me in the first place. There are no real answers. It's interesting that she's saying that because haven't we learned since that Doris actually did blame Fritz? Yeah, but, but and she's split with him at this time. But I guess for public-facing reasons, she does not want to blame Fritz. I guess. However, the Von Ehrt mythology was still evident, particularly in the thumbnail sketches of the five sons. It listed Kevin's 1987 concussion in the ring in Fort Worth as attributed to having his head run to the ring pose, which, while more believable than being hit with the dread Oriental tool punch, is no more accurate. It listed David's death as being from acute gastroenteritis, and Clay is the most popular wrestler in the family. Kerry was the most popular, although David was the most popular among the promoters because he was the most reliable and considered the best worker. It also listed David as playing football and basketball at North Texas State University, which isn't technically true. He went to school with a football basketball scholarship, but didn't play football as a freshman and was redshirted in basketball as a freshman, then quit college and started pro wrestling at the age of 19. It listed Kevin's first brother to turn pro. Actually, David was. Kevin joined him a few months later, both in 1977. Although the article listed Kevin as 1978 and David as 1979. Admittedly, minor errors. I thought Kevin was first. Kevin was first. No, he, he debuted in 76, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Dave's wrong. <laughs> it listed Carrier's turn pro in 1980. Actually, it's Thanksgiving 1978. We started during college break. Both full time by the summer of 79. Claiming he dropped out of college when President Carter ordered the boycott of the Moscow Olympics since the article claimed he was an Olympic discus prospect. He could have been a possibility, although the odds against it, it would have been strong. Give continued improvement over the years from the until 1984-88 Olympics. They're played high school state champions, even state record holders, and very few on sponsored Olympic team. Kerry would have been only 20 at the time in 1980 games, and his best collegiate throw of 178 feet was nowhere close to what would have been needed to have made the U.S. Olympic team. His coach thought he did have the athletic potential, but for every top athlete, there are often dozens with equal more potential that don't go as far. His discus prowess and subsequent boycott were put together as part of the family mythology used for wrestling angles. He was talked about as a media metal favorite on the wrestling shows in the early 1980. Before the Olympic trials, when Heels injured his shoulder just prior to keeping him from attending the tryouts, he was never going to go to in the first place. Yeah, isn't Carrie that great how the, <laughs> they did an angle to explain why he's not in the Olympics and then just decided to go with the boycott story later, even though they had actually yes. shot an angle to explain it? Yes. Well, wrestling fans were dumb. Dumber back then, Bix. They, they just believed it. They're marks, Chris. Yeah. Carrie had been wrestling full-time and had given a serious discus strain long before the boycott was called, although his former college track coach confirmed his father wanted him to stay in college. It lists the crowd at Texas Stadium from the famous Flair Care Match 1984. 43,013 fans. When it's actually 32,323 fans. That 43,000 figure has been used so many times over the years that, like many exaggerations in every form of media, when repeated often enough, it becomes the truth. Although it's hardly the first exaggerated crowd figure used in the entertainment world, but the real number isn't much of a secret either. Well, that's just the way it goes. That's, that's the way it is. 
they're going to claim that claim a bigger number. Absolutely. In the story, Jack swore he never wanted his sons follow him in the ring. This contradicts the fact he seemingly had planted the seeds for when they were teenagers by talking about them and featured him on television before they even started wrestling. And even as much as got other NWA promoters who were his friends, like Sam Mustn't, began talking about his sons when they were still in high school or the ridiculous push all received long before they were ready. When Kevin, David, and Kerry were 18, 17, 15, respectively, Fritz introduced them at the NWA annual convention to another promoter's his three boys would all be future NWA World Heavyweight Champions. After Jack's retirement match in 1982, all five sons were brought together in their interview with Fritz said how all five will someday be NWA champion. Sure. Man, I did everything in the world to keep my kids out of this damn business, he said, but it was all they knew. A lot of the boys didn't want to follow in their father's footsteps, but there are those who do. Everybody less recognition. They saw me getting a lot of it. They analyzed me. I trained. Um, I trained. I was on television. Big name. Why wouldn't they want the same thing? It was as natural as anything in the world. If somebody had the gall to say, I force my kids and I'm responsible for their deaths in any way, shape, or form, it makes me want to get a, a 45 and shoot somebody right in the ass. It burns me up. Well, that's a great way of handling that, Fritz. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the Fritz forcing them stuff is bullshit. For the most part. I mean, you know, clearly there's some stuff with Mike towards the end that, you know, Mike probably still wanted to be wrestling, or at least in wrestling, though, too. So it's like, it, the forcing thing, though, is mostly bullshit. The boys all wanted to be pro wrestlers. Bad. Mike, in a way, but not as much as the other ones. But Mike also idolized Dave. Yeah. Um... But as far as not wanting them in the business, that's bullshit. And different yeah. way. Yeah. Like, maybe he didn't want them to get in as early as they did. Maybe he wanted them to go through college and stuff first, and they didn't. But he's just making that up here, that he didn't want them and tried to discourage them, to mm-hmm. whatever degree he's saying. The story quoted Kevin saying Davis' death was beginning of the end. Kevin claimed Davis' death burned out his heart, while Jack, who ran the promotion, said that he lost his initiative and desire. For all world purposes, Jack got the rest of the business after the death of Mike, although still had a major financial interest in the company and did the infamous heart attack hang off to Mike's death. Jack also talked of the, of the fight the two had just for Mike's suicide. Jack claimed Mike was drunk when he sternly scolded him for a series of legal transgressions, which was public, that there's near fit about with Tosser Syndrome. Mike responded by kicking his father in the groin, and Jack knocked them down. It also noted that Jack was the only member of the family not mentioned in Mike's suicide note. It did note that Mike wasn't particularly athletic. The story of how heavily Hodges returned to the ring after suffering brain damage and a loss of equilibrium from Tosser Shock, with Jack pushing him as the living miracle and promising he returned and win championships, which some would say was the most telling sign of all, all about the things being out of control that wasn't brought up. It talked to Chris's suicide as despondency after being told by daughters he couldn't wrestle again. The sidebar story also talked of benevolent endeavors that had become the family's trademark. Tyler, what do you... McCary had just committed suicide two months earlier, so this is still fresh in everybody's mind. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on uh, how this article came out? No, <clears throat> excuse me. I wouldn't wish this happening on, on any family, and I, I feel for... For Kevin being stuck without his brothers. I mean, this is just such a terrible, terrible, terrible situation for all of them. Yeah, I mean, Kevin, 
last one standing, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean, wouldn't want to wish that on anybody that to deal with what he had to deal with over his life. No, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we said this when it aired too, but it was it was so nice to see him in a setting the way he was on Tales from the Territories, where he was actually cutting loose and enjoying talking about wrestling for once. Well, he's with with the boys, you know. Yeah. So that helped out too. You know, and with him being the survivor, I mean, the thing that, you know, gets talked about sometimes, but not really that much. If you had asked the other wrestlers when they were active, which of the brothers would be most likely to die, it would have been Kevin. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like the drug issues got in the way the most with him, and he also had the increasingly serious concussion issues. Yeah. This big any other thoughts on the article? I mean, interesting that it's in the New York Daily News in the first place. Yeah. Kind of curious how it came about. Um, and, you know, the stuff with his ex-wife, though, it's, look, it's a little different context because it's, you know, kind of the emotional, at least on the surface, could seem like more of an emotional blackmail, get back together with me or I'll kill myself kind of thing. But we know from when we did the show The Week of Carrie's Death... And, you know, there are other examples of it, too. Like, Carrie was trying to get someone to stop him. He was telling yeah. everyone he could that he was planning on killing himself. Yeah. You know, he told, I mean, it was in the papers and stuff that he told his parole officer, who just kind of ignored it. We know Cat. We know he told Kevin. You know, Kevin talks about in the PWI interview that year, which, you know, general rule of thumb in that era, if... There's a weird departure, serious PWI press conference. It's a genuine interview. Um, he was. It just it makes the whole thing even more sad. Yeah, because he's clearly trying to find someone to who will stop him. Yeah, and no one does. All right, we got some Championship Wrestling USA. Let's talk about before we close this section out. They had two shows in Portland on the third and the tenth. We had another dirty white boy, Bobby Blair, over Sumito by disqualification. Nick Danger over John Rambo. No lie. <laughs> uh, years ago, there was a guy who was the uh, who was a uh, uh, high level guy for our, one of our local uh, bread companies. His name was Rick Danger. What a cool fucking name, Rick Danger. Uh, Chia Versham over Lou Andrews, Carl Pope over Alberto Madrill, Colonel De Beers, WDQ at Bart Sawyer, Samoan Nightmares, and Max Steele over Dane Rush, Bruiser Bryan, and Jesse Barge in main event. I presume Samoan Nightmares are Sumito and someone. Yeah. And then April 10th, back in Portland, Max Steele over Dane Rush, John Rambo over Jim Pope, Chia Versham over Bruce Bryan, Twitter White Boy Bobby Blair over Nick Danger. Lou Andrews over Jim Pope, Bar Server Colonel DeVere's by DQ, and Bershman and Steele over Jesse Barr and Ryuma Go by disqualification. There was a good bit of this of uh, CW US, USA uh, TV on YouTube from this era. I don't know if it's still up or not, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Portland wrestling, but it's, it's Sandy Barr's flea market deal, and you know, I mean, you got Don Koss, but yeah, it just it doesn't have the charm as Don Owen in Portland wrestling did. It's not the same, even though it's 
basically the same wrestlers in the same building. Some of them. With the same yeah. announcer. Yeah, some of them, yeah. April There's a lot of new people running in. Bird has the opening on YouTube. Yeah. But, again, it's not, not really interesting. Unfortunately. Not really interesting stuff, no. All right, let's close out with everyone's favorite world championship wrestling. Tully Blanchard reached an agreement to come in with his first appearance being a slamboree, which will lead to working house shows in June. They believe Blanchard will reform his tag team with Arn Anderson as babyfaces. Tully, who had been working as a preacher since retiring from wrestling in 1990, had said numerous times he wouldn't return to wrestling and been critical of the profession in some newspaper interviews. Well, about that. <laughs> Plans change. But he's at the show. But he's there. Yeah, he's there. Plans change. So it was supposed to be a reunion of the original Four Horsemen. Then they can't come to a deal for some reason. They put in Paul Roma, and it's supposed to be Flair, Anderson, Flair, Arn, and Roma, managed by Oli. And then Oli's not on TV after that. Mm-hmm. So there are only three horsemen, really. Yes. There's never a fourth horseman in this era, no. <laughs> <sighs> Booker's named Oli, especially in this era, right here. Well, he's not the Booker though; Dusty is technically. Yeah, but he's still the he's still the head of creative. You know, it's like Bill Watts. Bill Watts wasn't a Booker, but he was still the head of creative. So doesn't matter. And I'm sure that'll never happen in wrestling again. <laughs> Much less in years ending in three. <laughs> TBS on April 3rd may have been even worse than the previous weekend. Why are there replays of such obviously botched up finishing moves? Why did the air Watson Brad Armstrong versus Ring Crew match even air? It was negative two stars. By the way, don't the Ring Crew look, look just like the Bushwhackers? Al Green and Luke Williams are like twins or father and son. The best part of the show was Shivani Ventura were like, being like Abbott and Costello. The bad part was that it was almost none of their material had much to do with the product. Classic comment from Ventura was calling the mood of Wyndham title change one of the classic matches of all time. Right after there was that memorable Ron Simmons Barbarian title match from Philly. <laughs> I mean, you watch stuff just going on here, and Tony and, Je and and Tony and Jesse basically have to entertain themselves a lot of the time on commentary because a lot of stuff just ain't good. So that's why they gotta do what they gotta do to to make it easier on them. Like incessantly using the word Texicans. Uh, yeah, that's Jesse. Yeah, that's one of his favorite things. We'll, we'll have more on that World Championship Wrestling show later on. Center stage statements on April fifth saw uh, for the show here on April tenth. Katniss Jack challenging Vader. Well, that that won't be ominous. Arn Anderson doing an interview saying Barry Windham is snubbing the Horseman reunion, the seventh match between the two for the NWA title. Chris Benoit returned and formed new tag team with Bobby Eaton beating the Tom Zink and the Johnny and the Johnny Gun and Johnny Gun in a good match, and they formed an alliance with Marcus Bagwell. Well, excuse me, sorry. And they formed an alliance with Marcus Bagwell, Hugo Scorpion, and the Cole Twins, and the each team is at ringside when the other wrestles. Now, on the April seventeenth show is the Vader Cactus match, which said to be the most brutal match in a long time. Chat won by Canna, but has nose broken, his face smashed up, and Dave was told he was hospitalized after the match. Don't know how much Feeney would be edited, but it was told must-see batch and must-see post-match interview by Vader. 
Probably the most brutal U.S. match in a long time. Too brutal, actually. Since Jack was hospitalized at Denver State, needed 24 stitches, 17 above the eyes, 7 below, suffered a broken nose, dislocated jaw, and a concussion. But a lot to admire about Kathy Jack as far as the link so good to put on a good performance and making the most out of his somewhat limited physical talents. Still, sometimes the limits he's been willing to exceed are way past the point of what's good for him. As banged up as he was, he still worked all his scheduled dates over the weekend and had good matches to boot. Jesus. Well, I mean, it's not a shock that Mick said he's fairly sure at this point that he has upwards of 100 concussions in his career. So, Yeah, and uh, we talked about this. Uh, did we do it last year? Uh, show 299. I think that's where we, we talked about this. 299-143. We did them two in a row. So 143 was the 11th through the 17th. 299 was the uh, 18th to the 27th. And then 352 was the 28th through May the 2nd. Actually, we, we got, we're got we on quite the run here. All right, so what we did March 27th through April 2nd, 93, on 193. Now this week, then come back 143 with the next week, 299, then 352, then show 42. We didn't make third through the ninth, 1993. So, hey, we got a, a lot of consecutive weeks going here for uh, the end of March, the whole month of April, and the first week of May of 93. So if you want to hear these shows in succession, there you go. Or you could go to the brand-new revamped uh, Red Circle website, which I just saw was revamped, and uh, looking very nice. So uh, yes. redcircle.com slash Between the Sheets. You can go search for the shows there. BetweenTheSheetsPod.com as well. And yes, I know, I need to get the feed fixed so it has every episode. It, it's coming. It's just, it's a whole thing. But, but yeah, so we won't really talk about the cat this thing since it doesn't, hasn't aired yet. But yeah, brutal. Brutal stuff. All right, Scott Norton also will debut on the uh, April 17th show as a strong heel, and he got over great this time. Not he's not here long, but he does fairly well. Um, interesting to see, you know, him in this point in time in WCW, knowing he comes back in two more years. But uh, but yeah, I mean, he was ready to be in a big position in a, in a major promotion here, but it just didn't happen until '95. And then in '95, he gets undermined from the beginning. Yeah, pretty much. He's brought in as this hot new heel, feuding with Randy Savage, and then they just kill it off. Yeah. Johnny B. Bad agreed to terms for a new contract, which reportedly guarantees him $500 per match and a minimum of 200 matches a year, plus a $50,000 signing bonus and a $31,000 wardrobe bonus. Tyant made a major play for him and was still pursuing him as late as this past weekend. Not a bad deal, Bix, for uh, Johnny B. Bad here at this time, I would say. Yeah, I also wonder, like, is... How do I put this? Is there, like, a tax incentive or anything for getting his deal itemized that way? I guess on his part it is for the wardrobe bonus, because he's probably the one buying the wardrobe or getting getting it done. I mean, he's a wrestler, so of course he is. But I wonder, like, does it become advantageous to specifically, like... Does it help him that it's itemized as that, or is it just considered income? I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, it's because I don't think I've, I've, budget? I've never heard of a wrestler getting a bonus for his wardrobe. He's right to. He's right to bake that in regardless. He's not Johnny B. Bad without the wardrobe. That's a key part of his character. Absolutely. 
also interesting that his contract is theoretically per date, but with a minimum date guarantee. So, I mean, you look at that, okay? $500 times 200 that is uh, $100,000 right there. So $50 uh, signing it, bonus. So so if we just add it all up together, do we think 181000 Yeah, do we think that's fair for Johnny B. Bad in the context of the 1993 WCW pay scale? I mean, he's, he's a guy that's a prevalent guy on the roster. Tyler, what do you think? You think that Johnny B. Bad was worth $181,000 here in 1993? Yeah, at this point, I'd say that's about where he fits on the roster from what we know about the pay scale and, and what everybody's making. I think by the time he leaves in 95, I think he's far exceeding that value. But at this point, I think he's right in that kind of sweet spot. Although, I mean, it's not per year, though. So, like, because we're talking signing bonus and... Are we, are we? So is the wardrobe bonus? Do we think that's upfront, or we do we think that's thirty-one thousand a year? It doesn't say. If we're going with the idea he's making a hundred a year, I think that's underpaid relative to WCW at the time. He's not a main player, but he's on all the time, basically. Well, he's not, I mean, he's not pushed heavily, but he's there. He's he's a guy that's there. Well, you know, he does he does win the TV title that year. Sort of. Yeah, later on. Yeah. I was and saying, then it at never airs. <laughs> yeah. At this point in time, though, that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, he becomes more of a bigger presence later. But at this point in time, you know. Well, he hasn't really had programs as a babyface. No. That, that changes with the Max Payne feed. Yeah. Well, and, and that's something. He gets this new big contract, and then he gets his first big feud. Funny how that works, isn't it? It's almost like that's, that's how the MCW works. I mean, the Max Payne feud immediately starts up right after this. So there you go. So also, wait a second. When did he? When do we think he signed? Because he's worked. I mean, his con. He must be under this contract for a few weeks because he's his contract expires in what early to mid March '96. Yeah, so it's probably a couple of weeks, maybe, before the word got out. Because he was working without a contract his last couple of weeks in the company, right? Yeah. All right. Ole Anderson and others are looking for more newcomers. I'll have the Cole twins to bring in. Oh, I wonder why. Perhaps it's well, we'll have more cheaper. The, we'll have more on the Cole twins in just a few minutes. Expect Missy Hyatt to be a guest on the touring flair for the gold segments, which is what all those interviews are building up towards. Oh, joy. We'll have more flair Missy coming up in just a little bit. Jesse Ventura was still cracking on Jim Ross this past week, and there's nothing uglier than a fat man in a toga. Well, he really did not like Jim Ross. No, he didn't. Wow. Je yeah, Jesse had a hard on for an old JR, didn't he? That's something. They gave away Paula pennants at television. The fans were waving around during Ondor squash match. Great idea. Yeah, they here, definitely got that Paula chant over big time here. Did they end up selling those at shows, too? They didn't sell them, I don't I, think. I never saw them for sale. Here's the thing. I feel like if you're giving out professionally made stuff, you either need to also be selling it or you need to have the baby face who's feuding with the heel, like giving it out to the crowd. Yeah, but you know the deal, Bix. It's, it's WCW. WCW. Yes. Yeah. So that answers your question. 
right, clip time, and we got a, quite a few of them. All right, Ric Flair, his, you know, whatever his status is in the company is basically unknown at this time. What is he doing? What I mean, what is his deal? He hasn't wrestled well, yet. We got, he won't wrestle for months. Yeah, well, let's go to the April 3rd episode of Worldwide, where Eric Bischoff uh, gets to the heart of the matter of Ric Flair at dinner. Let's go to the clip. Flair and Bischoff, huh? Yeah, at dinner. April, on a yeah. milestone anniversary. Huh, well, patreon.com slash between the sheets later this month. Yeah. Ric Flair has made a triumphant return to WCW, uh, surrounded by beefed-up security that are uh, present here in one of Rick's favorite Italian restaurants. First of all, Rick, I want to thank you for joining us here, but right off the bat, I want to address the obvious questions. A lot of people want to know why you're here, but before we do that, let's go back to Super Brawl 3, your return to WCW. You stepped into the ring in a very intense moment, and you actually helped strap the NWA championship belt around the waist of Barry Windham when he defeated uh, the Great Muda. What was going through your mind at that moment? Well, Eric, very simply, I was taken by the moment. Uh, it's my opinion that Barry won what is considered to be the most coveted trophy in all of professional wrestling, the NWA title. Uh, if you look at the history of that championship, it was worn by some of the greatest wrestlers to ever put on a pair of boots. I'm talking about the Funk brothers, Dorian Terry, I'm talking about Jack Briscoe, Lou Fez, Dusty Rhodes, Sting, I mean, Harley Race himself, who now manages a big Van Vader war for se on seven different occasions. At least, but not last, I wore it on seven different occasions. So, naturally, I feel like that is the most coveted trophy in professional wrestling. I was taken by the moment. I was happy for Barry. Wait, did he say least but not last? Yes, least but not last. <laughs> and I accidentally skipped back. Uh, but, <sighs> yeah, Rick, that's not what that means. Wait, what the hell did I just, do? Did I click on the next read, video? Just read, Just refresh. Oh, yeah, okay. do or I'm going to do that. Yeah. Okay. Let me. Least but not last. Harley Race himself, who now manages a big band war for se on seven different occasions. Severin. And least but not last, I wore it on seven different <laughs> occasions. So, naturally, I feel like that is the most coveted trophy in professional. What is Bret Hart scripting this, saying that he's the worst <laughs> NWA champion? <laughs> I was taking him and Harley the moment. I, was happy I wanted to share that moment with him. However, I think Barry looked at me in a different light. And, uh, you know, Barry has a problem with the fact that I wanted to congratulate him and, and make him aware of how happy I was for him personally. Then that's, that's something I'll have to live with. And uh, I merely wanted to get in the ring, congratulate him, and help him share that moment of glory. Another thing I want to talk about with regard to Barry Windham, and I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but anytime anyone has tried to approach Barry Windham and tried to get comments Aww. from him about you, Barry Windham is flat. Eric Bischoff's makeup here is something else. <laughs> he does not look human. He looks like Eddie Monster here. And what a perfect place for you to pause that at. Look at his face. But uh, he 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 just he doesn't he looks like he ought to have been one of the creatures of the night with the Undertaker. Yes, those fans that sat at ringside. The what was the dude that was the creature the, the male creature of the night? The one that just like died. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember his name. But um, yeah, that's what he looks like here with a black suit too. Good lord! All right, unpause. Oh wait, it got muted right away from an interview any idea why that may be uh i'm really not sure uh let me go on record as saying that i think every wrestler alive knows that barry and i have competed against each other 
we have competed with each other. I've known Barry since he first started professional wrestling. I knew his father very well. Um, I'll going say. back to what I said earlier, uh, Barry right now is wearing what I consider to be the most coveted trophy in the sport, the NWA Heavyweight title. And I think, unfortunately, Barry realizes that uh, if he's really going to be considered the NWA champion, at some point in time, he's going to have to deal with Ric Flair. I'm not presenting that problem for him. I'm sure he hears it from the wrestling fans. I'm sure it's in the back of his mind. He's wearing a title that I never lost, and I think that that's a problem that Barry will have to uh, deal with. Listening to you, I just I have to be honest with you. I have the sense that in your own way, you're saying you were here to take that NWA title away from Barry Wyndham. Am I right? Well, let's not be too cagey, Eric. I'm not here I'm, uh, for any other reason right now than just be part of WCW. I'm happy to be back. Uh, we know WCW to be the biggest wrestling promotion in the country. It's worldwide now. Uh, the guys just came back from a tremendous tour of Europe. And I'm not really ready to tip my hand as to what I'm back for. You've got Barry Windham, the NWA title holder. You've got Big Van Vader, the WCW world heavyweight title holder. You've got Rick Rude. You've got Steamboat. Uh, I mean, the, the list of great wrestlers in WCW is endless. And when the time is right... Rick Flair will make himself known. All right, Rick, before we let you go, we have to talk about Missy Hyatt. Uh, ever since you've returned to WCW, Missy Hyatt has been on the scene. She's trying desperately to get an interview with Rick Flair. Or does she have something that she want to tell you? What's going on with Missy Hyatt? Well, I don't know Missy that well personally, but Missy's not like an, unlike <laughs> any other woman. They know what's going on. And you're a hot item, you got to share that wealth. Missy will have her turn, and when I'm ready to talk things over with Missy, it'll happen. Once again, Rick, I want to thank you for joining us. Those comments from Ric Flair. <laughs> I mean, we all knew that Flair was coming back to wrestling. I mean, it's the way it is, but it is a it is a weird deal here how they're trying to explain why he can't wrestle. You know? So is it a WWF release thing or not? <sighs> I actually think the more, the more, as I thought about this, I think it is. But no one outright says it. Yeah. It's not really reported. Because, okay, Flair's first match. It was June. It was June at the Clash. Okay. So, all right. So, his last WWF match. His last match proper or his last televised match? His last match proper. Would have been uh, February 10th, okay? So keep that in mind, February 10th, all right? His first WCW match was the Clash in Norfolk, Scope. Wasn't that it? Yeah, the Scope, June yeah. 17th. March is one month, April two months, May three months, June's four months. So you're looking at about uh, around 120 days. So he could have had it could have been a ninety day, but then they stretched it out to just have him come back at the clash. But I mean the thing is, if it was a ninety day, he could have worked the slamboree. But they that's not the the way they played it. So I don't know. There's some, I think there's something to it. Tyler, I mean, what what do you think? I mean, where do you where do you uh, lie on this subject? I mean, why it took so long for Flair to wrestle in, in WCW? I got to think that's the only thing that makes sense is it had to be something with the release. And I've never – do we know when he signed his first contract with WWF and how long it was for? 
it was uh, September or it was late August. And I'm not the, is he signed at SummerSlam? If I remember, because we did this show, the Patreon show. I'm trying to remember, was he actually signed at SummerSlam? Because wasn't there a story where they were teasing it and he actually wasn't signed? Yeah. So, yeah, maybe early September. And do we remember what the length of the contract was? No, I don't remember. So we don't know that. So it's um, probably a release period of 90 to under 20 days. Yeah. So, yeah, it's got to be something to it. All right. Um, Arn Anderson. He's on his own. His tag team and Bobby Eaton is uh, disintegrated. Flair is there, but not there. So Arn's got some goals on his mind. So let's go to Arn Anderson here. Tremendous program here on Worldwide with the enforcer Arn Anderson. As you said before, the leg is nursing back to health. And let's talk about you and what you see for you down the road here in World Championship Wrestling, Arn. Well, Tony, I've always been a team player. The last few months, I figured out the hard way what it's like to be alone. See, when you're rehabbing injury, the magnitude of the one I had, there's nobody can help you through it. It's something you got to do on your own. And one day it occurred to me while I was going through some painful therapy that I'd never done anything in my career on my own. I've spent my whole career helping other people make their careers, sacrificing some of my goals, some of my wants, some of my needs. So the whole group flourished. Back in the days of the Four Horsemen, I would sometimes do things that I didn't think were right, but I did them for the good of the unit. But it's come a point in my career right now when I want to do something for myself. I want to wake up one morning and feel what the past champions have felt, what it's like to be a world champion, something you achieved on your own, something you held on to by yourself with no help from anybody else. That's what's ahead for me. You're looking at a new Arn Anderson, reborn. That's where my goal is, to be world heavyweight champion. Okay, fair enough. And what's this with Mithy Hyatt trying to get to Nature Boy Ric Flair? What's she want anyway? We've told Missy Hyatt. She wants to party. Well and good. We've told her. There's time for a party later on, Missy. Right now, it's time to take care of business. Okay, Arn Anderson with us this week on Worldwide. And for Jesse the Body Ventura, we'll see you next week with the superstars of WCW. So basically what they're doing here is they're setting the table for Wyndham and Arn as the NWA title match, which will set the table for Wyndham and Flair as the NWA title match. And they had a fun pay-per-view match. Yeah, they did. But, uh, yeah, and we'll have more Arn in a second as uh, he's got more to say about this on other shows. All right, let's go uh, to Saturday night now. Hollywood Blondes had just won the world tag titles on the syndicate TV, not uh, during our week, but the week before our week. And now they, uh, it's time for them to talk about it on WCB Saturday night. So let's go to the clip. So there it is. Austin Pillman become the tag team champions of the world. And the champs are here on WCW Saturday night. Tony, what we've just witnessed is the storybook beginning of the greatest tag team this sport has ever seen. This epic battle with Steamboat and Douglas marks the genesis of the next great dynasty and professional sports, the Hollywood Blondes, the people's champions, the last beacon of hope 
for the wretched refuse all across this country. And let me encourage all you pathetic souls, come on down, buy a ticket, let us enrich your lives and give you a brush with greatness. It's kind of it's kind of scary, isn't it, Tony? It's like you're out here, you're shaking. It's like you're seeing the burning bush. Your hair's probably gonna turn gray because we told the world what we were gonna do and we went out and did it. All you people out there in TV land, you just make me sick. Come on, Brian, put your hand out. I want you people out there in TV land to come on and touch your screen. Feel that brush with greatness that you'll never, ever realize in your entire life because you're not a Hollywood blonde and you're not the tag team of the 90s. Tony Schiavone, have you ever seen a better tag team? And give me your honest opinion. You certainly are uh, two of the greatest athletes that have ever held the belt. Tony, we don't have any more time for you. The team of the 90s is about to embark on the road to tag team immortality. <laughs> and we'll be back on TBS right after this. Pause. Oh, no, we, we, we will have to play this commercial in a second. Um, Tyler, I mean, it, it really is amazing to think about how the Hollywood Blondes were only together as a t regular tag team for just basically six, seven months. Yeah, they were so good together. And it's so funny because I remember the first promo when they got put together and I was disappointed because I thought Pillman and Wyndham were an amazing team. And I thought this was yeah. going to be a downgrade. And it only took a couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, my God, these guys are great together. Like they caught lightning in a bottle with this. And Austin just grows so much in this. He's a he's the one that that you know flourishes the most because He's able to he's able to come out of his shell because I mean in the Danish Alliance, Heenan did I mean Heenan, uh, Heyman did all the talking. And uh you know, but even before then he had, you know, Lady Blossom and all that. Now he's with Pillman and he's just he's in a groove here. You can definitely tell from the problem here. He's got it he's got confidence, he's coming into his own. I mean, he becomes the big star in all this. I think you can say the same for both of them, though. I didn't think as a babyface, Pillman was a great promo, and you hear him finding his voice, too. It was great to see two guys kind of growing together. It was amazing. Pillman, yeah. I mean, Pillman definitely, most definitely, you know, got better at this. But Pillman always had, like, this edge about him as a babyface on his promos, in a way. So he's able, he was able to fully embrace that here. But, uh, yeah, Bix, just like, you know, I always compare the Blondes to the Barry Wyndham era of the Horsemen. It's so highly regarded and well-remembered, but didn't last that long at all. Yeah, and Barry wasn't even a Horseman a year. He wasn't a Horseman for six months. I mean, really, I mean, you look at the Barry Tully Arn Flair Horseman is created in April and done in September. Yeah. <laughs> the version that is in the WWE Hall of Fame. It's not even six months together as a, as a unit. You know? As the most elite unit in uh, professional wrestling. And the blonde and this and the blondes are together about you know six months total, basically. So yeah. but it's what they did in that time span that people just remember so much about. Yep. Yeah. All right. I wasn't originally gonna play this, but 
is here. So let's play the commercial for the Slam Jam album as Sting is grooving on his Sony Walkman. And we'll be back on TBS right after this. And you know something? The Slam Jam stuff is unbelievable. Oh, this is the Stinger, and I want you to stay tuned for more World Championship Wrestling. <laughs> Sting listening to his own theme, rocking out. <laughs> also, I always uh, loved. I Go ahead. I hated that though. I hated that shit so much. I hated yes. it. But I always loved how WWF had just had the hit UK single Slam Jam. Mm-hmm. I believe the yeah. album was gonna be called Slam Jam, right? Produced by Simon Cowell, yes. Well, executive produced, actually produced by two-thirds of Stockick and Waterman of uh, Never Gonna Give You Up fame. Yeah, but still Simon Cowell, part, you know, yes. a big part of that. Yes. And uh, then WCW comes out with Slam Jam, and they change, WWF changes their album to WrestleMania, the album, and on the American version, Slam Jam becomes Summer Slam Jam, despite the... Uh, beginning of the song being Jimmy Garvin in his tryout yelling are you ready for the Survivor Series? <laughs> yeah. Which no yeah. one knew was what that was that's what that was until they put the tryout on the network. Yeah. The, uh, Gene saying who will survive is from the same segment too. Yeah. Alright, we talked about the Cold Twins earlier. Well, Jesse Dabani got to meet the Cold Twins on Saturday night. Let's go to that clip. Here I am standing by with two wrestlers who I got to admit have taken WCW by storm, and I finally got it right. Kent Cole and Keith Cole. You got it wrong, Jesse. Keith Cole and Kent Cole. Now I got it right. Well, guys, I know you're fired up. You're on a winning streak. me. But you know what the amazing thing is to me? This fan club of yours. We want to know about fan club. You don't know what a fan club is? Well, a fan club is where fans get behind you. They want articles of clothing. They want pictures. They want this, that. You know what it is? Stars have fan clubs. I mean, like Sylvester Stallone, myself, fan clubs. And now you guys have fan clubs. Does that mean you're stars? Calling us stars? Stars, Jesse. Tell us we're stars. No. We're stars, we're stars, Mom and Dad. We got a fan club. You're stars. <laughs> they think they're stars. Well, I guess who knows what can happen here in World Championship Wrestling. Goodbye, stars. And we'll be back right after this timeout. Unbelievable. The Coles are stars. <laughs> oh, man. Those guys did have some popularity. I will say that for a while. Then, then they, people just got tired of it. That is the most I've ever heard Jesse Ventura sound like an impression of Jesse Ventura. <laughs> His Minnesota accent comes out to a good little bit in that clip. <laughs> yeah, let me find. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the James Adomian or Killer Cross Jesse Ventura impressions. <laughs> have you seen the Cross one? Yeah, I've seen it before. But it's quick. Might as well play it. This is him yeah. working out with Chris Van Vliet. 
Don't tell me you don't have four more reps in you. Come on, Chris. Don't tell me it didn't happen. I was there. Justin Finisher is here? I was doing tricep extensions in the Gulf of Tonkin. I'm a frogman. So are you, Chris. Come on now. We ain't got time to bleach here in the gym. That is pretty good. <laughs> so, oh, man. That hair for the cold twins, uh, oof. <laughs> Luckily, when they're on Wild Side, they they have to, two different haircuts and are ass kickers. Yes, they've uh, shaved their heads. But, yeah, they should they should be on AEW with all the other former Wild Side talent these days. <laughs> you imagine the you know. twins in AEW with Slim J and Mike Posey and I don't know if they've held up that well. I haven't seen them in that in a long time. So Anthony Henry. <laughs> All right, so Flair and Arn close out Saturday night together, so let's go to that clip. It's the one and only Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and we work it. She loves me, Tony. How about double A? How about double A? How about the four horsemen, you know, Tony? I could make a living managing him all the way to the world heavyweight championship. I'm talking double A, the enforcer, the man. And you know what I'm talking about, WCW, Saturday night. This is it. We're talking about Marie, the night of the legend. And let me just say to you that you thought the Beatles were... They thought the reunion of the Beatles was big time. They thought the reunion of the Stones was big time. Well, let me say to you... Marie, the four horsemen. I'm not laying the cards on the table now, but May 23rd at Flamboree, it could be. Double A, brother, you tore him up, Daddy. Do you realize how good it feels to excel at your given profession? I feel better than now than I've felt in four months, but now. Enough's enough. We got Missy Hyde back here beside herself on the party. Fine, there's a time for that. But now I'm going to ask you in front of all these people and the world. Enough's enough. It's time you put these on. And you and I quit milking these people and get in this ring for a tag match. Huh? What? What about it, Rick? What? Y'all want me to stay out of here rest for next week? Uh, I'm not ready, Double A. I'm not in that frame of mind. I love you. I love you, but I'm not ready to wrestle yet. When the time is right, heads are going to roll. This is not a myth. This is a fact. See you tomorrow night, fans. Hey, call Ric Flair for the inside scoop. <laughs> Till midnight. <laughs> Yeah, Rick Flair's dishing out the scoops on the on the hotline, telling stories from the locker room. Like doing backflips. <laughs> so Arn had Rick Flair's boots, by the way. That's that's the thing there. He's holding the uh the red boots. So they're teasing it. They're getting the fans ready for when that happens two months later. <laughs> 
uh, all right, so we're going to flash forward a week to Worldwide. We're on and flare out, and Missy Hyatt is part of it this time. So let's go to that clip. All right, Jesse. Yes, Arn Anderson has returned with a tremendous win. A week ago, I said, when are you going to be back in action? You proved it this week. Arn Anderson is back. Tony Schiavone, that is the second best feeling in the world to get in that ring and excel at what I do. You see, this is all I know. Professional wrestling is my life. Now, there's a lot of people out here confused. They don't know whether to cheer me or slit my throat. But my entire life has been that way involved in controversy. And speaking of controversy, Tony, I'm so thankful to be back. And I'm even more thankful that this man right here is back. My best friend in the world, Rick Flair. Take a look at this. You know, I'm just so happy to be out here, Rick. I mean, you look so good, but Arn, I never knew you were that big. And just look at that sweat dripping down those big biceps. I'm just so happy to be out here. Wow, you look so You know, Tony, let's set the record straight. I have been so excited about my return to WCW that I've actually been rude. To the first lady of WCW, we're talking about Missy Hyatt. I've had my security keep her out of the dressing room. I've kept her away from the limousine. I've kept her out of the local tavern. When Double A and I are in the scene, now tonight, firsthand, I want to show the world where my heart is. And Missy, I want you, honey, to tell the wrestling world what it is that you have been trying to get at me with such a fever pitch. Tell him, Missy. Oh, God, you just look so good. And Iron, oh, oh, yeah, okay. All right, well, what happened was the night that you came back to WCW and you pulled up in that big limousine, I mean, Iron, I've got to tell you about this. He pulled up and he got out with these, like, beautiful women, and I pulled one aside. And Iron, you would not believe what she told me about Rick. If it's concerning him, I'd believe anything that they told about him. <laughs> you know, Missy, everyone knows you to be the first lady of WCW. Tonight, you're just plain going to be the first lady, baby. So why don't you and I walk back here with Double A? We'll let him take a shower, and you and I will go behind closed doors, and I'll hear what you got to say. Tony... Some things in life never change, buddy. This is the way it ought to be. Woo! Yeah, well, don't let me stop you guys and gals. We'll have more worldwide right after this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, man. And then, I mean, so I can't remember what ends up happening with this. With Flair and Missy, that has the fallen out. I don't think anything Missy, happens. So basically, just gets dropped. Pretty sure. <laughs> you don't think one of the wives uh, had anything to say about that, do you? <laughs> I don't know. 
I mean, feels like it's a bit overdue. <laughs> well, WCW series of Born Television shows in the previous weeks was probably the main reason in the uh, April 10th Saturday night uh, show doing a 2.0 rating. Main event next day doing 1.7. Power Hour did 1.2. This marks the sixth consecutive week that the Saturday night ratings have either dropped or stayed constant, which does coincide with the week after the new regime had its first television show. Dave will assume it, that trend either ended this past weekend or almost surely ended up this coming weekend because of the Vader Cactus chat matches. Well, Tyler, I mean, why would the fans want to watch t- the television? It's just, I mean, on the whole, just, eh, it's just blah in a way. You know, I mean, they, they got some things going on, but it just, it's just, it's just, just not what it was. No, and it's crazy to look at the roster of who's in the WWF at this point and the talent that WCW has, and the TV is this boring. Like, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, like I said, on the whole. I mean, you got things going on, but it's just... It's a slog to get through. 91 and 92 were so great, and 94... Before Hogan came in, I thought they were really turning a corner, but this second half of 1993 is just hard to watch. Yeah. And Bix, it is interesting that the pattern coincides with the new regime. Booker's named Oli. Yeah, yeah. At the first flare for the gold segments were taped on, uh, to be taped on April 6th in Columbus and start airing on Worldwide in about three weeks. So, flare for the gold making its debut now. So, we had that look forward to. One of the advantages of not doing too many angles is that when one happens, people react. The women and aren't thing garnered some interest since the show had been devoid of angles for so many weeks, which is just setting up their, their whole thing for Slamboree. So um, basically what happened was um, Arn asked Wyndham about, you know, re- reuniting the horsemen, and Wyndham said no, and just, it just you know, doing that and setting up them going against each other. Basically, so, so yeah. I mean, that that's the old, but that's you know the old way of doing things is when you don't do angles on television. That when you do finally do one, it does resonate. Instead of doing all these angles and none of them resonating, you know that's the that's the the the, the line you got to walk when you're doing wrestling television. Yes. Are you doing too much? Are you not doing enough? You know, what what is that fine line? Right. The you, AW, you let, let stuff yeah, breathe. Yeah, there's a big gulf of options between the AWA and Memphis. Yeah, I mean, you got to let stuff breathe. You know, you can't just do, man, do this real hot angle and then to the back. You know? So... All right, uh, WCW's advertising is looking for a new director of marketing in the Atlanta area and in some business trade journals. God knows they needed that shit for years. Isn't it crazy how we talk about in this show that some of the best marketing they ever did was under Jim Hurt? Ruse, Gloob, you know, some other things they had going on. Lots of sponsorships on the replays and stuff. Course, course. Appearances on Family Feud, you know? Yeah. Much you can say about Jim Hurt, Jim Hurt and what he did. I mean, he did have opportunities for WCW with uh, sponsors and other things, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to remember when is Michael Weber in WCW? 
Oh, I don't know. The, the exact time. I'm checking. But yeah, I mean, you, you you look at it, Tyler. There's times where WCW has like no footprint in in the corporate marketplace anywhere. There's nothing. There's no you know merchandise of note other than what you can buy in the WCW magazine. It's just there's nothing there. No, as far as like stores up here, we have the Galoob figures everywhere, and then I don't remember seeing any WCW merch or action figures or anything until well into the NWO era. It's, you know, the San Francisco Toy Company thing, basically. Yeah. You know. Okay, Weber's LinkedIn says he was director of marketing from 92 to 99. Well, it's interesting that that, that timeline there, considering what Dave said here, so. I mean, but he did definitely come in in 92. Like, there's there's newsletter stuff and trade articles about it, so, like, that's clearly the correct year. Yeah. Maybe the titles hmm. got shuffled around. Maybe. Well, they need some house show help. On April 3rd in Charlotte, they drew 1,500 fans. Oh, great. Two cool Scorpio over Joy Mags. Max Payne over Johnny Gunn. Barbarian over Rage of the Wrecking Crew. Van Hammer over Vinny Vegas. Arn Anderson over Aaron Watts. Rit Root over the Z-Bad. Captain's Chat double count out with Paul Orndorff. Vader retained the WCW title, beating Steam by disqualification. And then the Hollywood Blondes retained the unified tag titles, beating Steamboat and Shane Douglas. 1,500 fans in Charlotte. Yikes. Top three matches are good, but yeah. Sting missed the April 9th show in Manhattan, Kansas, because he had a bad flu. Refunds were offered at the show. He flew back to Kansas City on the 10th, which was said to have been a hot house show. We'll talk about that in a second. Shane Douglas had a similar injury to his right side, which is the side he does everything with. Some of the tag time matches is going, still going 35 minutes per night at about a three-and-a-half-star level. But they're working around the injury, mainly because Ricky Steamboat carries the action. Douglas isn't missing the dates, at least partially because he's on a nightly deal, which is either good or bad, depending upon your point of view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't work, you don't get paid. That That's a reason why people work injured. Not good. It's holding on to territory bullshit. That's all it is. Pretty much. Well, who's in charge? Ah. <laughs> all right. Manhattan, Kansas on the night in front of 400 oh, no. fans. Joey Mags over the Russian Brute. Half a star. Max Payne over Johnny Gunn. Three quarters of a star. Barbarian over Rage and Reagan Crew. Quarter of a star. Van Hammer and Vinny Vegas, three quarters of a star. Katniss and Scorpio over Vader and Orndorff, three and a quarter stars. That's an interesting match. And then uh, Hollywood Blondes beating Steamboat and Shane Douglas, retaining tag titles, 35 minutes, three and a quarter stars. Then Kansas City the next night in front of 2150. Basically the same results. Uh, Mags over Brute, three quarters of a star. Payne over Johnny Gunn, half a star. Scorpion Barbarian of the Wrecking Crew, two and a half stars. Hammer over Vinny Vegas. Three quarters of a star. Catch check over Orndorff, two and three quarter stars. Vader and Sting, Vader by DQ, three and a half stars. And then non title, Steamboat and Douglas over Pillman and Austin, 35 minutes, three and a half stars. Okay. When was Barbarian last on TV? Uh, he was, he worked the, did he work the Clash in January? Uh, but I mean, his babyface turn, did it ever air? Like, all right, Barbarian, the season on in January. 
as I scroll down, nah, he's working all the January House shows. He's got TV. He's on uh, he's on February television. I, mean, I, February, I don't remember he, the turn airing. He's I mean, on Power Hour on March 13th. They did the dark match for Missy Hyatt was uh, managing him. You mean her Barbie doll? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He never really... I mean, yeah, he's his, his mainly working just house shows. Yeah, and I'm looking, he's being used as a heel until basically this run of house shows. And then he turns back heel again. Because after our week, um, he's working Robbie V in late April. Okay. Damn. So, interesting match on the Omni show from March 28th. And then Bulldog, and then he's working Bulldog on, uh, in May. No, but interesting match from the March 28th Omni show, which was Wyndham and Orndorff's Cactus and Barbarian. Just, if you're using him as a babyface at the house shows anyway, why not just keep him aligned with Cactus? Booker's name Dolly. Yeah. Also, that show drew 5,200 fans when all kids got in for $1, one cent. Yes. Uh, Junkyard Dog and Dick Slater are both in upcoming house shows. Booker's Time to Dolly. bring the, the old guy, older guys back. And we got some torch stuff here. Jim Brunzel's being brought into Slamboree as a favorite for Greg Gagne. They had their differences, but are now speaking on a professional level. I'm sure there Wait. are some guys there who demanded that Dr. Brunzel be booked on the show. Well, another thing, too, is, you know, we got to have that AWA Legends Fest at the Omni in Atlanta. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, quite that AWA presence on that show. Yes. Um, Two sources told. Yeah. I was just going to say, how wild is it that Jim Brunzel was just outright on Tales from the Terror He's Like, oh, yeah, I was everyone's pill hookup. <laughs> huh? At least he's honest. Yeah. Um, two sources have told the tourists that there is some behind-the-scenes turmoil between the Dusty Rhodes faction and the Ole Anderson faction. Eh, I bet they'll sort it out. Ole will be friends with him for maybe a year or so. And then, eh, don't think anything bad will happen after that. No. Nah, it's, you know, Oli's never had any evil plans against us before. <laughs> nah. Um, there are negotiations going on, which have finalized would involve doing the bulk of the television tapings at Universal Studios in Orlando. Well, not exactly on either side of that. It's the bulk of, I mean, it ends up being just all of Worldwide, and it's not Universal, it's uh, Disney MGM. But then it goes Universal. Later, years later. Later. With all this stuff going on WF, you would think WCW would address his own current steroid problem before someone addresses it to them, or for them. At which point, it would be way too late. Dave knows it's been written before, but it bears repeating. WF is being looked into, and there's very limited, if any, use going on there because the company largely took care of the problem, while WCW just seems to be waiting for the problem to happen. Well, Tyler, it's like me and Big Stuff on this show. I mean, WF has the cachet. They're, they're going to be un held under more scrutiny than WCW. So... Yeah, should WCW have been doing better? Absolutely. But they were never going to have that type of scrutiny that WF had. No, not at all. And I think it was during Bill Watts' time that he tried to discipline guys and found that he literally couldn't. Isn't that what happened? Yes, there was no provision in anyone's contract that allowed them to be suspended or anything. We're sus suspended without pay for a drug test violation. Yeah. WCW, everybody. <laughs> Indeed. WCW, everybody, indeed. All right, uh, Rick Rude was on Howard Stern on April 9th with Fred the Elephant Boy, the Blood of the Paramount Theater show on April 14th. 
Stern just kept cracking on Fred and Rude hardly got any words. Originally, Katniss Jack was to be the guest, but things just happened where Katniss canceled because Stern was going to do a special show on April 12th, which Stern didn't end up not doing anyway, but moved the wrestling segment to April the 9th. And Katniss was booked in the Central States while Rude had to date off. Cactus, who had been on the show before with Fred. Yeah. Um, but I wonder how Rude felt about that. And by the way, I was going to ask this earlier, and then I forgot. How often are they running Kansas in this era? It feels like we have Kansas results in the WCW section on almost every show. Well, they run, I mean, they had the Clash in Topeka. I mean, it was a hot market for them. Uh, they they run Selena on April the 8th, Manhattan on April the 9th, and then Selena on October 15th. That's 93 okay. in Kansas. It's only three dates. Uh, 92, uh, they run, let's see here. They run Topeka on the 21st, January, Topeka March 20th, Wichita May 7th, Topeka June 26th, Manhattan August the 30th, Kansas City October 16th, Topeka November 20th, and Kansas City November 21st. So way more 92. Nine, mm-hmm. Yeah, 92 93. That's what you're thinking about. Okay. Yeah. But they scale back house shows greatly in 93 anyway. So there's that too. Too bad we don't have Rude on, on Cactus. I would, I'm sure that was uh, something for whatever time he got to say anything. <laughs> so, And to close, speaking of the New York card, another one of those inexplicable mistakes that can only happen in WCW. Saw the final television show in the market before the card, not have any interviews or event centers pertaining to the card. Cash fans on the bubble may even decide not to attend, believing the show was canceled. <sighs> WCW, everybody. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, I mean, here's the thing. A lot of the shows that we have from this era is the New York television shows. From The Channel New York feed. Yeah, for Channel 2. And there was nothing on those shows, hardly ever promoting any shows in the area. Well, there hadn't been any shows in the area in over a year at this point, right? And that was still classic WCA everybody moments here. Good Lord. Uh, and this is at the Paramount Theater, too. It's a good the garden. You know, Jesus. Which also wasn't the date originally supposed to be at the garden proper and WWF blocked it. Yeah, that, that, that was supposed to happen. So I'm curious to see how much is going on in the Daily News uh, leading up to this. Yeah. Um, let's see. I searched for WCW now, and Paramount Theater. And, well, that's yeah, we it. talked about that show in a, in a previous show, which I mentioned, so go check that out. Yes. Quite a night for WCW. <laughs> and not in a good way. Yeah, always fun when the promotion and the commission are pointing fingers at each other over who screwed up the show. Yes. Anything, Bix, in the Daily News catching your eye? Not finding anything so far. All right. Well, on that note, that's the end of the show. All right, Tyler, we thank you for uh, being on with us. So anything you want to put out there before we uh, bid adieu? No, just the usual that this is always a great time, and I always appreciate you and Vic having me on. So thank you so much. Absolutely. We appreciate you for uh, giving us the opportunity to have you on. So there you go. (laughs) 
All right. Next week on Between Actually, the Sheets. Wait, real Chris. Bleh, real quick, Chris. Um, yes. The show was the 14th? Yeah. There's no slammer in the April 12th Daily News. Outstanding. There is on every week around it except for that. Outstanding. So not All only right. are they not plugging it on their TV, there's no wrestling column in the Daily News that one week. Oh, wait, there's yes. not in the, on the 19th either. Uh, so was it off for two weeks? Looks like. Yeah, it looks like. Or maybe I'm... The search may be acting up a little, but I'm not seeing anything for that week. Fantastic. All right, next week on Between the Sheets. Oh, this might be when there was a strike, actually, now that I think about it. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. Again, next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1999. A lot on this show here, folks. A lot. We start out with uh, an update on Davy Boy Smith's health situation, and it's a wild story indeed. As uh, we'll have news on him being in the hospital and the WCW uh, situation about that involving how he was, well, we he was fired before our week, but we have news on after that, Barry Bischoff uh, trying to get in touch with him and all the, the crazy stuff going on there. Nitro, we talk about Nitro and WCW, and boy, they got some... Uh, Shaky morale in that promotion right about now. So we'll ha we'll have news on that. We'll have a wild thunder taping, which featured all kind of craziness. We got uh, Air Bischoff on WCW Live uh, talking about a lot of things, uh, getting the official uh, word. We got news on WCW and charter flights and what the problem is there. I mean, it's a crazy WCW section. So that should be something to look forward to next week. And all Japan, Vader. Wins the Triple Crown. Oh, excuse me. Wins the Champion Carnival. So we'll have that. And um, news on that situation, which was the also the public funeral for Giant Baba was during our week. Uh, we'll have New Japan coming off their April 10th Dome show. News on that. We'll have all kind of indie stuff. we got a new King of Pancrase to talk about. So we'll have that. And uh, we got all kinds of Lucha stuff going on. In the U.S. indie scene, we got ECW, where we'll have news on what the future of ECW may entail. And a lot of direct quotes from Paul Heyman in Pro Wrestling Torch. Well, it's April 1993, and, so we're also right at the beginning of uh, the paychecks bouncing and the like. You mean 99? 99, sorry. And we got ECW running a, a very good weekend in, from house shows and, and TV tapings during our week, including... Uh, one in Buffalo, a, good, a solid TV tape in Buffalo. Shocking. We have news on the Nashville Network and their future for wrestling. Uh, we got issues in Portland with the commission, as always. And the World Wrestling Federation, we got a, a lot of people being cut. So we'll have news on that. Um, we'll have news on the possibility of a union in WF, which is not going to happen. We got an uh, actual union or the stable. We'll have a news on why that won't happen. Let's put it that way. WF. And uh, we got uh, Raw in Detroit to talk about. We're lost this going on there. Big ratings on that one. And we have uh, the Raw tapings, Sunday Night Heat, house shows. 
in Calgary and Edmonton featuring Bret Hart making his return to the World Wrestling Federation. Yes. In the in back. In 1999. Yes. In the, in the back. Yes. Yes. We got... Uh, Interesting quotes from WF Magazine that's uh, going to be part of our show. And something that is one of the most ominous things that we've ever done on this show for the future of wrestling. All that and more next week on Between the Sheets. And guest, maybe, maybe not. We'll decide that. So um, it's a long show. We'll see. Yes. So, um, and, uh, I did. I realized I had the wrong dates. By the way, there was a plug in the slammer in the last issue before the Paramount show. So at least there was that. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, Tyler, again, thank you as always for being part of the show with us. Bix, thank you as always for being the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Cheese Patreon Special Edition number 78. I'm your joined as always by my host David Bix and Span and Bix. Back to 1998 on this show and a uh, interesting topic of conversation as uh, we're in WrestleMania season now. And this is one of the first real big WrestleMania season celebrity moments that we that we had. In that in that era, in the Attitude Era, Iron Mike Tyson. 
Yes. Yes. Which ends up being something that plays a big role in turning the company's fortunes around. Absolutely. So, um, let's get going, shall we? As we go back 25 years. Man, it's hard to believe. All right, now we got Mike Mooneyham, excerpt from Tyson McDavid's wrestling ref, by Mike Mooneyham, the child's the post career. Whether he will or he won't, Tyson Engel Monday Night Raw with Dennis' most controversial performer generated tons of mainstream interest. There's a major publicity crew coup for Vincent Mann and company. Tyson's spokesman, Sig Rogich, had said earlier the former heavyweight champ would not wrestle, but only refereed to avoid jeopardize his relationship with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, which stripped him of his boxing license in July after Tyson bit off a piece of Van Holyfield's ear in June. The WF, however, has different plans. Much for using the guest, ref- guest referee. Austin embarrassed Mike Tyson with his remarks. It was a call for him, very professional, McMahon said. Mike is now saying he wants Stone Cold Steve Austin. McMahon added he would ask the Boston officials if they would let Tyson wrestle. You know, if European champ Owen Hart chuckles at the idea of Tyson participating in WrestleMania, he says Tyson's unpredictable and sometimes volatile nature makes him a risky proposition for such an event. You're dealing with a guy who's been a rapist, said Owen. <laughs> wow, there we go. Owen don't care. You don't know what to expect with Tyson. In a wrong one time, he might go nuts on you. If he even wrestles, you're going to have to handpick his opponent for what he might be making. People want a piece of meat to chew on. They don't want to just look at him and see him standing in the corner. They want to see him do at least what LT did. They'll spit the match out of him. You'll have to find an appropriate opponent. Shamrock would be a money fight, but I don't know how you would unload a match like that. Owen recalled at one point that his brother Brett had arranged for another celebrity athlete. Canadian world-class sprinter Ben Johnson was doing that up, but the deal fell through. Well, he would have fit in there perfectly at the time because Ben Johnson, who's built the fastest man in the world, was kicked out of the 1980 Soul Olympics after testing positive for the steroid Stanislaw. The Jamaican-born Johnson was also stripped of his gold medal for flunking the drug test. Oh, he would have been perfect, though. Yeah. <laughs> huh. <laughs> I wouldn't don't give a fuck at this time. No, he, he does he not. Just... <laughs> wow. He's a rapist. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the phrasing, a guy who's been a rapist. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah, that was one that surprised me when I was just putting together <laughs> these notes. I was like, here's Owen Hart, just not giving a fuck. Nope. <laughs> How about Brett nope. trying to bring in Ben Johnson in 1988? Well, it, it didn't say that's in 88. Well, that fell through. His, yeah. He had his issues in 1988. It, it would have been after that. I wonder when it would have been, though. I don't know. Because Brett's not in a position to do anything, I mean, as a player until 91. You no. Know? I mean, he's got his almost pushes before that. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, that's funny. <laughs> oh my. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just five dollars per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.